Tuesday, November the 30th, 2021. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. We have so much content this week. We're going to have three episodes of That's What G Said. We had one that just came out yesterday on Monday that gave you some... uh, some of the early racing for the week talked Hawkeye episode one recap. Now on this episode, we're going to get into Hawkeye episode two with Tim Kelly. We're going to deep dive that scene by scene. We've also got another edition of the old wrestling rewatch for you. For the first time ever, we head to Lucha Underground and we get into Aztec Warfare 2, a really, really cool idea, a fun match. And if you were a fan of uh, of the Lucha Underground short run, uh, you will remember this excellent match. Andrew Champagne, Darren Zocali, they, uh, they come back and hang out to talk all about that. We're going to get into baseball. Lots happening early on in free agency in the, and the CBA is about to expire on Wednesday so there are some big meetings going on between the players and the owners. We're going to get into baseball right off the bat in just a minute and then we'll have a lot of Thursday racing on this episode. We're going to hit Aqueduct for Best Bets Thursday, Woodbine for Best Bets Thursday, Fairgrounds for Best Bets Thursday, and then Turfway. It's opening day for them. We're going to get some Turfway Best Bets. couple plays at each of those tracks for Thursday. So we're going to get all of that for you. We did have a Wednesday Tampa plays. If you're listening to this late Tuesday or into Wednesday, you can find those Wednesday Tampa plays uh, on the previous episode and then later in the week we'll have stuff for the weekend for you we'll have a uh, friday and saturday stuff oaklawn opens up on friday so we'll get to oaklawn and then saturday it's a big day at Gulfstream park i think it's the claiming crown so these uh new tracks opening up we've seen just in the last few weeks fairgrounds turfway now uh oaklawn coming on friday then we've got uh the Gulfstream park and their big championship meet coming up now really soon Santa Anita is going to be coming up soon Sam Houston looking forward to bringing you coverage of Santa Anita and Sam Houston all of the time every day they race we're going to be talking about both of them here on that's what G said and this episode is presented by better than dot Vegas that's the website go there right now if you're a uh, someone who's into sports wagering into sports betting you will really love this site free videos and content from gamblers handicappers all around the world that provide you with their analysis some of their reasoning so you can look around search see who everybody's playing what different sports they're playing you can create an account for free and start posting some of your videos some of your analysis and if you do you will start to get slotted in the standings for the monthly showdown if you have the best ROI you will win a thousand dollars and it doesn't cost you anything to enter it's just a free Go, go sign up for now because if, if, it doesn't matter if you go O for the for the whole month. If you do end up winning, you're going to win 1000 bucks for nothing. Every night on Twitter at BTV Bets, they do the public prop giveaway where they give away money. and they Well, they give away a wager. If that wager hits, you keep the money. Some nights it hits, some nights it doesn't, but they're giving it away to you every single day with the public prop giveaway at BTV Bets. Live streams before every football game to help set you up for all the Monday night games, the Thursday night games, and then the big Sunday uh, slate every Sunday morning. Fantasy football information, information, pitches and pints to cover everything happening in the world of soccer, football, and the backdoor cover late on Sunday night. Things get a little out of hand there. BTV Bets, that's the follow on Twitter. Flip those notifications on there. They want to help you become a better better at, at BTV. Everything's free over there. Better than dot Vegas. 
Let's get into baseball. As a, There have been a, a couple big moves early on in the free agency period, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that there could be a lockout coming right right now, very soon. On 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time uh, on Wednesday night, the CBA expires, and there is a lockout pending. So $407 million was given out on Sunday uh, and some huge, huge moves. Uh, one that a couple that weren't free agency moves, but Byron Buxton uh, signed a hundred million dollar extension with the Twins. Sandy Alcantara extended with the with Miami for fifty plus million, around fifty six million or so. And then a lot of money being thrown around in free agency. Marcus Semien, one hundred seventy five million for seven years, goes to Texas. Carlos Correa is one of the big free agents that we have not seen. So let's get first. I'll get into who signed, and then we'll get into the ones who have not. Starling Marte goes to the Mets, as does Max Scherzer. So the Mets and the Rangers, we saw hand out some big, big money early on. The Mets get Marte four years, seventy-eight million dollars there, and the Mets go get Max Scherzer three years, a hundred and thirty million. Max did a good job when he came over to the Dodgers this year, but the Dodgers didn't want to uh, fork up that kind of money. The Mets, lots of spending early on. We get to Kevin Gaussman, Toronto now, uh, adding another starting pitcher who has been very, very good as of late. He gets five years, $110 million for Gaussman. Eduardo Rodriguez goes to or Robbie Ray goes to Seattle 5 years 115 million coming off an excellent season last year Eddie Rodriguez and then Javier Baez so they get a starting pitcher does Detroit Eddie uh, Eddie Rodriguez goes 5 years 77 million Javier Baez goes 6 years 140 million to the Tigers so the Tigers get uh, a starter and they get a middle infielder there with tons of power with Baez the big one, the one that hurt, Corey Seager. He's going to be leaving the Dodgers. Corey Seager, 10 years, $325 million to the Texas Rangers. So Texas, with Marcus Simeon and with Corey Seager, they paid $500 million for two players to be locked up for 7 and 10 years in their middle infield. That is a lot of money that Texas is spending right now. And Corey Seager, well, I can totally understand why the Dodgers don't pay, uh, end up paying. They made the trade last year to get Turner. So now they have a Trey Turner. So now they have a, another shortstop. They don't necessarily need Turner, Trey Turner, and Seager and everybody there. So it makes sense, right? And the Dodgers now have a lot of money to spend. But Corey Seager was one of those guys that grew up with the Dodgers. Corey Seager was the National League Rookie of the Year in 2016. He was a two-time All-Star. He was a two-time Silver Slugger Award winner. He was the NLCS MVP and the World Series MVP in 2020. He was the hottest hitter on the team throughout the, the whole year. He was incredible. And Corey Seager will be missed as a Dodger. He grew up here, but like a, a lot of the, you know, it happens when you're a really good team. You have a lot of good young players. They're going to have to go uh, other places, and you can't keep them all. But Seegs, shout out to Corey Seager. He was a, a very, very good Dodger, and he will be missed. Some of the other deals. So earlier, uh, I think it was a couple weeks ago, Brandon Belt actually picked up the qualifying offer 
for 18.4. So he got 18.4 million for the next year. And then another San Francisco Giant, actually a couple. I think Alex Wood did pick up a deal, but they have not, or did sign for two years, but they're still working out the details. And Di Scalafini locked in with the Giants for three years, 36 million. Eduardo Escobar to the Mets for two years, 20 million. Miami, they get Avisail Garcia, four years, 53 million. Steven Matz, starting pitcher, goes to St. Louis, four years, 44 million. And the Mets again with uh, with Mark Kena. So Met, uh, the Mets with Kena, with Escobar, and then with Marte and with Scherzer. Spending a lot of money early in free agency. Let's see some of the others. Uh, John Gray goes to Texas. So Texas spends $56 million over four years for Gray, uh, a starting pitcher there, uh, to add to what they've been beefing up for their, their squad. Lurie Garcia goes back to the White Sox. Jan Gomes went to the Cubs two years, $13 million. Aaron Liu to the Angels. Manny Pita to the Braves. Corey Kluber the to the Rays. They take a shot on him for one year. And let's see some of the other moves. We got Kendall Graveman to the White Sox. You got Waka to the Red Sox. The Dodgers picked up the reliever Daniel Hudson, who had been a Dodger before, and he's had some really good years coming out of the pen. And they also picked up Andrew Heaney, starting pitcher there, to give him uh, some rotation depth. And other than that, those are the the major moves that we've seen so far. Other small moves: Brooke, Brooks Raley to Tampa. We got Jolie Rodriguez to the Yanks. Hector Neris to the Astros. Nothing else. All that. Yeah, those are. That's the bulk of the uh, of the big moves that we've seen so far. Now let's talk about who's still out there. Uh, who's still hanging around? I, I mentioned Carlos Correa right off the top. He badmouthed Derek Jeter. Yankees don't want him. He cheated the Dodgers. Dodgers don't want him. Those are two spots that have been rumored for him recently. There was also Detroit. Now that they spent the money on Baez, you can't imagine he's going to go there. So it'll be interesting to see where he shows up. God, I would hate it if he played if he was a Dodger fan. If he was for the Dodgers, I would hate it. I would hate it. <laughs> Carlos Rodon, Freddie Freeman, Castellanos, all our names, some of the bigger names out there. Castellano and, and Freeman are two of the bigger bats around uh, that are out there. You've got Chris Bryant, Trevor Story. Y- what's going to happen with Kershaw? How healthy is he going to be? What's his situation going to be like? Marcus Stroman. Some of the big names. Chris Taylor for the Dodgers now. They got a lot of money. I think for the Dodgers, you have to sign Chris Taylor. Because you, know, you're not, you don't have Seager now, but you want... The versatility that Taylor brings, he can help you all over, play anywhere you need, infield, outfield, hits in big moments, but just the versatility defensively that he brings and how good he is defensively and at so many different positions. I think the Dodgers now, they didn't pay up for Scherzer, they didn't pay up for Seager, which is fine. I don't think they needed to. Both of those guys got a ton of money, but now you got to make a good deal for Taylor. And I don't have to go overpay Taylor. I'm sure he wants to stay, but give him a good offer, make him, give him something respectable, and bring this guy back. Bring him back. Schwarber's another one who's still out there. Alex Cobb, Kyle Seager. Uh, there were some rumors that maybe the Seager brothers uh, end up together. Kenley Jensen. What happens with him? Anthony Rizzo. He's still out there. 
Nelson Cruz is one uh, who's a, a bat that you could add to some lineups. Jonathan VR and Cesar Hernandez, some uh, middle infielders that could help teams out. Zach Granke, Mark Melanson, a reliever, another a couple more relievers in uh, Joe Kelly, Corey Kniebel, Jock Peterson, all still out there. Their futures undecided at the moment. We'll see what happens in the next few days. We'll continue to update everything going on in baseball, and if for any reason they're able to get a deal done with this collective bargaining with the CBA in the next day or so, because uh, by the next time we record, we might actually have a labor stoppage for a while. And from a lot of the things I've been reading, that might not be the worst thing. Nobody wants games to be missed, and hopefully it won't it wouldn't get to that point, or if it did, it wouldn't be many. But baseball does need to make some changes overall. Uh, in, in a lot of things, sort of from the top down. Still very antiquated. I think the people in charge, too. They just a lot of things need to be uh, altered, updated, improved in baseball. If you're looking for information on baseball, basketball, football, any sport at all, you got to head to drf.com slash sports. So every day for every game that's happening, you can click on that game and get the matchup information, and it will give you info for every single sport, It w- and, and it's all right there. All different tabs, uh, all of the team statistics, recent trends, recent lines, some of their own unique insights. And then you can get the, uh, you can see how the money has been moving, where where people have been making their wagers, where people are leaning. They have the score predictors and just a wealth of information at drf.com/sports. If you play games, if you wager at all, just go check this place out. I think immediately it's something, it's a place that you will visit over and over and over again to help you with your handicapping, to help you prep for all of your wagering for uh, all of the uh, the big major sports and before the, the big games are out there. drf.com slash sports. And we know about DRF sports because of drf.com daily racing form and those incredible daily racing form past performances all that information that trusted source in horse racing for so many years drf.com the past performances for me let's hear a little more about those racing fans many of us have been using the drf the daily racing form for years studying the races keeping up to date on news with all the articles i remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack wherever i was going now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use drf with drf.com and the newly optimized drf mobile you can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to drf.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse 
and you get those same DRF pass performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays, if you get the formulator version. And even on the classic pass performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view. And any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF pass performances. You get an interactive format, which is... Very similar to the DRF Classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone. Cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next. And then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering. Multiple formats to view. You got the overview page with recent speed figures, current day's odds, easy access to expert selections and analysis. You got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse. And you got those traditional DRF pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones. They are constantly upgrading, improving, and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at DRF.com. Love those formulator pass performances. We're going to have a lot of live video streams coming up uh, around the new year moving forward for the Santa Anita races, for Sam Houston races, and we'll be showing you how we use DRF pass performances, race replays, one click to pedigree information, one click to charts, one cl- click to trainer statistics, uh, all of the major tools that you need to help your handicapping. Handicapping that'll help you when you play in those stable duel contests. So you can head to stableduel.com anytime you want to check out the uh, the contest schedule. Or you just go to your app and you can see what games are coming up over the next few days. That app is free to download anywhere you get your apps. So go download that Stable Duel app. And a lot of days they do have free games for Stable Duel. And uh, Joey is going to tell you a little bit more about some of those. Better. You want to spread your pony knowledge Gets me every time. I love it, love it, love it. And on Wednesday at Stable Duel, we get to December, and Charlestown is on the menu. Charlestown, Penn National, Parks, Tampa Bay Downs, two different games at Tampa Bay Downs. So if you uh, need a little help, we did have a couple best bets for you for Tampa on the most recent episode of That's What She Said podcast. You can go back and check that out. For Thursday, Charlestown and Woodbine, we're going to have a couple plays for Woodbine Thursday that'll help you out with your Thursday games. On Friday, Charlestown, Gulfstream, Golden Gate, and Tampa. There's a free game at Golden Gate. Then on Saturday, it's Claiming Crown Day at Gulfstream Park. There's a $150 entry, $20,000 game for the Gulfstream Claiming Crown Derby. Gulfstream also has a smaller game for 10 bucks. Two games at Tampa, including a free ride game. So that's a free ride game 
on Friday at Golden Gate, a free ride game on Saturday at Tampa Bay Downs. You also have Charlestown and Woodbine on Saturday, finishing up the week with Gulfstream, Golden Gate, and Woodbine as different tracks for you for Stable Duel. Get those entries in and play, race, win. Let's head on over to Thursday, December the 2nd, and we're going to be looking at Aqueduct, Woodbine, Fairgrounds, and Turfway with a couple best bets for each of those racetracks. Get your past performances out for Aqueduct. We're going to look at races 1, 4, 8, and 9. This is for December the 2nd. So in race number one, Maiden Special Weights going the one-turn mile there. I thought the two American Law was pretty interesting. So he's going to get back on the dirt. He tried the turf the last couple times, and he wasn't bad. He is a going to be a first-time gelding now. You get a little bit of a uh, turn back from the mile and the 16th to the mile. Tariff course was yielding last time out. I think you can just put a line right through it. The ultimate equipment change with that first time gelding. This guy's shown ability in basically every one of his starts. He's never really run a bad race. And now he will likely track in just, just behind. I don't think he's on the lead in here. I think he probably wants to sit third. And maybe let the two horses to the outside go and sit right behind them. Could end up being a really good spot for American Law, the number two, who is four to one on the morning line. Anything around three to one will make a win wager on that one. As we move along to race number four at Aqueduct, first level allowance. There will be going uh, seven furlongs here. These are two year old Phillies. I like the seven Frosty Brew to the outside. So. In her debut, she wins first time out of the box at Laurel for Suge. And normally this barn doesn't win a whole ton first time out, so you kind of always take notice when they do. And then in career start number two, they faced grade one company in the Frizette, went from six furlongs to a mile. She was a step slow from the inside, and then she was immediately in tight. She was in traffic, she was behind horses, she was waiting, she backed up. She did have legitimate trouble that day. And that was behind Echo Zulu and Gerrymander. Echo Zulu came back... To win the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies by five and a quarter lengths. Jerry Mander won $150,000 stakes at Belmont next out. It was a loaded race. Frosty Brew is now going to cut back in distance to seven furlongs after going a mile. She's got some nice tactical positional speed. And she should get a good trip coming from off the pace in here. With a couple horses to her inside likely to flash a little bit more speed. Frosty Brew turning back to seven. The number seven, Frosty Brew in race number four. Eight to one on the morning line. Anything around five to one will make a win wager there as we move to race number eight. And in uh, in the eighth, we've got a first level allowance at Aqueduct, a mile and a 16th on the turf course. The number two, Space Launch. He's a really honest three-year-old. I think he's going to save all the ground with this spot here. Tried a mile and an eighth last time out. He had a fine start. He was tucked in third, fourth, and two path. It was a bit headstrong, and then he moved three deep. It wasn't bad, but the winner ended up sitting second because a couple lengths in front of him, they were going really slow fractions. He ends up winning the battle for second there behind King Cause. And Space Launch should get a great trip in here from the inside. Has shown speed, but he's, he's better off just sitting a little bit behind. And you can place him wherever. He can pass horses. Distance should be no problem for him. The number two, Space Launch, who's 8-1 to one on the morning line. I had him stacked more like a 4-1 to one shot in here. 
probably the one I like most on Thursday at Aqueduct is in the ninth. It's a maiden special weight race, two year olds. The sixth Constitution lawyer debuted on October the 21st at Belmont in a maiden special. He was a step slow. He moved inside into some traffic and he got stopped. And he backed out of a spot. He ended up having to shuffle back to last. He was about five or six lengths off and he just had nowhere to go on the inside. He tried to angle off the rail, but he moved into traffic in the two path. He tried to move outside, but he had really nothing left after just waiting, waiting, waiting. His run had been dulled. The third place finisher came out of that race to win next out by six and three quarter lengths. Life is great. Expecting a big effort from constitutional lawyer. You have an aggressive rider aboard. Don't be shocked to see him show a little bit more uh, pace or be handled um, you know, with some purpose in this race. That is Thursday over at Aqueduct. A couple plays for you for Thursday, December the 2nd at Aqueduct as we head from Aqueduct to Woodbine. Get those past performances out for Woodbine. We're going to take a look at races 1, 4, and 5 for Woodbine for Thursday. In the first race for December 2nd, optional 40, 6 furlongs on the synthetic. The number 4 Fun Cool is going to go second start off the short break. Last time out faced a really nice one. Uh, the winner came out of that one to win $100,000 stakes next out And Fun Cool actually had a good start Take uh, Was taken back inside about 6 2-3 lengths off Moved up the rail nicely in tight Was up battling for second uh, Behind a 6 length runaway winner And should step forward now with that race Under her belt The number 4 Fun Cool 6-1 to one on the morning line Anything around 7-2 to will make a win wager there As we move to race number 4 Maiden six and a half furlongs Maiden claimers here I thought the nine humorous holiday Was in a really good spot drawn towards the outside She might be the quickest Or very close to the quickest In here And I think just being forwardly placed In this group with a good spot You have Hernandez jumping aboard Lots of positives Feel like you'll get a better effort from her today If she's anything in that five to one-ish range That is fine and that's worthy of a win wager on the number nine in race number four, we're talking about humorous holiday. Let's get to the fifth race for Woodbine on Thursday. I'm looking at the six in here. Miss the hype. I love love this filly. If she's anything over two to one, I'm going to make a win wager on her. She was close up early against uh, Maiden Claimers on a similar spot on November the 11th here at Woodbine, going six and a half. And that's not easy to do. Six and a half is a really difficult distance in which to debut. Because it's kind of tricky Six and a half, seven furlongs That's where it gets kind of hard It's an elongated sprint You have to run hard all the time And that's sort of what she had to do She was chasing the one to two favorite Who ends up winning the race wire to wire by five and a half So she's in chase mode Which is the toughest place to be Especially when you're debuting And you're chasing the heavy, heavy favorite She ends up getting beat late by Moonpool Moonpool just kind of runs by her late Moonpool had a bunch of experience And was cutting back Where Miss the Hype was debuting Did a lot more of the dirty work Kind of trying her best to stay with the the runaway leader I expect Miss the Hype to take a nice step forward in here The number 6 If she's anything over 2-1 to one, I'm making a win wager on Thursday Over at Woodbine So that is Woodbine for Thursday 
anyone out there who is thinking of relocating, if you're thinking of buying, if you're thinking of selling, if you're thinking of upgrading your home at all, you have to check out Cindy Carava Full Service Realtor. Her website, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. And as a full service realtor, she can help you out in many different ways. We had an interview with her on this show just last week. She told you all about the market, how things are going at the end of 2021 into 2022. And she mentioned all of the different ways she can help buying, selling, leasing. She can help with a home improvement, like connecting you with the right kind of vendors, gardeners, landscapers, painters, people that she knows she has experience working with in a lot of her own homes. If you need help with a home loan, she can connect you with the right kind of lenders who can get you pre-approved and who can take care of a lot of that paperwork and a lot of those things that might not be easy to do on your own. She'll be honest with you. She's one of the kindest and most genuine people you will ever meet. And right now, she's actually offering you a Black Friday sale all the way through the end of the year. It started on Black Friday last week, and she will give you a major discount on any services that she provides for you. Contact her right now, and that sale goes all the way through the end of the year, December the 31st. Maybe you were thinking about, you know, selling or buying you know, after the holidays or into next year, why not take a look right now, get the cindycarava.com, contact her. You know, she's going to give you a little bit of a discount, um, on your services. So Cindy Carava with the black Friday sale right now, full service realtor. She'll take great care of you. Let's continue on with some Thursday racing. We get over to fairgrounds. We're going to look on December the 2nd at fairgrounds races one, five and six over at fairgrounds so in race number one they'll go seven and a half uh, on the turf course here optional tens five claiming uh optional ten thousand dollar claimers here i'm going to the four angel of verdun who gets back to the grass so most recently been running on the dirt and last time out was in the slop was actually favored against 10 claimers over at keeneland hooked a sloppy track that day got bumped around then just backed up i think you can put a line right through it and then look what you see prior to it you see a win at Belterra on the dirt. You see a, a, a fine fourth and, and actually a pretty tough spot at Belterra on September the 10th. Prior to that, you're winning a, a $7,500 claimer there. So I think those, anything similar to those type of races for a mayor who people may see that Belterra form and probably not think it is quite good enough to compete, but I think she is in here with this group. If you can get anything in that three to one, seven to two range, don't want to take too short on her, but she fits against this group. I don't think it's the strongest group in the world. So let's give a look to the number four angel of Verdun. Uh, Quinella is the one to beat. I think so. If you're looking uh, another one to use, uh, that would probably be the one I, I included as we get to race number five, second of uh, three that we're looking at for fairgrounds for Thursday. And we have Louisiana bread maiden special weights here going six furlongs on the main track. I took a look at the eight. Adieu Lachat. I think his most recent race at Delta is one you can just put a line right through. Completely missed the break. Was only five to one that day. Now let's look at the form before that. You have a string of like four pretty good races right in a row. Against Louisiana Breds. Not only was that last race at Delta going six, one where he had trouble early, but it was against Open Company. So three consecutive races at Evangeline against Louisiana Breds. Prior to that, you even have a good third against Open Company there. 
Back-to-back races with legitimate trouble Again had some legitimate trouble On and off track on September the 18th You start digging into his races And he's pretty consistent He generally has shown up with good efforts As of late As of 2021 He's gotten a little more tactical It doesn't seem like he has to come from way, way out of it Like he did early on in his career A little more positional speed Then number 8 Adula Shat, 5-1 to on the morning line We need around 7-2 to Don't want to take any less than that If we're trying to play this guy on the win end As we move to the 6th race at Fairgrounds First level allowance, optional 50 claimers Mile on the turf course here I'm looking at the 2-year-old Philly to the outside The number 7, Triple Tiara Who debuted at Delaware on September the 6th Going 5.5 furlongs And... That was five and a half on the dirt Was actually favored that day Really slow start Came closing late, well beaten But was behind a a next out winner in a race that's become productive Career start number two Stretches out, tries the turf Wins nicely at six to one over at Delaware Was inside, was close, about fourth or fifth Couple lengths off, was in the third flight Was traveling well And just got a great split and kicked on So I think she's just heading in the right direction I don't think she has to really improve all that much to beat this group. And if you're going to get anything over seven to two on her, I think that's a very fair price and worthy of playing uh, on the win end or keying some exotics around the number seven triple tiara in race number six there at fairgrounds. And that's on Thursday, December the 2nd final track. We're going to head on to for Thursday is Turfway Park. They have their opening night on Thursday, and we're going to look at races one, three, five. I'm going to give a mention uh, in races seven and eight also, but in the opener at Turfway. So yeah, we are looking at Turfway December the second, and we're looking at race number one, a mile and a quarter. Maiden special weights here. I thought the five Brown delivers was an absolute standout in this field. I'm going to single him in any early exotics. If he's over two to one, I'm going to play him. So he was close up. He was fifth. He was inside about two lengths off. He was saving ground. He moved up to third in the second flight, and he was waiting nicely, traveling really well, and he just couldn't swing out. There was no room until it was too late. He was trying to find room all over the place, and he didn't back up. He just hung in there. He has races on the synthetic going a mile and a quarter. And now he's going to go second start off the long layoff. Second time in the U.S. The number five, Brown delivers seven to two on the morning line. Anything over two to one, I'm playing to win. And I will treat him like an early exotics single. Let's get to race number three. I'm looking at the four in here, Sprinklehead. So. He's faced maiden specials and higher maiden claimers throughout the bulk of his career. Last time out, he was facing maiden 50s over at Churchill Downs, and he showed a little bit of uh, speed before fading on November the 12th there. The race that I actually liked is the the two-back race October the 12th at Indy on the turf. He's kind of bumped around a bit at the start. He was in between horses about four or five off. He wanted to go. He got squeezed out of a spot in the stretch. It was a really sneaky good effort. He was 47 to 1 that day against Maiden Special Weights at Indy. I think that stacks up pretty well in here. And for him, it just kind of comes down to does he take to this synthetic? Does he take to the track? You know, you have a lot of these horses in, in this field who don't have as much recency as him. He's raced in November. Uh, Pro Bono hasn't raced since the beginning of October. Valley Vista's a first-timer. Rushing Guy hasn't raced since April. Derby House hasn't raced since June. 
drum and bass as a first timer. Uh, Mr. J. McKay hasn't raced since September. That's my dude as a firster. Elvis just Elvis hasn't raced since September. Eagle Cap hasn't raced since the beginning of October. Elisa's guy, first timer. So you look through this field, he's got the recency. Him and Blaze and Justice are the two that have run the most recently. But I like that race from Sprinklehead. Two starts back. Anything similar to that? If he's able to transfer it over to the synthetic here, give him a look. The number four Sprinklehead, 12 to 1 on the morning line. Anything in the, the. Six to eight to one range is fine. I just I wouldn't want to take less than than five to one on him in here. The fifth race got a big price for you in this one. That's the number nine Burrow Down, who I'm a little surprised was twenty to one on the morning line. Burrow Down has raced four times in his in her career. She's a two year old filly. She debuted at Keeneland in April, going four and a half furlong. She actually finished behind Twilight Gleaming. Remember her? She came back out to win the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf Sprint. Career start number two in on May the 13th. There were two next out winners that day, so another productive group that Burrow Down uh, faced. Then was off from May to August. Came back in August at Del Mar, went a mile on the turf, and just didn't run all that well that day. Was off from August to October. Came back against Maiden 50 Claimers at Keeneland and had a good start, was three deep going into the turn. And then got over quickly, settled inside, two lengths off, was fourth, waited, angled around, three deep, was a clear-cut second that day, behind Surf Spa, who came back to finish second next out against Maiden 50 Claimers, third-place finisher in that race, Purity, came back to beat low-level Maiden Claimers, Maiden 15,000 Claimers. I think Burrow Down fits pretty well in here. Nobody scares the heck out of me. Second off that short break, the number nine, Burrow Down. Let's see what this guy can do, or this gal can do. Burrow down in race number five, the number nine. Uh, the one is probably one I would use along with, but if Burrow down is anything in the eight to one range, I will make a win wager on her. We got to give a shout out to uh, our buddy DZ, Darren Zocali, who you hear on this show all the time. Darren helps us out. You're actually going to hear him in just a few minutes with the old wrestling rewatch again. And Darren is part of Thorough Crowd Ownership Group. They have two horses running on opening night at Turfway Park, and they're both live, folks. I wanted to mention, because if you're playing late exotics, I really genuinely think Darren's not here at in this moment. I don't have to, uh, I wouldn't lie to you, folks. I wouldn't I wouldn't steer you with, uh, with your money in a place I didn't believe. Both of those horses can win. In the seventh race, they have the number four, Freedom Bound. Freedom Bound was right behind Hey Kitten last time out at Kentucky. And watch the race. Freedom Bound completely missed the break. Got bumped at the start. Squeezed back. Was 10 off. Moved in between. And quickly up uh, into striking range. And finished a good second there. Look at how how well she's run for the new connections ever since they claimed her. She's improved in every one of her races. Now she's got a little bit of freshening. Like a lot of these races at Turfway, it just comes down to how do you ter- how do you take to the synthetic? How do you take to the track? If Freedom Bound is in the 5-1 to one range, that's where she should be. It's a really good spot. And then in the eighth race, I think Darren's got the horse to beat with the nine. Only rewards. So she missed the break too in her last start. She was last. She was about seven lengths off of uh, in that race. Seventh, uh, she ended up kind of settling. She was last early, settles about ninth, and then moves up to you know seventh or so. She's in the two path. She moves in between horses. She closed really well. She runs into some traffic in the stretch in between, and it 
uh, kind of boxed her out of a spot and ends up costing her third that day. She wants to sit a lot closer. She's drawn well. If she breaks well from the outside, anything comparable to that two-back race on October the 12th would probably win this thing. And I would not be shocked if she ends up vying for favoritism in here. Now, it does look like the three Trickazar takes a lot of money. She's run well on the synthetic prior. But as far as a lot of the recent form, I thought only rewards was really good. And right up there. So good luck to DZ. Good luck to Thorough Crowd there. Good luck to all of you on your Thursday wagers as we uh, yeah, we had a lot of Thursday there. Bounced around some good Thursday cards. And we'll have some uh, Friday and Saturday weekend racing coming up for you on the next episode of That's What G Said. We're going to transition into our deep dive scene by scene. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Episode 2 of Hawkeye with Tim Kelly. So they actually released episodes 1 and 2 on the same night, right off the bat, for Hawkeye. And now every other week, it'll just be one episode at a time. So I, I split up episodes 1 and 2 on, on different episodes, but we just did the episode 1 recap on the, the last episode. So if you missed that, we have the full episode 1 deep dive scene by scene. And now here we go. Spoiler alert again. We're going to get into everything that happened scene by scene, quotes, important parts. Hawkeye, episode two. It's our deep dive with Tim Kelly. We are into episode two of Hawkeye. Tim Kelly joins me. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. We're going to set the episode up here and then we're going to get into everything happening. In episode two of Hawkeye, we'll do our scene by scene deep dive. And as we come off of episode one, uh, we were both very, very positive uh, about what we liked from episode one. And heading into episode two, we pick up where with our uh, our two main characters of this show finally meeting for the first time. They meet at the end of episode one, and that's how episode two picks up. And this is a uh, this is. An episode that just gives you a lot of the dynamic between these two. It's a really good chemistry between these two. Most uh, most of this episode is is two is like the two of them together, and then there's a few parts where they're uh, you know in, in separately doing things. But I um, yeah. I really enjoyed the back and forth between uh, between Kate Bishop and between Clint here, uh, Kate who. Looks up to this guy this is a hero who Saved her life her whole life Basically all of what she's done Kind of leads back to this This moment of seeing This guy save her then Her dad Pat dying and asking To for the bow and arrow Um, So this is This is huge for her and exciting For her and it's it's funny Because throughout this episode she has all this like total dorky nervous energy when she's around him. Kind of like yeah. most people would when they're, you know, someone that they look up to or maybe a, a girl or a guy they were crushing on or something like that. You get that feel with her quite a bit with Hawkeye in here. Like she doesn't want to mess up. She wants to she wants to really be cool. Oh, yeah. She wants to mention like all of the, her accomplishments and everything that she's done. Oh yeah. And I mean, he's the guy to her. Uh, you know, you you have you know, mentors and people you look up to and idols in your life. Uh, and in, in this case, this was like the number one, like hands down, head and shoulders above anybody else, like this person that she had put on a pedestal her whole life. Uh, and it's literally like this framework that she's built herself up to to try to live up to. 
Um, and uh, so, yeah, she's there. There's like heavy stakes in her mind of anything that she's going to do in front of this guy. She, she, she's going to embarrass herself or she wants to impress him. Uh, so there's all this kind of nervous energy and it makes for that much more of a, a compelling and interesting dynamic and, and chemistry between them. It's almost like that uh, Dennis the Menace, Mr. Wilson kind of energy yes. where you've got one character who's this curmudgeon and, and he doesn't want anything to do with it. And the other is just thinks that the, the, the other, uh, you know, Kate is Dennis in this scenario. <laughs> yes. Uh, she's, she's thinking that uh, this guy's just the best person in the world. That's the coolest person wants to spend all time with. Her. Yeah. So it just makes for a funny, you know, again, an odd couple kind of uh, vibe. So uh, we see in Kate's place uh, early on in this episode that she lives above, I think it's called, Herman's Hearty Slice, the the pizza place, yeah. and there are posters in her apartment for fencing, and we we see a lot of her trophies and medals again. So they, um, you know, they make reference to that multiple times. As uh, there is one point in the episode where they have to leave her apartment and they have to go find sort of a hideout, and she she takes Clint to her aunt's house. I just thought it's something to point out because we do see when she's looking through um, all the names at the apartment, the name that she ends up kind of stopping at for her aunt is Moira, uh, Moira Brandon. So just uh, a name to mention, and I like to mention all these names because usually they don't just put something out there in a coincidence. It'll probably be something mm-hmm. that we we need to know, um, you know, moving forward. And a, a couple other of the Characters that we uh, we meet in this episode, Grills, <laughs> who uh, yeah, Gr- Grills, who is a LARPer. Grills is part yeah. of the uh, the the firemen that are uh, a group of LARPers, and we actually see Clint going out to uh, this live action role play scene, and he has to become. Like part of this in order to get the Ronin suit back. So, mm-hmm. what did you think of the uh, grills and the and the LARPing scene? Yeah. So I mentioned in the last uh, podcast uh, when we were recapping episode one that I had a, a couple criticisms in episode two, and it mainly centers around this. Uh, and it's not that I didn't feel like it was fun, funny, or even uh, believable. Um, I thought it was all those things. Uh, it just didn't seem quite like essential to the story. It felt like a side mission from a video game where, you know, he's just trying to get his, his suit back and it didn't seem essential to the the main story. And it kind of reminded me of a little bit of the backstory of how this this show came to be. And it was initially going to be a, a film. And I thought to myself, oh, this might just be some padding that they built into the the, the story to kind of pad out, you know. Uh, what was initially a, a tighter, leaner film. However, the fact that they make this character grills is important. And mm-hmm. I kind of stumbled over myself a little bit in the first uh, part of the, in the first podcast there when I was mentioning this because I didn't want to like risk spoiling anything too much. But you know, grills is uh, an important character in the comics in the comic run that this uh, this miniseries was based off of. So if we continue to know this character, Grills, and they, they pay it off in some kind of fashion, it won't feel like this unnecessary diversion at quite as much. Yeah. Uh, and that and my um, my criticism would kind of be moot at that point. 
other than other than that one criticism though i i felt the whole episode was very very strong it was. Uh, and like i just said maybe my criticism is is moot so you know again it was at, it was at that level of episode one and i thought that that was really good that they could keep up that uh that quality yeah, there were a lot of just little things throughout this episode too. Clint, you know, with the hearing aid, he's got to walk on yeah. a certain side of uh of uh Kate because he can't hear her. That's on the real. Other. Yeah, my dad is deaf in one ear, and you have to walk on one side. I, I I felt that moment. That was a very realistic, grounded human moment. And the more the show can do stuff like that, have those relatable moments, and they bring this fantastic world of superheroes into you know our world and make us kind of identify with it in, in some way that the, the better an experience it is and the more we're able to buy into those more fantastic elements and uh <laughs> there's a a cosplay going on that uh <laughs> ends up being katniss everdeen so she gets mentioned now great line yeah. in this in this world which uh i thought was hilarious um i think in this episode too even more we keep asking the who is eleanor questions you know yeah who is she who is she? What's going on here? And there's this really fun kind of dynamic now between Kate and Jack, where Kate mm-hmm. thinks that something is up with Jack, and she's trying to to find it. They have a, a a fencing scene where they're like going at each other, and she's trying to call him out. She even kind of so like lunges at him late because she knows he's gonna he's gonna save himself. So. There's uh like Kate's trying to investigate Jack. Jack's trying to just mm-hmm. play this stepfather, this kind of like aloof stepfather who's you know, yeah. oh, I got there's nothing going on. So I did I in, enjoyed the um the back and forth between the two of them. Yeah, and I get the the sense that Jack is like really trying to be a like a, a stepdad, and you kind of can't tell whether it's that he's pretending to try to be a stepdad or if he's like uh if he's genuinely uh, kind of a good guy and wants to win kate over um i suspect it's the latter actually i do suspect and it all ties into you know this theory that maybe eleanor's the one that's really up to no good now my hunch is that jack probably has some kind of secrets that he's keeping but that he's ultimately a good guy and that in all these moments and these interactions he is actually trying to win kate over but it's just you know it's awkward the way it's landing it's not quite landing uh and she's suspicious of him at every turn so it, it just adds to that uh that conflict that dynamic and that awkwardness couple of the other uh, big points in episode two before we get into our scene by scene deep dive so we Meet at the very end of this episode A new character We're not really even I mean, We don't really know anything about her We just know that this is Echo This is Maya Lopez mm-hmm. And this is a deaf character now In the MCU mm-hmm. And you know, we only see her briefly One of the, uh, the tracksuit mafia guys At the end of the episode When they have uh, both Clint and Kate um, Captured one of the guys walks in and says, "Oh, hey, we've got them both." And all that that she does is she just kind of shrugs him off. It's like a little hand yeah. motion, just like shoes him away. So this is cool. This is someone that uh, mm-hmm. a lot of people are excited for. This is someone who had a big, big role in a big run in some of the comics. And mm-hmm. I guess the question we'll ask with her is, 
Um, I guess for me, one of the main things in a good way that I'm I'm curious of what is the level of these uh of the bad guys here? It's probably like the bottom is the tracksuit mafia, and then it's probably mm-hmm. like Echo, maybe right above that. Then and then I guess Kazi is like the leader of the tracksuit mafia, and then right above mm-hmm. them maybe it's Echo. I feel like she's got to answer to someone And maybe that is Kingpin Or some crime yeah. boss right? That would be cool if it were Well it's one more reason why I think a lot of people uh, Suspect that Kingpin's at the top Echo is in the comics The uh, adoptive daughter Of Kingpin So there's a direct connection there uh, And so That's probably the strongest piece of evidence So far that they are Teeing up uh, Kingpin for for this series And I think it would make perfect sense to drop him here It's New York, they're talking about a crime boss This is Marvel They're doing the interconnected thing I'm pretty sure that they already announced Or that um, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio has made mention Of that he's doing Kingpin again In something or other Mm -hmm. I think it has to be this It's got, I mean it makes, it's just too Perfect. And I don't think this is a Mephisto thing either. No. I think this is a, a the real deal. Yeah. And um, I guess one of the last major questions I wanted to ask to you was so where we are right now at the end of this episode, we know that mm. nobody knows, uh, like the public does not know who the Ronin was, but mm-hmm. do the tracksuit mafia are have like have they put together the fact that it was Clint? Does who knows? Does anybody? Mm. Does Echo? Do they know that Clint was the Ronin Or do they think that that's the, one of the Questions that I have because they're kind of stupid At the end they, they don't know Kate Bishop right. is obviously a, a, a girl and then she Falls right through and she's right there in front of them But I wonder if Echo I wonder If anyone out there does know That Clint was Ron, The Ronin And, yeah. and is, is looking for him and, and, and heck the one person that I think is at least worth mentioning Because we have not seen her in two Episodes and we do I I think I I read this or I I heard it on um on one of the other recaps. I think it was the the Ringer one uh, um the Ringerverse which and I I sort of feel similar. I think we're either going to get uh Yelena Belova, Florence Pugh showing up oh yeah in like the next episode so that way she's in three or four episodes or mm-hmm. we'll probably get her for one scene at the very end. I think it's like one of those two yeah. I don't think there's going to be an in between She's either going to be a big part of the next three or four episodes Or she'll probably just be in one scene To lead to what's next yeah. But she's coming We know she's coming Yeah, I mean I looked up the, the cast uh, Before this so I'd have all the Everyone's names in front of uh, my shout face out, You were right about to uh, Russo too With the daughter uh, Ava, ah, Russo. Nice. Ava Russo is who uh, uh, the daughter is played by Yeah Ah, that's nice. I, I wonder if that actually goes all the way back to like previous uh, performances. I'd have to look that up too. I'm I'm, I'm interested in that. I know his uh, the sons too, the the Russo kids, the boys have been in other scenes. They were like uh, the kids asking for um, Hulk, uh, Professor Hulk's autograph in that diner scene in Endgame, uh, and then I think they pop up elsewhere too. Uh, but uh, yeah, just uh. Good stuff, good stuff so far in this in this episode, uh, and it gets off to a really good start, I think. Setting the scene for episode two, and now we are going to get into our deep dive. We go scene by scene, episode two of Hawkeye. 
So we jump into our deep dive scene by scene recap of everything in episode two of Hawkeye. We we begin with the previously on, so they let us know everything that happened in uh, in episode one. And love that. Yeah, right. We got to Got to get. Got to get the little uh, the previously on. And, uh, and <laughs> you got to get recap. All, exactly. And and a lot of shows do. TK will do a very. I mean, they do a really good job of pointing out. Obviously, this is this is a little bit different because we've only had one episode, so they're going to just point mm-hmm. out some of the important stuff from episode one. But when you get deeper into shows, I always like paying attention to the previously on because when you're into like season mm-hmm. two or season three, they will specifically bring back some stuff from a long time ago. You know, that yes, you can just, I like you know, that. Yeah, you know, it's coming. You know, like some character that you haven't seen for a while or something that you're kind of like, hmm, that was weird. I wonder why that. Yeah, was got got brought up so that always something just mm-hmm. to keep an eye on in in uh, the previously ons and to see what's yeah. what's ahead for uh, it cuts both ways though it cuts both ways because I, like you said like it, it sometimes, it tips, sometimes it tips you off yeah it'll spoil yeah. it like I'm like oh that, that person's gonna be in this That's episode again though. so you're telling me Joey and Dawson I, are breaking yeah. up yeah <laughs> yeah I see where this is going already <laughs> so yeah um we get the uh, Marvel MCU intro. And we basically pick up the very beginning of episode two with the end of episode one. So we're seeing that final scene where Clint actually uh, takes the mask off of Katie. They're in the alley and he looks at her and he goes, come on. And she's like, you're Hawkeye. Whoa. And he asks, who the hell are you? And uh, she responds, Kate Bishop, you're a kid. My God, how did you get the suit? And she's a, uh, uh, I, uh, uh, she doesn't know what to say, or she, she's multiple. There's multiple reasons why she's frozen. One, I mean, she just really doesn't know what to say, right? Like, oh crap, yeah. what, what do I say? Where did I get the suit? Two, it's like this is her hero. This yeah. is a guy who she loves. So more so than just like, uh oh, I'm scared. I did something wrong. This is like she's kind of frozen in this like geeky, geeked out smile, you know? Where yeah, Hawk's got that tongue. Yep, exactly, and which is which is really cool because, like, we talked about it a little bit in the episode one um, recap, but for them to just show us why she specifically has a tie to Hawkeye, there, there's a she has this tie to him where, like, normal kids in school when they're probably talking about the Avengers and and they've got their action figures and stuff, nobody else is a Hawkeye fan. No, everyone else is talking yeah. about Cap or Iron Man or they they love the Hulk or whoever, but none of the others around probably were fans of Hawkeye. And so she that was unique to her, I'm sure, growing up her whole life, everything that she modeled around that. This was this was her guy. So for a lot of other people, seeing Hawkeye would be cool, but they wouldn't be freaking out this way, you know? Um this, oh, yeah. this, this is a big deal for her. This is how I uh when I was on TVG, one of the times I interviewed the Miz. And uh, oh, and yeah. it was it was really funny. He was like one of my favorite wrestlers at the time, and I, I love him as a wrestler. And uh, and I it was probably one of the few times I was super nervous, and and there was this like energy, this nervous energy that was really funny. And I watch it back a lot of times, and it's like I was just geeking out. It was so crazy. And uh, remember me. when you were with the Beatles? Oh yeah, that was awesome. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, Farley. <laughs> Exactly. If anyone hasn't seen that that Chris Farley sketch uh, with Paul McCartney, uh, phenomenal. Farley is the man, and uh, that's so a classic good. for sure. So good, and it, it's yeah. This is what you're you're kind of getting that feel here. So mm-hmm. quickly they hear sirens, and, and it, that's the nice thing about Clint immediately being with Kate is that 
Kate kind of like what her mom told her early on, right? You're rich and you're young, you're going to get yourself into trouble. Yeah. And she's got this youthful exuberance. She's really excitable and you can tell she's really passionate about what, you know, she wanting to help people. She she like wants to be the next Hawkeye. She wants to be the next yeah. uh, an Avenger. You can see that. Her mom even says, "You're not a hero. You're not a superhero or this or that." But she she needs a lot of learning. She she mm-hmm. all she knows is like, hey, I'm gonna try to do what's good. You know, she needs yeah. her. She needs what Iron Man was for Spider Man. You know, she needs that mentor that everybody mm-hmm. needs to to you know teach them to move them along. And so she's getting some invaluable stuff here from Hawkeye right off the bat. Like she's kind of caught and she's not even realizing that. Hey, you need to get out of that suit. Like that suit. Right. It's not probably smart for you to have on Like he's going to tell her And hey there's sirens like let's get out of here So she says yeah I've lived pretty close She's she's still starstruck a little disheveled mm-hmm. And uh, she even says as they're walking away It's like I saw a dead body It's like it's very like <laughs> stand by me here Where it's like oh my god I saw a dead body She's just like that was the first You know Yeah. And so thinking about what Clint has been through Hawkeye Ronin mm-hmm. All of the death and the destruction that he's seen, and then just hearing like her being like, "Oh my gosh, I just saw a dead body." Right. You know, they're they're living in different world. You know, from like their experience level and what they've been through. She needs someone to t- kind of take her by the hand and show her some things. As uh, mm-hmm. he, they, so they get to her uh, as they're walking along. They start talking about her fighting, and he actually says, "You know, where'd you learn how to fight?" She mentions her martial arts again. I started taking it when I was five. He says, so like a year ago. <laughs> and so he rips her a couple times on her age. Just like, I think he's yeah. a father. He probably sees a lot of his kids in her even, you know? Yeah. And it's just another way he's, uh, he's just uh, grizzled and he's kind of seen it all. You know, it, it doesn't make a difference. A kid's a kid to him, you know, he's, he, mm-hmm. um, he's just been through so much. And I, I love that dichotomy. Like you, like you pointed out. They kind of need each other for for the story because, like, yes. like you said, she's so green and naive, and then you've got this world weary uh, Hawkeye who's you know seen it all. He's been through traumatic events. He's been through like literal war on an intergalactic scale, like no no one's ever seen before. So uh, they really approach his story like he's gone through some trauma here, and I I, I like that that approach here. It, it's very grounded and. Um, it makes it seem like it's not all just fun and games and adventure that there are real consequences to it. Um, but the way that they kind of just play off each other and she kind of, you know, is this catalyst for action mm-hmm. that Hawkeye needs to take. He's got some things he, I think he needs to resolve ultimately with his past as Ronin. So that's yep. what, you know, the function that she is having in, in his life right now. And then, you know, kind of like what we alluded to before, he's, providing some much needed uh, perspective and knowledge of, of this world and getting her up to speed to the level of, you know, someone who could be, you know, a, a full fledged Avenger one day. Yeah. He knows these people too. He, he knows the tracksuit mafia. He's run. He's mm-hmm. in from just like a really basic sense. He's had run-ins with this group of people before his yeah. wife even knows them when she talks in the, we talks with her on the phone. Um, Laura knows, knows about mm-hmm. them. So that's a really interesting point too. I, I I love that that fact uh, specifically that she's so 
um, up to speed on Tuned what in. the heck's going on. You don't Everything. see that a lot in depictions of like soldiers or cops that like they're usually very compartmentalized in, in, in TV and movies and whatnot. We've seen them in the past. Usually the cop guy is like very compartmentalized. He keeps all the, the work stuff away from the family. And then when that bleeds over into the family life is when things are, you know, go- going entirely sideways. Uh, but here uh, it's actually a sign that they're pretty progressive and healthy that they trust each other like that. And then they communicate openly about, you know, kind of like classified information. Absolutely. So you almost wonder if she's got a past in some organization, mm. right? Was right, she in right. shield? Was she in something where she where is that how they met? Or, you know, like, is that where does she, cause you, like you said it, she, she knows so much. They have such a great relationship that it almost feels like, and and that mm. she's such a good actress and someone that is a she's not like a uh, someone that's going to lead movies but she's a pretty well yeah. known actress who does a lot of things you almost think there's maybe something more for her down the line even like right. there yeah, could she be, could totally be a spy or something yeah, yeah she could be a, so any think of all of the different women that we've had now recently in like in all of their different interactions she could be some sort of a mm-hmm. widow like you were saying she could be right. just someone who was working in shield you know for a while and they met and so she kind of knows the inner workings and now that she had a family she stopped working but she still right. is interested and she still you know shares with her husband and her friend everything that's going on so i like i love their their dynamic their back and forth mm-hmm. you know and it Definitely. And it's I don't know how you and your and, and your wife Jackie are now and I know how you guys mm-hmm. are. But what I like about this is that honestly, I'm super lucky because I sort of have that same kind of dynamic. Like I don't yeah. Stephanie know I'm a gambler. I smoke some weed. You know what I mean? Like she knows the stuff <laughs> my flaws. So it's like what what right. do I have to like hide or like lie about? So I don't really ever have to. So I love seeing that that dynamic because it's to me that's real. And uh you can just like you you those are the little things that you just kind of like a little bit more about Hawkeye, I think, in the first couple episodes. It's like, oh, look at the relationship that he has with his with his wife. Like it's very genuine. And even with the kids, yeah. it's like, oh, that's super genuine. And even the dynamic that he has with um in here with Kate, where it's like, yeah, he know he's he's kind of rolling his eyes a lot and he doesn't want to be around or he doesn't he he'd rather be with his family, but he genuinely yeah. is trying to help this girl and cares about her because he could very easily just walk away at any moment. And he's not like he wants to make sure what's to he just he's mm-hmm. in the driven in the very basic sense, like cap and like a lot of these are. They're just they want to do what's right and what's good. And they're they're tied to that. So, he yeah, he's come off really good in, in these first uh, first couple episodes as 100 percent. She, uh, Kate asks him, so are you, you are assess, uh, assessing threats? Is that what you're doing? He says, yeah, something like that. And she said, that's how you're oper- you operate. You're constantly looking for things that are suspicious or weird. As, uh, he says, yep. So she tells him, just so you know, I'm not some total noob. I was a little overwhelmed, but I held my own with those douchebags as they <laughs> arrived at her place. She says, some people have called me the world's greatest archer. <laughs> <laughs> He says, are you one there. of those people? <laughs> she, <laughs> she's like, uh, well, one of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was that was good, too. As uh, they, they walk up and they open the door and they head up into her apartment. And the, the dog greets them at the door. Clint says, some guard dog you've got there. She says, he's not my dog. Uh, he looks around the place. He says, nice place for a kid. 
And she mentions that she inherited it He asks how old she is 18 she says 22 and he says Same thing Now I was wondering is this a blip joke You know kind of like uh, You know some some of them have that gap of like five years that could have been missing. It's basically like, yeah, what's the difference? Kid that's four or five years at 18, 22. It's almost like uh, like they're playing on that, right? Yeah, you got to think uh, there's a lot of uh, kids that are like, you know, 18 that were blipped that are saying they're 21 going out drinking, right? I think that was in Spider-Man or something. Yeah, right? there that was. was yeah, that was. Something in there. But so, um, yeah, that that's uh, that's just a funny joke. Just another example of how they're 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 – they're landing with these good lines that just fit. They don't feel forced. Uh, and it, it, again, it just adds to that sense that he's just grizzled and seen it all. And so he uh, tells her, you know, he says, give me the, uh, give me the Ronin vest. You know, she's got the, she's got the costume on still the Ronin suit on. So he, she's, Oh yeah, my, my bad. And so she goes to, she goes up in the, in the other room to, to change. And she's like talking to herself as she walks away. She's like, totally cool just stay cool the hawkeye is in my place <laughs> he's just talking to herself under and uh he asks her where she got the suit she mentions a black market auction um he said you bought it <laughs> she said, no not exactly uh-huh so what all did you do in this suit she said she beat up a couple guys saved a dog some light b and e <laughs> just a little B and E here. Uh, another she didn't have it for that out. long. It's kind of it's funny how much she got in there, right? You're right because she did. She was, <laughs> was only on for a few minutes, but she did do all of those things. A 22 year old vigilante. Shouldn't you be in school? She responds, "Well, uh, funny you should ask." So <laughs> it's great. Like she's sitting there with her hero, someone, yeah. and, and we know that Kate is like a genuine person and that she she has right. good intentions you know but it's so funny because the thing the first two like real things that he's asking her it's like how, where'd you get the suit well yeah. uh at this auction so you bought it well no i uh, still and uh she mentions the b and e that she did in the suit yeah and then and then right after here it's like um yeah so funny you should ask i got kicked out of school too it's like everything he's asking her it's like Oh, so who the hell are you? You you don't sound like you're very, yeah. Um, he uh, so she she comes over with the uh, she's changed out and she says now that I've asked um asked answered your questions I have so many for you. It's starting with can you sign this? And she hands him her bow and she says you're my. It was really sweet. She says you're kind of my favorite Avenger. <laughs> it's just like oh you know and I think, get that a lot. No, yeah, and he doesn't. Cause she he even says, Are you okay, by the way? <laughs> right afterwards. And she's oh, I'm good. Yeah, no, I'm 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 fine. You should see the other guys. As uh he mentions the tracksuit mafia. These are the little things too. And she and she just goes, That's their name? That's just a little <laughs> on the nose, isn't it? You know, you know, like and um so they're in in a very um it, we and we saw this in a couple of the uh, the Disney TV shows. They're kind of, I think it was WandaVision where they would have maybe Darcy or Jimmy kind of ask the questions that some of the audience right. were going to ask. You know, they're kind of like playing right. along with things that we that we know at, at the audience here. Um, so they they talk a little bit. Uh, she mm-hmm. asked, "Do you think they're the ones that killed my mom's fiance's uncle?" And he stops, and it's like, huh. She's just in yeah. this 
She's one young and she's two just super sort of nervous. And like I said, she's got this nervous energy where she's got this verbal diarrhea going on. It's <laughs> kind of like she doesn't have any filter in her brain right now to stop the stuff from coming out. Yeah, and it, it, it just, again just goes back to that she's just fangirling left and right. I mean, yep. she wants him to to sign her bow of all things. <laughs> and then yeah, it's so like out of context. Like at this point, Hawkeye uh, doesn't even know. Clint doesn't even know that there's this other murder thing, and she's just talking about mom's boyfriend's uncle's murder. You know, like that's just. Like, what is this girl on right now? You know, she seems like a degenerate. Um, so he's like, uh, what? And she says, uh, Armand the third of at least seven. And he's like, I don't, I, I, I don't know. Is like super confused. He asked, mm-hmm. did anybody see your face? She says, no, kept the mask on like a pro. Anytime she can, you know, I'm a pro. Yeah, I'm I'm good. I'm not a noob. Yeah, I can do this. I can do this. Like who you who you trying to convince, Kate? You know, we love you here, Kate. But uh Clint asks her, okay, because you know, the he mentions to her the person that wore this suit made a whole lot of enemies, and the track suits are just one of them. He said, You told nobody about this suit, right? She says, No. He asks again, there's no way you're connected to this suit. She said, That's right. I need you to be sure. I am certain. Yep. And so right then, as she says, she's certain he asked, well, they must have followed you from the auction where I found you. Did you stop anywhere before that? She thinks for a minute, I stopped to drop off the dog and then (laughs) boom, like boom, we just hear right outside. uh, Hey, Kate Bishop. And it's the tracksuit mafia. They've found them. Kate realizes that, uh, She's not much of a pro as she as she thinks. Is yeah. uh, uh, she uh, her name's on the front door? I think exactly. Some, something That's like what that. she says. Yeah. She's like, um, oh yeah, my name's on the buzzer. Oh <laughs> no, get down! And so they're throwing these Molotov cocktails in, where they're lighting. This was great. This is so funny. And they're lighting yeah. these on these bottles on fire, and they're throwing them in. So they throw one in, and Hawkeye catches one in his hand and yeah. then just chucks it right back at him. <laughs> the way yeah. these guys react when they come when the fire comes back at them and they're like, yeah. oh my god. You know, they're just screaming and they start yelling at each other. They're like fighting with each other. Um Kate actually fires a flaming arrow, right zings it right past yeah. Hawkeye through the window outside and it actually redirects one of the bottles that they were launching in and it looked awesome. And she yeah. was so freaking proud of herself, man. She was just chick chin up looking at Hawkeye. <laughs> she, she like forgets that these guys are like throwing flaming bottles and trying to kill uh-huh. her. And, and both of them, she even said, uh, what did she say? Um, right after or she, she made a funny comment right after that. Uh, I told her something like that. She, she shouts, um, uh, I told you, you know, like right, right, right. something like that. Right, right at him, like told you, is exactly what she says, and he's like, <laughs> she nailed it. Yeah, oh, <laughs> like, it was, it was awesome sick. Shot. It was an awesome and, shot, and it was preceded by that moment you described where he catches the Molotov cocktail. Never seen anything like that in in a movie before or a TV show. Uh, that was such like a, a highlight for me. We talked. I think you mentioned something about like 
those those big moments and you kind of compared uh eternals like what was that moment in, in eternals like that was me- as memorable as as mm-hmm. as this this is one of those moments yes. uh like I, I i that's one of my favorite uh action moments of recent cinema history like legit like across the board outside mcu i'm trying to think of like a, an action moment that was as cool as that and the fact that they were able to make it funny too like it was kind of slapsticky but also just a badass moment where this hero gets to shine with something you haven't seen before uh i really liked it um i wish i hadn't seen it in the the trailers but i mean how do you keep something that badass out of the trailers if you got it in your pocket you gotta you gotta unleash it let them know this show is gonna be good and it paid off like that was a cool moment it was so good it was and it was it was great because it was one of those moments even for uh for hawkeye where it was like you know, Hawkeye does some cool stuff, but as we've been mentioning, uh, like a lot, one of the running jokes in this in this series, and they lay into it, is that Hawkeye's yeah. not one of the main Avengers, and Hawkeye's not right. this high profile guy who's on billboards all over and who people have action figures of and is doing all these cool things. And so yeah. it's this moment where Hawkeye does something really cool and like really yeah, badass, and he's. He's not like showing off, but it's just this moment where it's like, I'm sure he's like, oh, that was awesome in his head. You know, like that was pretty cool what I did. And then she zings this awesome arrow right past him. And it's like almost one ups him, you know, and it's like, damn it. Damn it. What does Hawkeye have to do to get a little love around? (laughs) Now there's this new girl in here one up at him, but it was just great. I I loved it. I thought it was so well done. And uh, he says, I got to get the suit. She ends up shooting at the fire. So now she's like, she's feeling it, you know, she's feeling it is like a basketball player that's hit like three threes in a row and they just take a shot from like half court. That's just not close. So she shoots (laughs) at the fire extinguisher to try to just get it to explode. And the thing starts flying all over, going all over their house. It almost hits them. They have to duck, but then it does. It hits the bullseye. Yeah, it does hit their bullseye. bullseye, And then it goes out the window, like right at the tracksuit guys. So. Again, it's uh, you know, like one step forward for her, and then two steps back with with how cool she looks in front of uh, her hero. Right, and it ended up not being so bad since uh, the the thing ended up flying at the tracksuit guys in the end. Uh, but uh, yeah, exactly. She she wants to seem like she's super in control and she's got this thing, but she's she can't hide the fact that she's super green and she's kind of making it up as she goes along. (laughs) So they end up um. Trying to get the suit but they can't And as the the place is burning Her her apartment is burning down It's in flames And they have to find a way out So they end up uh, They end up Going through the fire escape And out in front these tracksuit dudes Are just the best is just them Any scene that these guys are in All of yeah. the background commentary of them just like yelling at each other, what the heck, bro? What the fuck, bro? Come on, bro! And they're just like, they can't agree on anything. They're stupid, but they're they're yeah. funny. They're really funny. And like another, that's just like another thing. Like you think about some of the movies, and maybe sometimes you have to think for a minute about villains and stuff. Like these, this group of villains. When you think of Hawkeye, you're gonna be like, oh, those tracksuit dudes. You know, that's like yeah. a group of villains who you'll think of, and it'll kind of make you smile. And like you were getting to, there's. There's things in all of these shows, and now there have been three or four. Even go to Black Widow, we, you know, the the song, the American Pie, and the some of the scenes that were good. And that wasn't a movie that we even thought was the greatest. We thought it was good wow. and we enjoyed it, but we right. wouldn't have stacked it towards the top um, 
But th- no. that's what's so great about these Marvel MCU things is that they all, almost all of them, and all of the ones that we really like, have those. And there have been yeah. already uh, uh, some really good ones in this show in, in just a couple episodes in. And uh, this this scene mm-hmm. in in the apartment when it's on fire and they're getting the, the Molotov cocktails and everything, tracksuit guys outside. Uh, Clint tells her to just grab the dog and go. She asks what about the suit. He says, don't worry, leave it. We'll come back for it. We'll come back for it And then out front The uh, the tracksuit dudes are now fighting with Like the owners of some local restaurants That are out in front Because these people that are like owners of a pizza place Came out to see what the hell is going on Why are these crazy people throwing bo- f- Bottles of fire yeah. in, and out, in and out of a window And they're like yelling at these people And there's just all this ruckus going on in the street As uh, we get Hawkeye and Kate Escaping And they, you know, they leave together, but they don't really have anywhere to go. Uh, so the, some of the funny verbiage, like the tracksuit dudes out in front, the mafia, you were on fire like a little shish kebab. I saved you. Yeah. <laughs> he said to one of them. <laughs> that just got me chuckled. I had to, I had to mention that line. Um, yeah, I laughed at that one. Um, yeah. So they are now heading to the subway, and so Kate asks, "Where are we going?" And you know Clint says getting further away From the people trying to kill you And Kate's like she's You know she's got some adrenaline flowing Right now she's pumping this is like She's she's with Hawkeye And they just escaped and their Place is on fire and people are throwing Stuff at them and she shot a flaming arrow At some dude <laughs> and she's you know And uh she's you know Where are we going and after that And he goes uh <laughs> we'll, we'll need Some supplies and Kate goes, Hell yeah supplies. Avenger supplies uh, And then we, the next scene They're in like a liquor store And Clint's grabbing Neosporin And Q-tips <laughs> And he asks her Hey uh, can you grab a couple of things of rubbing alcohol For the wounds <laughs> She <laughs> just uh, I'm not gonna lie this is a bit of a letdown So sorry to disappoint <laughs> you And that's when he asked her to grab the rubbing alcohol And I thought This is the kind of thing that I think people Would have come into this show or maybe not wanted to watch this show because oh, Clint's kind of a boring regular guy, and this and these are the things that I really like. The fact that he's got to yeah. stop, and he's a regular dude. He's got to put the band aids on. He's got bruises. Yeah. Like he can't just heal himself. He's not in an Iron Man suit. None of those things. Those are things you don't you don't think about when you're watching Clint and when you're watching Hawkeye through the years and all the the battles that he's been in. But it's Father time is undefeated Yeah you mm-hmm. know it's it, like he's got He's wearing all of those wounds on his sleeve Yeah and I, I love that You mentioned that and sleeve specifically Because it extends outside Of Hawkeye too it, it, they even try to Approach the larger than life Supernatural and, and superhero Characters uh, with that too um, If you look at uh, The this the Health effects that Tony Stark had After the first Iron Man uh, and all along his journey, really, um, if you look at what they're doing now with Hulk and how he's got a crippled arm uh, and that's going to ca- be be carried with him uh, moving forward. I think that, that as we just saw at the end of Shang-Chi, uh, we saw uh, Bruce Banner and he had the, the his arm in a sling uh, mm-hmm. as well. So it seems like that those real world consequences, they apply not just to, you know, our you know, humans like like uh, Clint here. Uh, but really everybody uh, Wherever they can Marvel tries to inject it 
in what if. Oh, yeah, with his hands. And, yeah. And, and like everything to do with the multiverse, right? Every decision that somebody makes changes yeah. where they are. Doctor Strange, everything that he was doing, he was becoming this monster, like a literal monster in what if. Like he was absorbing all these crazy energy and all these limbs were coming out of him. And so, uh, yeah. yeah, this is uh, this is fun as Kate and Clint. You know, continue to talk about their plan moving forward. So she asks, "Okay, what's the plan?" She's kind of sneaky, you know, like, "What? What's the plan?" Let me guess. We're gonna go to your safe house, the Avengers Tower. It's like, no, Tony sold that a few years ago. It's like every response is like, "No, kid, this isn't like as cool as you think." You know, I go, we fight, and then I gotta go home and soak in an ice bath afterwards. You know, this right. is not like it's like party time, like you uh, like you're expecting, and not all glitz and glamour. Yeah. As, uh, How about that tidbit there, though, about uh, Tony selling, selling Avengers Tower? So yes. who bought it? Yeah, could it could it be maybe like Reed Richards, Fantastic Four, something like that? Or I mean, could it be, um, you know, Doctor Doom? Uh, who who's could it be Wilson Fisk? Uh, I don't know who would who got could that kind buy of capital, a, a that kind of money in this world in this yeah. right? And that's a another really good little tidbit that they that they uh, leave you with here and. She says that's sad on so many levels. As they approach the cashier, he he is talking with uh with Kate, and he kind of looks and he's like, "Okay, what do you want with me? Uh, you know, I gotta I gotta find a place to stash you safe, so I can recover the suit and clean your mess." She says, "Stash me? I'm not a bag of money." He says, "This is actually the probably the most harsh that he is to her in the whole." Part where he kind of says, "No, you're not. A bag of money would be useful to me." And then he <laughs> steps up. It was like, "Oh, that was kind of mean." But yeah. he, it was sort of like a, it was sort of jokey. And then it, and it was, it was well timed to where he just kind of steps up, and he, uh, he, he pays. And she mentions that she does know a place ten blocks away. So she said, "Would a bag of money know a place?" <laughs> <laughs> so she's just so much trying to show her worth, TK. Yeah. Yeah, that that was a funny little moment there. Uh, and then yeah, she is worth uh, something there. She kind of uh, one ups him in that in that moment. She proves him wrong. Uh, she does have some ability to be helpful in this moment. And uh, I think uh, from what we know about her, she's just going to continue to surprise him uh, like that. It's just like such a kid comeback too, right? Somebody calls right. you stupid. Somebody calls you stupid. Would a stupid person be able to do this? You know, or. Right. Would a, a slow person be able to run i could beat you in a rate you know this it's it's great just again showing her uh her youth as and yeah. also at the same time how she really wants to prove herself um so she yeah she mentions that uh, she she has a place that they can go it's about 10 blocks away and they arrive at an apartment building and kate looks at the names on uh on the buzzer and she presses every button. She does stop yeah. when she looks at 6D for Moira Brandon, which is her, her aunt's mm-hmm. place that we come to find. But she's, uh, hello, uh, I got a pizza for, uh, I got a, for, uh, hello. And, yeah. and somebody buzzes her in. So she, uh, she plays the trick here again. And I think you hit, uh, on a, on a point we were talking earlier. She's very resourceful. You know, you mm-hmm. find this out. Sort of the opposite, I think, of what her mom said to her at the beginning, which you kind of would think that like a rich girl who had maybe been privileged wouldn't have, you know, the the kind of street smarts to put a lot of things together. But right away, 
the stuff with shit with the tuxedo, grabbing the stuff at the waiter, the Gary stuff in the room with the uh, you know, with the auction. We've seen in a lot of situations, she's pretty quick when she's on her mm-hmm. has to like think on her feet. Yeah, and I love like her technique. It's this like blunt force kind of uh just being confident, looking a person in the eye and, and just kind of like overwhelming them or like confusing them, communicating in a way that seems casual and uh, like off the cuff, uh, but just subverting that with like mumbling or just like challenging the person directly. Uh, And I I love like exactly what she says here. She's like, yes, hey, uh, hi. Yeah, we're, uh, I got pizza. Uh, (laughs) And and then she's like, I got pizza. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. She just says like uh-huh, uh-huh. Like like so that you can just picture the person on the other line going, Oh, okay, this just seems normal. Like this you know. And then it, 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 she just gets buzzed in, you know. So it's it's really cool. She's kind of just hacked uh the, like the social network around her in, in, in a way that uh seems really clever, but it isn't super complicated. She just kind of smiles and, and uh it acts confident, acts like she's supposed to be there. So they uh get into the ants uh the ants room room here and the she so she put, picks out her lock uh first obviously to get to get in and she mentions it's not a fortress but it's my aunt she's in florida for the winter and uh they get inside as uh clint needs to clean the wounds so he uh he mentions use this use soap disinfect it I'm going to go back to your apartment and get the suit And then I'm going to go back to my kids And she's like Oh yes Clint you may enter My apartment don't you need my keys <laughs> she's like, No I'm good Stay here So um, out in front of the apartment As Clint goes back And I like that the, the pace of this Is all It's not like Fast to where it's not 24 Where there's a, a clock ticking down But you yeah. know that there are kind of immediate stakes with the holidays and that he's got to get with the family and stuff. And, mm-hmm. and so it moves. It's not like, Oh, the next scene is a day later or two days later. It's literally right then. Like he walks outside yeah. and then walks back to where he was, which I, I kind of like from, from an understanding that the time and the scope of everything, uh, yeah. the cops and now a big crowd of people have arrived as would be the case. If, there were some mm-hmm. crazy people throwing uh, cocktails that are <laughs> flaming in the streets of New York. And uh, yeah. he sneaks over to a fire truck and he puts on a, a, an extra fireman suit and, and helmet. And he walks into Kate's apartment, sort of looking around, trying to find the suit. And he can't find it. He, he's trace, retracing his steps. He knows right where it was and it's not there. So he looks around. He walks back outside. And then he sees a sticker on the fire truck that says New York City LARPers. So he, he takes note and then he walks away and he heads back to uh, to Kate's aunt's where Kate is staying. When he walks back into Kate's, she's on the phone with her mom. Now, she never mentions him to her mom, uh, Kate. And this is where you're I'm like really picking things up because I'm just in my head thinking about me, 22 years old. Like if I'm at a party with my family and there's like a, the party gets attacked by killers yeah. and murderers and stuff, and I'm and then she's just kind of having these nonchalant conversations with her mom, like it was like not that big of a deal. That seems really weird. That does seem really weird, and it's like you got to wonder was the mother, you know, preoccupied with 
something uh, to do with the, the nefarious activities going down what, with the robbery, perhaps? Does she have some connection to the tracksuit mafia at a higher mm-hmm. level? Uh, you got to wonder. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's very strange. Uh, uh, just one more thing that makes you think that uh, she could be the, the big bad. Maybe she's some kind of conduit or connection to, you know, Knockwood here. I'm hoping Kingpin Wilson Fisk. Yeah, yeah, maybe she's tied with him, with Echo, with all of them. You know, she's like a different level on the uh, that that someone has to answer to, or maybe she's the money or the backing or something. Mm-hmm. You know, with her security uh, ties and what she's able to do, she could be a big help to to a lot of different bad people who are trying to find mm-hmm. things out. And so she says bye to her mom. Uh, says I love you, and or. She says something for Eleanor. That was crazy. An explosion, some kind of black market auction. And then right away, where Kate's just like, I got to go. Love you. It's like my mom or dad would be like, what are you? You got to go. Where are you going? Yeah. We just were in this. We almost died. Like, what are you talking about? So that that was a little off. I mean, she she doesn't want to completely tell her mom what she's doing right now. I think she's worried. She knows her mom would be mad. But yeah, I, yeah there was a little something weird here. I think that that's just kind of showing us more that uh, Eleanor is up to something as uh Clint asks afterwards she says since when did everybody start saying i love you to everybody all the time she goes that's my mom since when did your heart shrink three sizes and and his response was pretty good when a little girl in a ninja costume stole my christmas oh <laughs> guy's got quips yeah he's sharp he's quick as uh she goes oh you know she's kind of damn as uh she is using a frozen pizza to ice her face, uh, to ice like a, a bump on her head. And mm-hmm. Clint looks at her and says, well, and she, she's kind of like looking back at him. She says, what? I'm multitasking, reducing swelling and thawing out the pizza uh, and thawing out pizza dog's breakfast. <laughs> he goes, that, that's the dog's name. It doesn't really have a name. It's more of a title of nobility. Like Earl of Sandwich, shout out because that's one of <laughs> Stephanie's favorite restaurants. She loves the uh, the Earl of Sandwich. Uh-huh. Clint asks about the wound. She says it's okay. It still hurts a little bit. And he goes, "Ah, oh, shit! Did you clean it?" And she says, like how a kid would respond if their parents asked if they brushed their teeth when they were right. like, four. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I did." I brushed I brushed them, you know, and you go and check the toothbrush and there's no it's not wet. There's nothing on it. It's like, no, you didn't. Um, so he helps her here. Uh, he says, I got to redo it. You know, I'm just going to take it off. I'm going to rip it off like a Band-Aid. Ready? One. And he, he rips it off. He's just going to clean it up. You don't want this to interfere. Uh, you want this. You don't want this infected. It'll ruin your week. And then he looks and he's actually, oh, you know, that's not so bad. It's just a deep scratch. And he and he shows her this is. A, a cool moment. He just teaches her. It's something small, but he says, "You want these perpendicular. You want to close it. This is helping it cinch, and it can mend. Uh, they can mend to each other faster." And boom, here we go. Ah, good. And he's done. So there, you know, he's warming up to her a little bit more here too. It's not. It's not as if he doesn't like her. He's just he wants to get back to his family. He's got other stuff to do, and he. I think honestly, he didn't. You don't know who she who is she she you catch her stealing the suit you catch her breaking yeah. into places she's talking about getting kicked out of school like you gotta you can get a sense that she's not a bad person but who the hell knows right. you know that's uh, a lot of good faith from from Clint here yeah absolutely so 
Yeah, uh, she asked about his pace, uh, about her place. How's my place looking? He said that it's crispy. He didn't get the suit. And she says, but you do have a lead. He says, what makes you say that? And and then he looks on the table, and there's a drawing, like a sketch. And he says, what's this? She goes, oh, I started to, to to kind of describe what I could remember of those tracksuits' faces. And he goes, I guess you're not an art major. Yeah. <laughs> so again, he's just some some funny little one-liners that aren't like, and it's it's good. They don't have to set you up for the joke, you know. They just kind of right. say it like little like deprecating. It's you know. Um, so she offers. She said I would buy you a hotel because I know this looks like it's all my fault. But my mom canceled all my credit cards due to the whole clock tower stuff. He <laughs> lets her know. Don't worry about it. It's not necessary. I'm gonna be out of here in a minute. Um, but thank you. And she says, okay, I, I guess I'll see you tomorrow. So. She goes off to go to sleep And Clint just has a little bit more work to do But their relationship always from the beginning was good I mean, it was there was something there They have good chemistry on screen as actors And that they have a good back and forth And right now, that was like a good little moment Of like a a real moment where Clint kind of let his guard down for a minute To genuinely teach her and and help her out with how to clean the wound Because he doesn't want it to get infected for her And it's going to be all messed up So he wasn't like throwing zingers at her For a few seconds there Which was a, a cool moment for them to have Yeah, it was a mo- moment of vulnerability And sensitivity And uh, it was it was a nice uh, sweet moment Where they bonded And also she learned So it's again cementing that dynamic Of you know the, the mentor And um, the protege here and uh, it, it develops their relationship that much more. So she's asleep, and Clint's doing a little research. He looks up the New York City LARPers. He's trying to put two and two together from earlier. Suit wasn't there. He finds an Instagram video of Grills, yeah. and Grills is in the Ronin suit. Grills is a firefighter, and he's posted, and his video says, People always like Grills when you get a new costume. Your costume looks pretty bad. How about now? You see me? <laughs> when you see me sneaking and creeping, it's too late. You're already dead. Ninja style. And Clint's That's just great. like, oh, shit. Because he sees that Grills has got the costume. He's posting it on Instagram. He's loving it. So, I mean, positive, he knows where it is. Negative, mm-hmm. he knows it's going to take him more time. So right. he texts his daughter back. And says, you know, pack and get ready. We're going to be leaving in a few hours. And uh, although he's not going to be able to leave with them, he has a cool little moment with Pizza Dog, where the dog uh, comes over and he says, "Yeah, you're a good dog. I'll be back in the morning." So, yeah, and it's cool because again, like he leaves, and where does what happens next? Boom, he's right back to his hotel, and it's his kids waiting outside. So it was just a couple hours later. It's not days later, and. So what did you think about the uh, before we get there? What did you think about the uh, introduction to Grills, who uh, who is someone who may be a bigger deal than just this random guy who gets a hold of the Ronin suit? Yeah, uh, I thought this moment was really funny. The Instagram uh, search uh, when, when he stumbles upon him there, just just the way he said that. Uh, how about now? You see me like uh, I, I thought that was just one of the funnier uh, things I've I'd seen in the in the MCU recently. And Grills. Um, I guess I was a little confused 
first. That was the one thing of like, how did Clint find him so fast online? Like that's, that's pretty lucky. I, I wasn't a hundred percent sure like what method he used, but you know, I'll look the other way. I'll just uh, assume he, he, he's, he's pretty smart with that kind of stuff I, and figured it he out. Was on, he went to Instagram, I think, and he, he yeah. got onto Instagram pretty quick, but you're right. No, it was like, you that was it's like that even was, that like what would you search for ninja suit or something like that yeah, or like just somebody just so for happened the, for the larpers and i think it was the larpers that right got right the larpers but that was good point good point. there was still a lot i mean there there were it was gonna that's take a, you that's a, a big leap yeah absolutely but it made it made sense so they, they they foreshadowed it with that moment of him seeing uh the larp sticker uh when he went to investigate and, and look for the suit in the first place so you know that uh, that all makes sense i liked it um and I definitely feel like if this Grills character, uh, if they come back to him after this episode, it's going to feel like a like a, a worthwhile uh, process, this whole story. However, at this stage, I did kind of start getting the vibe of like, oh, OK, they're kind of taking a, a side mission right now. Yeah. To, yeah. If you think of like a video game, this is not the main story. This is like one of those optional stories that you can generally skip when you're playing a video game if you're not mm-hmm. a completionist. It doesn't um, have a and, whole lot of relevance to mm-hmm. to the the, yeah. the major plot points of what what's happening. Yeah, it's just an extra step, an extra hurdle to jump through. And granted, it, it makes for some funny moments. However, I also kind of was a little bit, um, I guess, disappointed just because I felt like I'd seen this before. There's a great comedy called Role Models, which you've probably seen. Yeah, Sean William uh, Scott in Red and Paul oh, yeah. Red. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, fantastic film. Uh, David Wayne directed that one. One of the guys from the state. Uh, uh, I think it's super underrated. It holds up. Uh, but there's this whole like third act with with um, LARPing and stuff. And I kind of feel like we, we'd seen uh, and mined that territory already. And I, I think I even saw something else recently that mm-hmm. reminded me of role models again. So it just felt like well treaded territory a little bit, and uh, that added to the sense of like. Why do we need this right now? Yeah. It's kind of it wasn't, out of it wasn't, place. Yeah, it was like it wasn't bad or anything, but I know what you mean. It kind of felt like maybe a little extra, a little something that was added on, or maybe shoehorned in. I did get a couple laughs at, at, during the 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 scene, and just like the whole like larping Definitely. thing always make, makes me laugh in general. You know, just kind of like the whole because it's funny. It is funny. It is like everyone out there getting into their stuff. It's great, and that. Again, yeah. we're the type of people that would that are going to do this at some point if we if I think we discussed that we should at some point because this is that would be hilarious. And oh, yeah. uh, so they're outside the Peninsula Hotel. Clint is putting the kids in the car and getting ready to send them home. And he says, uh, you know, uh, this is this is the car to the airport. Once you get to the airport, Cooper's in charge. He's telling the, the young kid, no donuts, buddy. And his daughter says, what? He's in charge. Why? He's an idiot. His son says, I may be an idiot, but I got seniority. And they say your mom, your mom's gonna be waiting for you when you uh, when you get there. And uh, he, the one son asks, "Is this about the ninja?" <laughs> and Clint says, "No, it's not about the ninja. More importantly, remember those words: don't lose Nate." They look around. Where's Nate? Where's Nate? They can't find him. <laughs> they, they found Nate as uh, he's he's laughing. And so again, I mean, all the interactions and stuff with the family, it doesn't come off. For, sometimes it's hard to 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 fake a family, you know. You can mm-hmm. it can really get actory with a father and a son, or a father and a daughter, or like they're oh, sitting yeah. at the table, and it's like, oh, that's just not. I didn't get the feels of any of that. With I love the relationship that he has yeah. with the kids and with uh, with his wife. It's it's very it's very genuine. Mm-hmm. 
I, I like the term lived in, like when describing a, a movie, if something like a setting feels lived mm-hmm. in, this family uh, feels like uh, lived in, for lack of a better term here. Uh, I just it, there's something authentic about it. Uh, the way that the um, Jeremy Renner and uh, his performance reacts to the kids He's not trying to like impress them like I see a lot a lot of times um, when uh, actors play a parent they, they play the the parent in this weird way like they're trying to impress the kid a little too much uh, maybe that's partly the way that they write a lot of these characters but then uh, on the other side of it the kids were just very natural you got the sense that they probably spent a lot of time together did a lot of rehearsals uh, that Jeremy Renner spent time with these kids and they got, they developed a rapport uh, and just a looseness and, and, um, and that, that shows up on the screen and it, mm-hmm. it, 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 it they feel like a family. Mm-hmm. He's known these kids probably for 10 years now too, or some of them, right? The, the mm-hmm. older ones, they played as kids in some of the right. other movies that, you know, so even if you don't, you're not with them day in, day out, he just, these are established relationships that he's known for a while. He's seen these people. He's and you could tell they, they've done, they did a really good job. Uh, I thought with a lot of the, uh, the family stuff he's talking with his daughter and she says dad you have a cut on your forehead you know should we be worried um and he says no it's nothing you know daddy's got this it's no big deal come on and uh, she she mentions i thought you were going to be home for christmas he says i will be and she asks to promise he says i promise and he said i said cooper's in charge but he's not you're in charge you always have been look after those boys merry christmas so the 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 promise I'll be home for Christmas. Now we've got the the clock ticking. Got to be home for Christmas because he made the deal with, or he, he promised his daughter he would. But I did think right before there was also another interesting point when we saw the younger son say, "I love you, Dad," and he signed to him when he said it. Yeah. Um, uh, because we know that Clint is having problems with his hearing, and we know that we're gonna find out in just a little bit at the end of this episode that there's another major main character. Who also mm-hmm. is deaf And so I, I thought that's kind of cool Because now you're already wondering and thinking Okay I know Clint and her are going to have to interact At some point and it's probably mm-hmm. going to be You know this is probably going to be a part of it So just another thing to keep an eye on That you know Clint's hearing is gone And his kids are not They're not annoyed by trying to have to learn Sign language maybe to be able to kind of Interact mm-hmm. with their dad a little bit more Yeah and that's a, a great thing I think that the uh, the writers here uh, Included uh, not only are they laying some groundwork for Clint to be able to, you know, functionally communicate with Echo later on down the line in par- as part of the story, uh, but it's also just inclusive in a way that makes everything feel more real. We've kind of touched on other details throughout these MCU uh, properties uh, and how uh, when something uh, gets representation in this world, it just adds to the sense of, of, of realism. You know, what we experience on a, on a day-to-day uh, basis in real life is just a, a whole spectrum of people with, you know, various abilities and disabilities and, you know, all sorts of races, creeds, religions and things. And the more we see this diversity uh, on screen in a, in a natural kind of way, um, the 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 better it is for everybody the better it is for the story and the better it is for people out there who are living with uh those uh, living in that the, that reality maybe with with their own disability or 
or with their own identity that hasn't seen much representation and they're getting you know a little bit more out of it and we're all getting a little bit more out of it just by uh being exposed to to that uh that diversity and that variation so we look back at uh kate she's in her aunt's apartment and she's watching the news a major nypd investigation is underway new york socialite Armand Duquesne was found dead in his home last night. Witnesses saw a mysterious figure leaving the scene. That's Kate. They're talking about the mysterious mm-hmm. figure who was in the Ronin uh, costume. Now, we remember Kate didn't do anything. She showed up and he was already dead. But now people think that the Ronin, who was ever, whoever was in the Ronin costume, did that. So now she is in a weird way wanted for murder. People don't think it was her, but the... You know, there is footage and pictures of her on the news right there. And Clint even says, wow, it's been less than 24 hours and you've been on the news <laughs> twice. Pretty impressive. Told you that suit was bad news. And she's kind of freaking out now. It's like, oh, I'm I got uh, 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 the I got to go. Tells her, no, that's the last thing you need. Let's not forget the tracksuit guys trying to kill you twice yesterday. I'm going to find this suit until I do. You're going to stay put. It's not safe, obviously. She says not showing up at work is not safe. My mom is already high strung. I'm surprised she hasn't called me already. Exactly, right? Where's your mom right now? Like, she's not worried about all the stuff that you've said. Auction yeah. tracks, you guys. What's going on? You were you had to escape all of this. But yeah. she she convinces Clint that look, I'm not just gonna stay put. And he realizes <laughs> it right away too. He even says like. You're just not going to listen to me, are you? And he's just, no. So she says, look, my mom runs a security company. It's literally the safest place I can go. She says, I want to listen to you, but no. So Clint tells her to go get changed. You look silly. She's wearing some ridiculous something of her aunt's. That's (laughs) just, I don't know, it's like a bow. She's got like a big boa on. It's very shiny and sparkly. She ends up going and putting on like a pantsuit. And uh, they end up heading to her work. So they leave the aunt's apartment. They're walking through Times Square. And as they're walking, he steps on the outside of her. And this is the scene that you kind of referenced earlier. Like if you know or you have a family member or a friend or someone who's hard of hearing and they can only hear Mm -hmm. out of one ear, you have to sort of plan where you sit and how you walk with them if Mm -hmm. you want to be able to have a conversation with them. Yeah, and again, that was just one of those little details that, you know, for me, I'm 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 the person who experienced that in real life and just seeing that represented on screen, it felt real. It felt like the writers are paying attention to the details of this world and these characters, and that's the that's the type of stuff that I like that I really, you know, um uh, I'm attracted to when I'm looking at a at a story. Those those details are what uh are kind of make or break it. So the Kate um, the Kate Clint dynamic is is pretty funny here as they're walking through Times Square because first we see a kid who, well, well, first we see some some flashes of why he's deaf. She asks like, what what happened? Why do you have a hearing aid? We see explosions and some of the battles that Clint has been a part of, flying through glass. He jokes, uh, hard to tell. Can't really pinpoint what it was, right? It could be a million different things that uh, that ended up uh, starting to to make the hearing go. But behind them, there's a little boy talking to his mom, and he says, "Mommy, uh, mommy, a superhero." 
she says, wow, Stevie, do you want to say hi? And so where they're standing, they're standing behind Hawkeye. It looks like they're talking about Hawkeye. And so the the kid kind of starts to walk over towards Hawkeye, but he walks right past him. And there are a bunch of people dressed up in cosplay costumes that are, you know, dressed up like Captain America, Iron Man. And one of them, in fact, is actually Katniss Everdeen, who he who he mentions uh, because she Kate says to him, oh, look, that's you over there. He says, no, that's that's Katniss Everdeen. Let's go. (laughs) Yeah. So I thought that was kind of funny because it was like a little sad. You know, because you mm-hmm. thought like the kid was like, oh, look, it's a hero. It's it's Hawkeye. And then he just walks right past him. Yeah. And both Kate and Hawkeye kind of think in that moment that the kid's talking about him. Obviously, as the an audience, we are, too. They, they totally bait and switch it. But then they have that great uh, kind of the coda to that that scene there with with the cat Katniss Everdeen uh, line, which is just hilarious. I think uh, one of the funnier lines of the the episode, and it's also just another specific detail that makes this world feel more like our world. It's just another detail that adds to the to the realism of it, you know, because we have Katniss Everdeen in our world, we have uh, you know like Superman in, in our world, DC Comics and stuff, and so it's really cool that Marvel is just just not shying away from including those things as part of their world. Uh, like, like we saw recently in Eternals as well. So Kate is trying to give him some friendly advice now. She tells Clint, you know, your problem is branding. <laughs> he goes, this is not my problem. And uh, in the ninja suit that people are trying to kill you because of it, that, that whole thing's a problem I'm going to solve today so I can go ho- home to my family. She goes, no, it's branding. Your whole thing is is that you're low key. It's very, it's a very hard brand to sell. He's like, I'm not trying to sell anything. And she, yeah. she says, it would technically make you cooler, or it should technically make you cooler. But with all the scary stuff that's been happening since the Avengers appeared, people don't want the cynical, cool guy anymore. They want sincerity. Clint's just like, kind of, you know, pacifying her. Like, oh, really? Is that right? She goes, oh. Not self-seriousness, but a heart-on-your-sleeve sincerity. He goes, oh, I see. And uh, says, you're very contained. You keep your cards close to your vest, which you wear over a suit of armor and, like, 16 other layers of self-protection, all of which under, finally, is your heart. So it's not exactly on your sleeve, <laughs> which is a good a good uh, comparison here for, for yeah. someone like, like him who's – We've said that he's only had a few moments Maybe the moment where he was kind of helping her Clean the wound where he's really Opened up to her otherwise you can tell He cares about her and he wants to help her but he's not He's not in this to bond and connect Right and and they are uh, Kind of disconnecting in this moment Because she still doesn't quite Understand uh, him he, he Doesn't want the limelight he wants a regular Life and he wants to get back to his kids So he's like again Not really trying to sell anything You know but she's just got this idea And in her head of like You're so cool like I know you're so Cool I love you like why aren't Why doesn't everyone else know that you're so cool Everyone else should know that you're so cool let's 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 solve this problem but like not Getting that like not his Concern whatsoever and I think she kind of Gets him with the with like the last line where he goes, okay, Kate, what am I selling? Right? It's certainly not Halloween costumes or toys off the shelf. And maybe it's because mm-hmm. like we don't know. Maybe this is like there was a time when somebody did want him to do this, or he got into all this, or he did have some action figures come out and they didn't sell. 
or that I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there could have been something yeah. that he's done that didn't get well received. When a lot of the other superheroes are, I'm like, I'm imagining in my head, like Comic-Con, right? Like his table, his table has the shortest line when everybody's got the autographs where they want, you know, like he, he's, he knows, he knows he's, he's not stupid and he doesn't, he doesn't care. Like he doesn't care. I don't think, but it's something that Mm -hmm. we're all human, right? Right, It may not be the, the most important thing in the world to him, but if somebody else dislikes the person next to you more than you, it, it doesn't feel great. You know? And it has to be aware of it on some level Absolutely. just by, you know, he saw Rogers, the, the, the musical. He's not like the center stage guy and in, in the, in the, he's just kind of part of the chorus, mm-hmm. uh, his his character there. And then he, what what just happened here on the street uh, that that's kind of spawned this whole thing. So he's he's experiencing that. And you got to assume that he's experienced other moments like that where you just kind of pick up like if they're interviewing the Avengers, like who's getting the most questions and things like that. You just assume that. It's going to go to Steve Rogers and it's going to go to Iron Man um, uh, just by but just by their nature. Uh, he is in the grand scheme of things, kind of like a, a soldier. He's like a really popular soldier. Uh, can you name the last guy that won the, the Medal of Honor? Uh, I can't. Uh, no, not, I'm not yeah. saying that that's a, it's a bad thing no. to be the Medal of Honor. It's probably on us that we don't know that. No, you know, you're it's right. kind yeah, of crazy but... that we don't. Yeah. But that, that's you can kind of compare it to that. Like he's he's that in that world. Um, whereas, you know, if you have these larger than life characters that are literally gods, or you've got this like Elon Musk character, that's like changing the world, uh, and inventing all these new technologies, um, that they're just gonna, they're just gonna shine brighter. So the, the, the line that he, that she says to him after he, he says, what am I selling Kate? She says, inspiration, Clint, because mm-hmm. that he did for her. He has inspired her. And it's like you said, you know, she can't understand why don't other people want to like, think he's as cool as I do. I like if you just maybe if you just, you know, like got a new vest or you put on a new cool hat, like somebody else would like they would like you a little more. They would see what I see. It's it's almost that that's what she wants here as yeah. Clint lets her know, you know, this this might be it. If all goes planned today, this might be the last time we see each other. She's like, No. The only thing you've taught me is how to lose a tail, and I almost already knew that. <laughs> he says, I, I, maybe I taught you how to bandage a wound. <laughs> and uh, then she starts asking about trick arrows. <laughs> and he's like, there aren't any trick arrows, Kate. But he does give her the phone. He says, put your number in here for emergencies only. So, she, so she's kind of excited. And uh, she starts calling her phone number from his. I, I'm just letting it ring, so I've got yours. He's like, okay, gotcha, you know. <laughs> And that's another thing that's just like that's just like a real interaction that somebody does with their phone, yeah. right? That's exactly what you do. Somebody gives you their phone, put your number in it, you call it. So I, I like that because it's yeah. like, oh, cool. That's just it's it's something stupid and small, but it's like, oh, it's real. It just makes it adds, this yeah. already grounded in reality show even more grounded in reality. You know, it's Street. the details. Yeah. How, how many times have you heard uh, this before? Of like, so people are like, when they're watching a scene, you're watching a scene with somebody. And uh, the people are talking on the phone in the scene and then the, the scene ends and they just hang up and the, you turn to the person next to you and you're like, the, the, why are they just hanging up? You know, like I, I've had that that moment there. Mm-hmm. Like nobody says bye anymore on TV. Like that's that's a that's a, like a, a very common thing that yep. like writers just like cut that part out. Mm-hmm. But it can add, like you it, said, like that. And it little does detail take away realism. more than anything. It takes right. away because you're like you stop Something's to think missing. about it just like what you did. 
You know, like you yeah. said, you stop to think about it and you're like, oh, that didn't feel as real. Like, why, why didn't mm-hmm. he say bye? Or why didn't he say, like, you start, you start thinking about something that you shouldn't be thinking about just because it seems unnatural. And yeah. so I, I like finding the things like that just to point him out because it, it's something small, but it's something really cool. So she's sad. She's not ready for this to be over her final time seeing her hero, but she does get excited that she's able to put his, or her number in his phone. And he says, look, emergencies only, or I'm going to block and delete you. <laughs> and he says, oh, this is goodbye. And she's great. Merry Christmas. And, and it's, it's, it's funny because you could see her tone flip from being sad to like, Oh, she's got his number. She's like, okay, I'm good now. Like I've, yeah. I've got a way to keep in touch with him. Like I'm going to connect. And she says right away, cool. Call you later. He says, please don't. He goes, I got your number. <laughs> and she walks off. <laughs> so it was uh it was funny and uh natural with, with the two of them as she yeah. walks into her mom's office, up into Bishop Security. She goes up in the elevator and she actually like kind of walks right through her mom's secretary and, and right into her mom's office as the secretary is kind of trying to stop her. But Jack's also in there when she walks in. And Kate uh Kate says you know, good morning. She actually looks over to Jack and says, I'm sorry for your loss. I saw it on the news. And Jack says, thank you, Kate. Very sweet of you. He was dear to me. And and then she gets her, pays her respects, and then she starts going at him right away because she <laughs> thinks it was Jack. Like, she thinks Jack killed killed him. Yeah. She thinks Jack killed his uncle uh, Armand, and she says to him, uh, must have come as a shock to you. And Jack says, yeah, I did. It did indeed. You two are probably really close, huh? And he says, yeah, we had a special relationship. And she starts to ask about the inheritance right away, mm-hmm. which is like, wow, talk about like out of bounds thing to ask someone whose <laughs> uncle just died. Like, so what about that inheritance? You're going to get that soon? And and her mom is like, yeah, Kate, you know, she tries to immediately change the subject. She's like, Kate, what are you wearing? And she's right. like, oh, this is uh, so. Yeah, she's Kate is grilling Jack here. Yeah, and it it just adds that to my suspicion that they're kind of setting us up. The writers are for a bait and switch here. That you know, like they're making it very obvious that Kate is suspicious of Jack, and I just feel like that this is kind of a red herring situation where um, she needs to divert her attention elsewhere, and she's she's busy looking into him and he might not be uh the bad guy that she thinks he is i i suspect he might be some like um middle ground kind of a me too a, a guy me too. yeah i don't i don't think he's bad or i don't think he's that bad even if he is i think he mm-hmm. it, it feels like it's the mom from the very beginning with the mom arguing mm-hmm. with the dad and everything we're seeing now it just it feels like it's eleanor as uh jack actually you know the jokes about how he understands you know why kate wouldn't wouldn't be warming up to him i can makes perfect right. sense that she would be hostile she likely feels displaced by me she's testing our new dynamic she both desires my approval and she wants to set firm boundaries she feels threatened by me and you know what i can understand why and he smiles <laughs> and it's like you kind of think he's gonna say he'll like set you up to where you think he's gonna say something bad or evil and then right. he kind of smiles about it, you know he kind of like uh, you know, and so you're. He says, "I bought a book about being a stepdad," <laughs> and it's like, "Oh God, so what do you?" You know, Kate just kind of, oh, money well spent, Jack. <laughs> so, uh, 
They discuss I feel dinner. Like he's being sincere. I no, think he's you. maybe this weird character where he's hiding something. He's hiding something. He doesn't want, like, maybe he's got, like, a secret life or something. Like, maybe he's a vigilante or something like that. Or, yes. Um, but, uh, yeah, he doesn't want to let on exactly who he is. Uh, but I, I get the feeling that, yeah, he did buy a book. And he does maybe care about uh, Eleanor. And and he's just being uh, misunderstood in these moments. And remember, yeah, he's got the uh, he went and, and stole the retractable blade. So he has the blade in his possession now yep. in the comics. He himself was a character that was more than just the, the love interest of Kate's father or of Kate's mother. But we never know where they're going to go with with some of the comic characters. So that's yeah. what makes it makes it really fun. Um Mm-hmm. So they you know talk about dinner. Jack's cooking dinner tonight. Why don't you join us? Kate says fine, but one condition, I get to come up with the conversation topics. And Jack kind of smiles back. I mean, this is that this is the dynamic that is in most step family dynamics, right? The new father or the new mother comes in, the kids are going to test them just like he said he read about it in the book, but she thinks it's a lot more serious. Kate thinks that this guy's a murderer. So this isn't right. just like a oh, the new boyfriend of my mom or my new stepdad. This is a guy that she she genuinely thinks is a murderer that is uh that is gonna be around her mom. So mm-hmm. we now flash yeah, to so our it's a serious threat. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no, I was just gonna say, yeah, she's so, it's a serious threat for sure. Mm-hmm. It's not just that, oh, I hate this guy, I'm gonna warm up to him in a few weeks, uh um, right. type energy. It's no, this is a legitimately bad dude with swords all over the place, and he's hiding something. We now go for a little LARPing as Clint goes to find Grills at the LARP. And so he he sees the live-action role play. He's out at this park, and everyone's dressed up in their costumes, in their uh, cosplay. And he can see Grills in the Ronin suit. And so oh, it's it's easy for him. It's like, nice, he's going to walk over, just get this, just mention it, hey, give me the suit. And before he he's able to even make his way close to Grills, he gets stopped by a woman at the at the check-in area, <laughs> and and she the they are sticklers, man, at these LARPs. I'll tell you, they were hardcore. Red tape. Seriously, <laughs> he couldn't even walk through and met and say anything. She says, uh, "Hey, there's no looky lose," <laughs> which I thought was great. <laughs> like, like how many people are just coming to just spectate on the LARP? You know, yeah. it's like. There's just stands there. People, people just want to come watch the LARP. Um, so uh, he says, "No, look, I'm not trying to cause any trouble. I just want to talk to that ninja right there. He stole that suit, so I'd like to talk to him." And the woman says, "Look, you can take that up with him when the LARP is over. This whole live action role play thing at midnight." He says, "Look, that's not going to happen. You know, Clint's got to get through his family. He's got stuff happening. He's not going to just yeah. sit there and wait till midnight." And she says, "Hey." Look, I know who you are, but most of these folks are firefighters and cops, and if you break the rules, it's going to get really messy. <laughs> and then he asks, what are the rules? And she smiles. So, uh, yeah, like he said, I think this the show and uh, everything would have been – you don't need this scene in here. Um, but yeah. but when you're out there, it is kind of funny, you know. It's like yeah. it's not like a necessary scene, but when you're there, there are some moments where it's like – He's the perfect kind of person with his his attitude and how he's just not embracing. Yeah. He doesn't even want to embrace himself as a character, and now he's got to go do role play. Right, right. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's a great point. 
Yeah. And I do, I do enjoy um, one of the things they do here uh, in just a moment. Like once he, once he gets into it, uh, they kind of mine some action out of it. It's like a, it's like comedy, but I like the way they shot it in slow motion. Mm-hmm. And he's just tearing through people in this, in this LARPing uh, event yeah. uh, because he's got those real world skills that he just applies to it. And he's just uh, slicing and dicing his, his way. Uh, so I thought that was pretty cool. And it's also in theme on brand with the kind of the sword play uh, aspect of, of the yeah, series. So it's a great point. I'm, Obviously, we're dealing with, uh, you know, an archer, which is this it's kind of an anachronistic thing to have, you know, a modern day soldier superhero that's like archery based. It's it's from another time kind of it. We're dealing with criminals that have guns. And there's even a line later in the episode about about forgetting to bring guns or something like that. Uh, But uh, on that on that kind of note, like having the swords there, it's 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 connects to that theme in, in mm-hmm. general. So you've got fencing, uh, just connecting to archery. Uh, and then you've got, uh, you kind of made mention of this uh, earlier, but Jack uh, in the comics is perhaps, perhaps they're setting it up to be this way in, in, in real life, but he's known as the swordsman uh, mm-hmm. in the comics, in the Avengers comics. So that's something that they could be adding in, into the mix here a little bit. But I like that they're they're picking and choosing their characters and their themes, uh, and they're kind of making it all pretty cohesive and uh, connected. So now he's he's got to be checked in, and there are two women who are helping him check in. What's your name? He, he says, uh, no, thank you. Uh, email? <laughs> <laughs> That's classified. Title? Organization? <laughs> Uh, all right, let me just sign it and we'll get the show on the road. <laughs> and so they start explaining to him, okay, so here's your scroll. It details your character's mission. He's like, okay, right. And she goes, beginners only get one free hit. If you get hit in the torso, it's fatal. I just loved how he is like, he goes, oh, so violent. You know, it was, yeah. he is still smart, that kind of snarky, you know, underneath, but he's, he, yeah. He understands how corny this is, and I guess he's just kind of having fun with it at this point. It's like, okay, I gotta, I gotta at least like yeah. entertain these women to get what I want here. So let's just let's do that. And um, so he gets handed this paper. He asks, you know, what, you know, what do I do with this? She's like, that's what you live by. <laughs> he goes, oh, okay. And as he walks off, they stop him. He said, wait, wait, you need your armaments. He's like, ah, no, I'm, I'm okay. They hand him a helmet and an armor yeah. and then a fake sword. And he's like, do I have to really? And they both, yeah. both of these women are just smiling. They're having fun now uh, with him, like having fun razzing him over this. As he walks out to the battlefield, and this is the part you're talking like, it's slow motion. Yeah. And the music is just that Renaissance fair music, you know, that old yeah. school, like, uh, something that you would hear in Game of Thrones and you know, and he's it's like slow motion as he's going through it, and he's like you said, he's plucking people off. Um, at one point, there's like a group of five people that sort of surround him, and he just takes them all out with one yeah. swoop, like one at a time, and they all fall backwards, like oh, and fall that part. They all sell it. They sell it yeah, they, great too. They sell it so <laughs> They're well. They're all into it. And it's good. And and that's the point where he kind of gets like he's smiling a little bit. You can see yeah. as uh he notices grills. 
So he walks over and he's about to kill him. And Grills is like, whoa, 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 I'm a Viking. I'm a Viking. I'm just a Viking. And Clint's like, I don't care, man. And then Grills notices him. Wait, aren't you Hawkeye? It's like, yeah, look, I'm not trying to cause a scene out of respect to whatever the hell this is, but I'm plumb out of patience. So you got two choices, you understand? I could take this pretend sword and you pretend to die, and I take that suit, or I'm going to real punch you and you're going to real fall down, and I'm going to take that suit. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Grills Uh, is like, just let me kill you, and I'll give you the suit. (laughs) And Clint's like, no. And Grills gets real with him. He's like, come on, man. You're a superhero in real life. This is as close as I'm ever going to get to being one. Just work with me. Let me kill you. And Clint is like, he says this twice, uh, multiple times throughout this episode. And I fought Thanos. Like, okay. And so Clint's just like, okay. Like he bends over to try to just let him kill him so he could walk off. And and Grills is like, no, no, you got to make, I got to. Take it from you. You know, it's like one of those things. It's like, no, I've got to kill you. Everybody's got to see me. You've got to yeah. play it, right? You've got you to sell it. <laughs> trial by combat. Yeah, trial by combat. And uh, uh, this, yeah, this was funny. As uh, we check in with Kate again, and she's texting Clint already. Miss me yet? In fact, she gets a call right afterwards, and she thinks it's him. She says, okay, so I was kind of mean, but I think it worked. And the man on the phone says, Kate Bishop, this is Detective Cottle of the New York Police Department asking. And she says, uh, w- w- what are you asking? He says, I'm asking if this is Kate Bishop. And uh, she says, yeah, he wants her to come in for questioning. She's nervous. She has no idea. She thinks it's about the road and stuff. What's this about? And then when he mentions it was about her fire, the fire in her apartment, she kind of laughs. She's like relieved. <laughs> That's that all. That's that all it was, and it wasn't like, oh, yeah. we we think that you're we're gonna question you for the murder of, of Armand, uh, you know, and uh, or we saw you in the Ronin suit or any of that. So she says, you know, she's at work. She agrees that she will go in the next morning for questioning. So she gets off the phone there, and that was a uh, kind of interesting too because that was one of those things where, do we know that was the cops really? You know, I mean, I guess question. I, we yeah. maybe we do or maybe we don't. Maybe there's someone that's trying to set her up to have her come over there with the tracksuit mafia people. Who knows? I, I'm, but I love being in a show like this where you ask those questions. It does feel you mentioned the who done it. It does really kind of feel like that this show because now you're thinking like, okay, is it Eleanor? Is it Jack? Was Armand a good guy or a bad guy now? Right? Like you're right. wondering like, hmm, what the? What? Yeah. So it, lots of questions about. You know who who is really uh, the the baby faces and the heels here in this yeah. story. As um, we get back to the LARP, as <laughs> this trial by combat now, and everyone is circled around Grills and Hawkeye and uh, the women from the uh, the the women who kind of are leading the uh, the LARP and who are checking everybody in. They uh, <laughs> they have everybody set up, and she gives them a. Says, now you must drink the ritualistic potion. And he's like, "It's a bottle." Uh, no, I'm good, thank you. Can we just please <laughs> get on with this? And the woman's like, "Uh oh, you're not gonna reap the benefits." And I love the guys in the background here. The one guy's like, "He didn't drink the potion." And he's like, <laughs> so dumbfounded that the guy that Hawkeye didn't drink it. 
and and they're all making the noises now as the the battle begins. They're doing the cling 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 yeah. cling every time their swords hit cling cling cling. These dudes in the background and uh, there's one guy in particular that's really into making the clink sound. Yeah, it's pretty funny. He's really funny. He almost looks like the guy in uh uh in in the the pick of destiny tenacious d jack black with jack uh-huh. black like his his uh his uh other there um oh, is kyle gas yeah yep yep he kind of has a little bit oh, of yeah. that look to him too and uh grills grills is uh you know is loving this and clint's like what are you doing and grills said, i'm trying to sell it you gotta make it real they gotta believe it he says just kill me and then they <laughs> battle a little more clint does does a really good job of kind of playing into it and grill says are you ready clint says i'm begging you kill me and we yeah. get a mortal combat finish him from one <laughs> of the larpers and uh, after a little push like clint kind of pushes him he uh grills comes back and wins and uh, the crowd goes nuts winner for mount deepdale and they're all <laughs> you know and now we burn the corpse. Burn the corpse. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought it, I thought it was pretty funny. And and then afterwards, Clint uh, he he takes off his equipment and Grills walks right over to him with the suit and he says, "Noble Mayor of Westland, thank you." And they they have a a, a fun little uh, back and forth as you know Grills was obviously really excited to to have this moment with Hawkeye. He, um, Clint says, Hey, you know, he gives him his, uh, his gear and says, you do me a favor. Will you return this for me? I don't want them to charge my card. That's just another thing that comes off real, right? You go somewhere, you get equipment. They're going to put a doubt, like they're going to put a hold on your card. So that way, if you don't return it, they're going to charge you. (laughs) And grills even says, Oh yeah. Uh, you make, make sure they will charge you. (laughs) you, You know, and for Clint, it's more of like, he doesn't want anyone seeing that he was at a LARP. You know, like, yeah. or, or or even the, the that or the tie back to the Ronin suit. Like, why is he so invested in this Ronin suit? Why is he the mm. one that's got to go find it, right? And that ties Good back point. to him and his past of all the evil, really bad stuff that he's done. So, um, twofold right. as to why he doesn't want people knowing what he's doing and and you know why he's got to get this suit. So, uh, they walk off and, uh. As he as he gets ready to leave, Grill says, "Seriously, thank you. I owe you. This has been like the best day of my life." <laughs> and Clint says, "I can't say the same." But Grills asks him, "You did have fun," and Clint agrees. He says, "I'm glad I did it." He smiles. Yeah. He gives Grills a fist bump. He says, "Merry Christmas." And when he walks off, he says, "Nice to meet you, Grills." So he actually leaves the LARP in in pretty good spirits. He's got the suit. Yeah. He's got what he needed. And he's going to be home for right now. He feels pretty good about the the fact that he's going to be home in time for Christmas with the kids. Yeah. Yeah. Things are looking up, you know, every, everything's kind of coming together. Uh, as long as there's no more wrenches thrown in the gears, he's pretty much accomplished what he needed to. And at this point, he's probably thinking like he doesn't really need to connect back to uh, Kate Bishop for, for anything in particular. He's probably thinking she's going to call him about something at some point, but He's probably uh, in his mind thinking that this thing's pretty much wrapped up. He calls his wife to let her know that he isn't going to make the flight initially, but you know he he tells her that he's going to be on the way, and 
the kids are already back home They've already made it back And they're working on a gingerbread house And she's just so cool You know, it's like, I'm not going to make my flight That's all right. that's what flight insurance is for You know, and and uh, the kids are in the background You can hear them laughing and, and there's never enough frosting And they're, you know, having fun building the uh, their, their gingerbread house So Laura asks about the problematic wardrobe Which I thought was a cool sure. way of putting it And he says, yeah, safe I need to hang on to it for insurance <laughs> At least until I clear things up with the old tracksuit friends He said, Jesus, not those idiots Yep, those idiots I'm not sure how high up it goes So I just gotta stick around a little bit longer I promised I I promised Lila I'd be there for Christmas. And so she says, "Well, then you got 5 days to keep that promise." And she just smiles. Like she she smiles, like she seems confident feeling that she knows he's going to be back. Yeah. Like confident in he's going to get the job done and he's not going to break this promise to the kids both. Um which gosh, I love her when she's on the screen. She's just so like warm. I want to go give her a hug, she is. you know? Um uh, yeah, Linda is uh, great. She, yeah, just great stuff from from Linda here in this uh, as Laura. So they go back and they. Uh, oh, I, I thought it was cool that he gives a and and this is where I thought maybe she she might have been a former agent or shield or something because uh, she said what are she asks what's the plan what's the play and he says oh, a little right. catch and release and she says nice one of Nat's old moves be careful. Mm. So she knows about Nat. She knows about strategy and tactics, at least, and a lot of the things that they've done. So curious how far back that goes. As uh, yeah, Good she point. she mentions that she wants to see pictures, or Clint says, "Send me pictures. I want to see the disaster." He wants to see the uh, the gingerbread home. Time to get caught. Mm-hmm. So they're finishing up, and uh, and we will flash back to dinner with Kate. But. Yeah, man, all the, the family stuff. To me, it's all been like really good a, a stuff so far with uh, with Clint, the family, wife, and kids. Yeah, again, like w- as we're checking in uh, with her, that family f- and and their their home feels lived in. Uh, there's just like little details, like how they're shouting to each other in the background, uh, and it just it just reminds me of a, a house full of kids. Um, and I, I love how supportive she is. Like that's what you kind of need i think in in a partner and in a spouse and all too often i think you see on screen just for some cheap drama you'll see that you know a spouse not being supportive uh in a way where you're like well why are these people even together it almost doesn't yeah. even make sense uh, especially with so, what clint does and yeah. like his lifestyle right this would be like a major league baseball player with a with someone that couldn't be away from him for a while right it's like you know right. what you're signing up for at the beginning when we get into this like you know who yeah. i am so uh, so fact- many other stories would have her be a nag, right? Too, which is and just, just not realistic. Disingenuous. It'd be like, well, so why would she? She knows what this guy is going to be. He's a superhero. What? Yeah. Like, what? What? What would? What good would it do for her to be like, get home right now? You know? Well, hey, you promised you were going to be home right. for Christmas. I know you're going to do that. Like, take care of whatever you need to do because if you don't, you're going to come home and you're going to feel like you need to go right back and do it anyways. You know? So right. Get yeah. it. Get get it done. And. And he is uh, gonna, go ahead. Sorry, I was just gonna say I like how he says, you know, you know, time to get myself caught at the at yeah. the end of this because it's yeah. just like it shows right there that he he just feels like he's about to just wrap this thing up that like mm-hmm. these guys aren't much of a threat to him and I love the scene how it plays out, uh, you know, in the in the coming scene when he does get himself caught, uh, that he he's just playing with them and it reminded me of that whole. 
um, sequence when we when we catch up with Nat back in yes. Avengers, yes. and she's 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 tied up uh, like in a chair, them. and she's just baiting these guys like they're in the palm of her hands the whole time, uh, but uh, they think that uh, that uh, she's a, a hostage, and then we get this great moment later on when like these li- li- the the hostage takers are literally trying to convince clint that that he's their hostage like wait no you don't understand like like you're our hostage we're we interrogating you, you. Like, no <laughs> yeah. no i i it's let great. myself yeah it is it is funny as uh we check back in with kate and the dinner so jack just cooked them a delicious dinner she compliments him um as jack kate and eleanor all finish eating is he says the secret to a good risotto is to agitate it just enough and then it's just down to patience and attention. And Kate is like flattering him. Wow, you cook, you're attentive, you're wealthy, you're almost too good to be true. And Jack, oh, ha, ha, I, I assure you, I am not. And uh, she says, so you're quite the aficionado, Jack. Or uh, She says, you're quite the sword aficionado. Do you fence? He says, uh, I dabble. And so she asks, uh, are you more of a, an epe, a foil, or a saber man? You know, she's talking sword lingo here <laughs> as he goes, oh, I, you know you're talking – exactly, talking shop. You know your stuff, little lady, and she is always impressed. I was a two-time state champion. Uh, good with outdated weapons. Made me aware of when someone is trying to stab you in the back. So she's not even really – you know, she was – Teasing for a little at the beginning And she was playing it coy And complimenting him And now she's like okay dinner's done I'm not gonna kiss any ass anymore Like I'm getting to the point here She is just calling him out Like straight up Um, Stab you in the back Coming at him You know uh, And she wants to She wants to have a little uh, A little battle She wants to get have a little fence off here as Eleanor says, okay, I think you've both proven you know what swords are. Can we move on? And Jack doesn't want to. This is a good spot. This is a great place for for bonding, fertile ground, common interest. Kate agrees. She says, yeah, bonding. <laughs> and Jack smiles. So they uh, they go break out the, the the swords. And Jack and Kate both decide to get in their fencing gear. So they uh they get all set up and Kate and her mom for a minute which, which is really funny Kate you know Kate's kind of trying to convince her mom to let her and Jack you know spar a, a bit and yeah. and Jack is kind of in a weird spot because you can tell he wants to but it's like he doesn't want to mm-hmm. bother Eleanor the woman who you know doesn't want to do anything disrespectful with the woman that the the child of the the woman he's dating so he um, I thought the, the the funny line was when Kate says, "Oh, come on, why not? You've got some spare fencing gear," and he says, "I'm convinced." Eleanor says, "All she said was why not? That's not a convincing argument. That's not even an argument at all." <laughs> <laughs> and, and he just kind of yeah. smiles and he says, "I'll go get my stuff." And uh, <laughs> Kate and Eleanor have a drink. He goes to get the gear, and they move to the other room, and they are all in their fencing gear and helmet. And Eleanor says to him, honey, be care." or she says, honey, be careful. Kate says, when am I not careful? And she says, no, I wasn't talking to you. I'm talking to Jack <laughs> as they, uh, they go back and forth, thrust, parry, thrust, parry, a little, a little of this, a little of that. 
And Kate gets the better And then again Kate gets the better And then even the third yeah. time Kate gets the better But you can tell it's sort of like when you're arm wrestling With you know you're Someone and they're letting you win She she can yeah. sense that he's not going full speed here And she's growing more and more frustrated As she's doing it And I love the the, the metaphor of this whole activity here Is that you know she's poking and prodding him She's trying to find out uh, more about him As they're you know literally doing so uh, With these fencing foils uh, Great great moment And again ties directly to You know that swordsman backstory That Jack has in the, in the comics Um uh, and uh, again, ties into that thing that we've been saying about, you know, he's not uh, letting on. He, he's not letting on uh, everything that he knows and he's keeping stuff close to the vest. Uh, he's keeping secrets. And it's, it's obvious from the beginning. And, um, you know, I think that's what it is. He's got some kind of dual life as as the swordsman. I, I can't wait to see what that's going to look like in the MCU, because we always. Uh, know the MCU to kind of adapt things uh, and make them a little bit more real and, and uh, believable uh, if if uh, if it calls for that. And so I would love to see what a modern uh, version of the swordsman uh, ripped straight from the comics would look like. So Kate, she says, what are you hiding, Jack? You know, it's nothing. I'm an open book. She when he turns, she ex- lunges right at him trying to trying to stab him. Just knowing that he's going to turn around and 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 stop because she knows that he's got he's a better swordsman than he's let on, and, and which he does. He turns around and he blocks it. And Eleanor is like, Kate's mom's like, what is wrong with you? What the hell is going on? Um, Jack at this point seems like he's kind of done with the game now. He's like, yeah, you know, I I I did downplay my skill, but you know, I'm gonna go mm-hmm. I'm gonna go change. Eleanor's like, she tried to stab you in the face, you know. <laughs> Kate's just like, hey, look, I'm right. He was lying. He was hiding something. So we get this family yeah. dynamic uh, here with these three. But Kate is just pushing it. Mom, I'm telling you, he's hiding something. Don't you think it's a little strange that the same night his uncle threatens you, he ends up murdered by the sword? How many people get murdered by sword each year in New York? I'm going to go ahead and guess zero. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, her mom says it's sweet that you're worried, but remember – I'm the mom. It's my job to protect you. You're not a superhero either, <laughs> which is a very interesting line. As it kind of reminds me of that line earlier when they were at the funeral in episode one, right? She talked about what the heroes do, saying, mm-hmm. You are not one of those heroes. Uh, almost yeah. like, uh, why is she bringing that up now? Like, does, the, does she know that she's been uh, hanging out with Hawkeye so far at this yeah. point? Is that is that a clue that she, she's she, kind of keeping closer tabs than we realize? And she, she knows all those details? What does she know? And she kind of tells her a little bit afterwards. Um, Eleanor, Eleanor says, okay, what happened to Armand is terrible, but the police are going to handle it. I don't want any more snooping. You could get hurt, and we're not talking about scrapes on the knee anymore, Kate. And she says, mom, there was more. There was a ninja suit and a street gang, Molotov <laughs> cocktails. Eleanor was street gang? And then Jack comes back into the room. Ninjas? What exactly is in a <laughs> Molotov cocktail? Anyway, are you old enough to drink? Again, playing totally, dumb there. Yeah. So dumb, right? He's playing so dumb and, and jokey here as Eleanor tells Kate, everything's going to be okay. I get being scared at the uncertainty of what comes next in life, but we know what comes next for you. You're going to graduate in the fall. You'll start working at Bishop Security for real like we've always planned. Kate 
lets us know no it's like you've always planned mom and Eleanor just tells her put one foot in front of the other look up you'll be happy where you are in just a few years can we put this all behind us why don't you apologize to Jack and she says sorry for scaring you into telling the truth and Jack (laughs) kind of laughs smart as a whip this one (laughs) would you like a drink darling you know and uh, uh, Eleanor no I'm fine Jack says it's not the first time someone tried to take my head off, but he hands Kate a candy. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Those are the lines. Like he's there's a couple of them. It's not the first time someone's tried to take my head off. It's not. I don't know if you've seen the movie Red Notice on uh, on Netflix. Recently came out with The Rock and uh, and and Ryan Reynolds and 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 Gal Gadot. Uh, But not not like any spoilers or anything through it. But you notice a couple things like this throughout the movie where. There are just a couple of keywords and phrases that that some of the characters say that you start paying attention to. And this is one of them. Like you said, he goes, hmm, this is not the first yeah, time right. someone tried to take your head off. Like, what do you what do you mean by that? You know? Yeah, that's a weird one for sure. So he hands Kate a candy and it's the same candy that she saw at Armand's. And it's the butterscotch with his with Armand's name on it. Kate, you know, obviously looks a little bit bothered. Eleanor asks, what's wrong? And Kate's no nothing I'm fine uh, I just remembered what time it is it's a work Thing huh Eleanor's at Work I'm your boss I can get you out yeah. Of it what's going on uh, everything's Fine I'm gonna call you later uh, Okay love you and she Just leaves see that's the part That I don't think the ex- she could Have maybe made a better excuse I don't feel Good I'm sick mm-hmm. you know I gotta get out Of there right the work thing bothered me Because she knew the work thing with mom And yes. again like Mom mom is just talking to you about how things are serious, how you can't do this, you gotta be careful about what you're doing. And then she just mm-hmm. says, like, I'm gonna leave in in the most obvious, like, I don't have yeah. work, I'm just leaving ever. And then why does Eleanor go along with it to just then Exactly? Uh, no yeah. way, my uh, your uh, mom okay. Tim, Love you're you. full of shit, right? There's no way, right. Tim. You're not going to work right now. You're going to get drunk or whatever you're gonna do. I know my son. I know my my mom would be the same yeah. thing. You know, there's no way you're going to do that right now. I know what you're doing. Like, it's so you gotta assume weird. there's like there's an invisible leash there. She's yeah. not she's not stopping her because she knows that she's still keeping tabs on her and maybe. Maybe Kate's playing right into what whatever Eleanor wants her to do right now. Uh, that's that's what I think. She she knows more than she uh, she is letting on. Just like uh, we we said about Jack, but again, the, the hunch here is that maybe it's it's something nefarious. So we check back in with Clint, like right, and she's leaving. Kate's leaving right now. She walks out. She walks into her car. Uh, but we see Clint. He's standing in the street. He's literally just standing there waiting to, for the tracksuit mafia to kind of roll up on him. And, uh, yeah. and the, they find him and they think they found him. The tracksuit guys. They're like, oh, look. Hey, bro. Hey, what's going on? And Clint goes, oh, hey, boys, you found me. And they say, hey, they're talking tough to him. Hey, Hawkeye, you have some place to be. You're going to be a little late. So they t- they take Clint and they cuff him and they put him in a car. And uh, as they're they're doing so, Ivan, one of the the tracksuit mafia members, says uh, she wants him alive. So they mentioned a she as perhaps a boss. Remember, they were looking for the watch earlier, too. So uh, they mentioned a she. She wants him alive. And they, they put a bag over his head and they put Clint in a car. 
this is the kind of thing I love about these guys. So, you know, Clint is like, guys, I can see through the bag. Like, there's there's no reason to put a bag on my head if I can see through it. Like, I know where we're going, you know, like just take the bag off yeah. or put on a bag that I can't see through. But they're so dumb that they didn't realize that, like the bag that they're putting on somebody's head to take them. The whole point yeah. of that is that so somebody can't see where you're going. It's great. They uh, Again, like they just play those guys for such just the right tone of, of kind of slapstick and farce where it, it's just, it, it's just at that breaking point of where if it was any more, if there were any dumber, it would be a cartoon and it would be a little too silly, but they, they, they milk it for all it's worth. And I think they, they, they kind of nail it. And they should be a really low level because this is like the first uh-huh. group that Kate's got to battle. And this is right. Kate and Hawkeye alone. This isn't like Kate should not be ready to save the world right now. You're, mm-hmm. It just doesn't happen that way. She's got to take steps, you know? And so this is a good True. foil group for her to start with. Cause they're kind of dumb and they make it a little easy on her, but she learns a lot uh, throughout this. And uh, they're dumb. They're dumb, but they still feel threatening to to yes. a degree because yes. of how like ruthless they seem. They do like seem good, like good like soldiers. they would kill. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. they do seem yeah. intense and violent, but they they're not the brains of the operation. Right. They're being directed. There's there's. They've got at least a couple different big bosses telling them what to do, where to go, when to go, how to do it. Um, so Kate, she's now the wheels are starting to spin in her head. So she gets in a taxi. She immediately calls Clint. Uh, Clint, hi, it's me. I, I got a crazy clue to tell you about clues. Uh, and call me back. Bye. She hangs up. And then she's she's talking to herself in the back. Should I try again? I should. I should. I'm gonna try again. And and she calls. <laughs> And then the phone gets picked up and she says she thinks it's Clint and she's like starting to go on. That's what I love is that both of the times that she's on the phone that she thinks it's Clint. It, the first time it's the, the, the detective, you know, that uh, yeah. it's the cop. And then this time it's she doesn't even know who, but she starts going, you know, sometimes back to back calls isn't the right move. But in this case, it was like she's so proud <laughs> that the, the second call in a row was the one that that made him pick up. And uh, yeah. a man says, I'm sorry. Clint Barton can't take your call right now <laughs> So I just That was funny uh-huh. like those are little things that The actress does a great job Of that she does um, mm-hmm. Because that is not Easy to do and Haley Steinfeld Pulls off natural Yeah that's the yeah. hardest Thing to do man At, like acting Natural seems it not Natural it does And those little things those little Idiosyncrasies that the character has I think are, are really fantastic As her next got- line Her next line too. this uh, Sir I'm going to need you to speed up please Like like it was really well done too Like she had this sense of like Panic and urgency in there mm-hmm. but she Still delivered it And like politely she, 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 she started it with sir and ends in please It's well written and she nailed that line Too and She is Pulling out the uh, the app again We gotta get this app TK She pulls out the Bishop right. security app And she locates Clint's phone Kind of reminds me of uh, What is the the technology in the dark night That, that they have um, that, oh, yeah. that they end up getting rid of Where they can You know it's it's sort of like you know, In a weird sense Kind of like what we have today With the, the cameras everywhere You know the facial recognition yeah. That, that when, when they really want to tap into those kind of things 
how how quickly they can find someone and 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 see where they are. Um, so she puts up the Bishop Security app and she locates Clint's phone, and Clint is now under uh, under watch by these tracksuit mafia. They've got him cuffed to a chair and they're sitting in this warehouse. Clint says, got a nice place you got here. Not creepy at all. And and, and, and so like anytime these guys talk to tracksuit guys, hey, hey, you kid? I know you kid, so don't kid, because it was very hard finding a place. Now all warehouses are being converted into lofts, so how can I get something better? Come on, bro. But he's criticized. <laughs> like they're like, it's great. They're just bantering <laughs> yeah. with each other. They're like fighting with each other over stuff. And it's like Clint understands them. And he knows that when he kind of gives lines like that, that they're going to start fighting with each other. You know, it's uh, it's like, oh, yeah, he's interacted with these guys before he knows them. He, he says, look, I'm not the guy who I'm not who you think I am. They say, so you are not Hawkeye, which was just like, <laughs> OK, well, I guess I am who you think I am, but I'm not the guy you're looking for. Kate Bishop, uh, not Kate Bishop. Kate Bishop is a guy, bro. <laughs> Kate Bishop is not guy. Kate Bishop is guy in costume. And <laughs> this is like a like a an yeah. in Costello who's yeah, on first, who's on first. <laughs> right? It's like he's he goes, hmm. Can I speak to your manager? <laughs> he says, This is like talking to furniture. And and Clint says, you know, I I came here to talk to your boss. Is that possible? I'm trying to be civil here. And that pisses them off. Civil? Yeah. We kidnapped you. We, you are our hostage. They get, they get really upset. Uh, he goes, come on, you know, I just, is that him there? I would like to speak to your boss. This, it's why I came. Look at me. I'm interrogating you right now, bro. <laughs> and they're just broing off like crazy. We are interrogating you. Look at us. Oh, so you're the shift manager. Clint asks back. <laughs> He's being so snarky to them. Um, and they ask, where's Kate Bishop? Clint says, I have never met her. I have no idea. They scream again. Come on, where's Kate Bishop? And they're pointing their guns at him now. So things are getting a little bit serious. And and then, boom, big crash right through the ceiling, falling right through the glass window. It was Kate. She was up on the up on the roof, like eavesdropping, looking in. We, We this is like the very first scene when she's in her room. And she's eavesdropping and the parents hear the noise. She trips yeah. and falls. <laughs> and it happens now. Years later, she trips and falls right through. And the location where she lands is great. Because she lands <laughs> in spot right in the middle of the standoff that's happening yeah. between Hawkeye and the group of the tracksuit mafia guys. And it's like, oh, crap. You know, he's telling <laughs> them, like, I don't know her. And then she just <laughs> He's falls. like embarrassed. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's great timing. It's great slapstick. uh, And yet it still feels like it it feels natural. It doesn't feel like um, uh, like Naked Gun or anything like that. But it it just kind of gels with the overall uh, uh, the overall piece. So uh, super funny. I I love I loved it. I I kind of expected it. I heard I just come crashing through, uh, but uh, it paid off really nicely. So she's on the floor, yeah, and the guys, the right away, the tracksuit guys go, "Bro, I found her." That made yeah. me laugh. Like I, pa- I actually <laughs> chuckled. I laughed out loud when he said that. For yeah, a bro, I found her. And she's like, 
right there on the floor in front of you. Of course, she you found her. And she's like, oh, my God. And she looks around, and they're all pointing guns. And she goes, oh, wow. Didn't realize we were supposed to bring guns. She kind of, <laughs> like, awkwardly, like, smirks. And uh, Clint, you know, says, oh, there you go. Um, they've They've now duct taped Clint and Kate to the uh little um the like the merry-go-round carousel animals you know like the ones that they'll have outside of the store where you put a quarter in and then like the the horsey will go they've like tucked they've like duct taped them to these kind of animals which it's kind of just a funny visual as they're just taped around them and they laugh don't worry you won't fall off it's strong ha ha and we now see Echo, Maya Lopez, yeah. as the Tomas, kind of one of the one of the tracksuit mafia guys, walks up to let her know, "Hey, we have them both. We have them, and we we get a look at her. All she does is just say like, get out of here, and uh, and shrugs them off. So our heroes are captured now. Two episodes in, Kate and Hawkeye are caught, and now this is going to continue to. Uh, delay Hawkeye in trying to get home He only has five yes. days And I think it's kind of cool because they mentioned In the first episode six days And then in the second episode his mm-hmm. wife mentioned Five so I, I'd imagine that We'll get in the next episode uh, We've only got I've only got four days to get there right. You know and then probably a three days and two days And then he'll probably be at you know at the end Which yeah I, I, So many positives about this Tim Like very mm-hmm. very little negatives through the First two because it just seems to the the identity of of Eternals, like what they were shooting for, what they were aiming for, what they were going for, it just it didn't. Mm-hmm. It, we had a hard time connecting with the both of us. I knew immediately yeah. what they wanted from episode one. Five minutes in, you get the feel of it, you get the sense of it. It's it's yeah. funny. It's not too heavy. It's not supposed to be heavy, and it's not in a boring way. It's just this is a Christmas. It's a holiday show too, which is great. It's like it's around yeah. Christmas. It's a it's everything's holiday season. He's got to literally get home for Christmas. It's like throughout a week worth of time. I, I'm pumped. I'm very, I'm, I enjoy this. And now we're going to get one episode a week for the next four mm-hmm. weeks. There are only six episodes left. So give us sort of, uh, as we finish up with episode two, we did both recaps of episode one and two today. What are some of your kind of final overarching thoughts uh, heading into episode three? Well, I think it's really cool that they're doing that kind of one day per episode thing. Like you said, there's six episodes total. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm really feeling just the overall vibe of this. I like it a lot. I think it was smart that they kind of paired the LARPing episode with the first episode there because the second episode, that portion of it did kind of feel inconsequential. So uh, enjoying them as one kind of whole piece i kind of look at episode one and two as just like one big you know two-part episode uh uh, i think that worked well it got us into into the spirit uh and speaking of into the spirit yeah i'm a big fan of this uh this christmas uh theme that's that's popping up like i mentioned uh in the previous podcast that's very much a shane black uh signature right there and they they do it justice here and i kind of noticed as well it seems like uh, Marvel's developing a little bit of a slate of Christmas themed projects now. They're they're kind of just stacking them up. So we've already got Iron Man three, which was like I mentioned, Shane Black. He directed that film, wrote and directed Iron Man three. It had a, a very strong Christmas theme in it. 
We've got the upcoming Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special, which I really can't wait for. Uh, and then, yeah, we have this series as well. So I, I foresee uh, a future where we're looking at Disney Plus and in the holiday section, there's just going to be a whole Marvel holiday uh, section, a whole playlist there of of Marvel, uh, of, of um, holiday themed Marvel projects. So very cool. I'm a sucker for for a good Christmas movie. TK, man, I got to thank you uh, again. The We go so deep into these scene by scene, everything that when we recap one episode of a show, it's it's a lot. When we recap a movie, yeah. it's a lot. When we recap two episodes, it's quite a bit. And you never, ever send me a message and say, oh, hey, I got to get out of here. Or, hey, can we speed this up? Yeah. Or, hey, can we cut cut that down? Like, you're always so energetic you're always so happy and passionate and and like eloquent all the way through the end of our two hour plus conversations and (laughs) and it's it's a blast because i hear people that are fans just like we are and they enjoy hearing the excitement in our voices when we talk you know um and even the few times that we're maybe disappointed or maybe underwhelmed it comes from a place of passion you know and and a place of of you know just wanting like loving this and and maybe wanting it a different way and the thing too Mm -hmm. is that we'll never be the type of people who will say hey we just didn't like that we'll always tell Mm -hmm. you why or what we thought could have been a little different yeah you know how could it have been maybe a little bit better because that when people complain and they they don't they don't have any but what would you have done different or you don't like that Mm -hmm. coach or that player but who are you going to go get there you know you have to the grass isn't always greener if we disagree on and we dislike something, we're always going to kind of share why. And man, I love these conversations, TK. They're so much fun. And I'm glad we yeah. have a, another great show to discuss. And we're going to have a lot coming up over the next few months, man. I'm looking forward to it. There's a lot I'm really looking forward to. Spider-Man just gets closer and closer. We're in the middle of this great uh, series here. And then uh, beyond that, we, 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 we say it uh, in all the podcasts, there's just this huge slate. Uh, uh, in store for us. So uh, we got a lot to keep up with and a lot to look forward to. So I'm very excited. Give Tim a follow on Twitter and on Instagram at Tim is not funny and make sure to check out the, uh, the music project ice cream fire anywhere you download your music. You will hear TK back with me in just a few days and we will recap episode three of Hawkeye for you on the next installment of that's what G said. TK, my friend, you have a great holiday weekend with that family and thank you so much. Thank you. Do not go anywhere, folks. Uh, Still plenty more to come on this episode of That's What G Said. So you want to set the mood. You're looking for something all natural. Soy wax. Non-toxic, baby. Scents for every season. Now don't be afraid, baby. Just spell it out. Get promo code Gino gets you ten percent off. Mm-hmm. It's the holiday season now. You are looking for gifts for your family, for your friends, for your loved ones. Sarahcandles.com, C-E-R-A candles.com all natural soy wax and because of that all natural soy wax no toxins no carcinogens no pollutants a lot of the other leading candle brands they have those in them that you've probably been burning in your house and didn't even realize now for your friends your family your animals your loved ones they're not going to be breathing in those toxins with sarahcandles.com c-e-r-a candles.com 
A big thank you to TK, Tim Kelly, for helping us out. He'll be back in just a few days, and uh, now we'll be right on track with the Hawkeye reviews. Yeah, we're already going to be up into episode three, and that's going to be halfway through. Just a short six-episode series of Hawkeye right now over on Disney+. Plus. We are going to transition into the final segment on this episode, Lucha Underground. We're going to Aztec Warfare Season 2. This was Andrew Champagne's pick, and this was actually a really fun show. It's a, it's a quick show. It's only about an hour. You can find this thing online for free if you just look up Aztec Lucha Underground, Aztec Warfare 2. And a lot of the wrestlers that were in this are now in WWE, in AEW, and they, you may not know them or recognize them under a mask or in a certain uh, iteration of them, but if you look them all up, you actually find some very, very familiar names. Right off the bat, you get uh, Rey Mysterio, and then you know Ricochet is Prince Puma, Johnny Mundo's in the mix there too. You see Chavo Guerrero, uh, Santos Escobar, who's in NXT, he's in in there too, and lots of names throughout. And uh, a really fun, really exciting show. Our first look into Lucha Underground. Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali join for the old wrestling rewatch. Oh, yeah. Old wrestling rewatch with Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali. <laughs> for the first time, the old wrestling rewatch is going to head to the temple. We're going to Lucha Underground for Aztec Warfare 2, Andrew Champagne's selection. And uh, this was a really fun show to discuss as Darren Zocali joins Andrew Champagne back for the old wrestling rewatch. One thing I, I like about uh, Lucha Underground, Andrew, this was your pick. And just overall, if you're going to try to do something and have a new company, have a new product, have something that you know comes into a space that already has a couple established players in that space. You have to try to go a little bit different. You can't try to do the same exact thing somebody else is doing and just not really be able to do it as well without the same amount of money or production level. That's why I thought Lucha Underground was very, very good. It's a bummer it didn't get to last longer than than the the little short kind of lifespan that it had, but for about Three seasons I remember this was appointment viewing for me I was watching this every week I was DVRing everything I was really into what was happening And at this point um, I was I was super invested in Lucha Underground Andrew Champagne tell us a little bit about the uh, the setup And why you chose this one Sure so I'm going to give a little bit of background On Lucha Underground For anybody that's listening to the old wrestling rewatch Expecting us to do something on the WWE Network And is wondering What the hell is this? So six or seven years ago, Lucha Underground was born. It served as a wrestling program on the El Rey Network. So if you've never heard of the El Rey Network, chances are you've never heard of Lucha Underground. Having said that, Gino, you mentioned one of the reasons that Lucha Underground worked. The other reason is they had world-class talent. And all you have to do is look at the roster. For Aztec Warfare Season 2, which for my money was the peak of their creative brilliance. And they Mm -hmm. had a lot of great moments. But just take a look at this lineup and see how many names you recognize that are doing phenomenal work in the year 2021. We have Phoenix. We have Rey Mysterio. King Cuerno, better known as Santos Escobar. Johnny Mundo, a.k.a. John Morrison. Prince Puma, who is better known as Ricochet. 
Jack Evans is in AEW. Taya just wrapped up in NXT, was unfortunately one of the releases, but she is a world-class worker. Brian Cage. Yep, she was Frankie Monet in NXT for yep. a little while. She didn't get a whole ton of love there, but she looks a little different too because remember, we are uh, the, the show that we're talking about actually was re- uh, happened back in 2015 and was uh, was recorded back in late 2015. Actually was broadcast in I think March of 2016. She does a fantastic job. Yeah, as you continue on, Andrew, there's this is a loaded, loaded field of 21 that we end up taking a look at. Yep. Uh, we've got the Mac, who is Willie Mac, who has done a lot of work around the independent scene. Mm-hmm. Chavo Guerrero Jr., who was one of the executive producers of this show. Uh, you get a guy in PJ Black, better known in WWE circles as Justin Gabriel. Uh, Tejano, if you're familiar with AAA, Tejano was a big, big star in Mexico for a while. I never got it with him. We can talk about that when we get there. Mil Muertes, better known as Ricky Banderas. Big guy that can move everybody drink. Katrina. Oh, my God. Katrina. (laughs) We'll talk a lot about Katrina as this show goes on. But the big reason that this particular show worked is who came out at number 21 for a 20-person battle royal. Trust me, this makes sense. And we'll dive into why as we get there. There's a lot of talent on this roster. For the most part, it was booked exceptionally well. The things that hurt Lucha Underground were a couple fold. One, they took an inexplicable break between the first half of season three and the second half of season three that absolutely killed their momentum. Mm -hmm. And then when season four started, Ricochet was gone. A couple other people were gone. They had sort of booked themselves into a corner. They had to book Pentagon as a face, except he's not really a face by nature. He's the rebel that plays by his own rules. It didn't quite work as well as they wanted. And then they just ran out of money at the end of season four with a cliffhanger that had a lot of people self-included wondering, look, I don't need another episode of Lucha Underground. Just give me a 15-minute vignette for how everything wraps up and Mm -hmm. we'll call it even. Um, Lucha Underground at its best was brilliant, brilliant stuff. Darren, uh, so as someone who has been mainly uh, like a WWE fan through the years, you got into NWA and WCW stuff there. But for for the most part, you know, we we've been really WWE. They've been uh, in WWF. They've been the the mainstay for wrestling fans for a long time. What did you know? And like, what was your uh, interest in Lucha Underground before? And then uh, what did you think of, of what you watched in this hour long Aztec warfare? Yeah, I, I watched it. In, in sporadically, I guess would be the word. You know, I wasn't a religious follower of it. Um, you know, I, I, I would be one of those things where I would like would try to remember to DVR it and I would forget and then I have to catch up on it and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was an interesting, different style of wrestling than what we're certainly accustomed to seeing on the WWE main roster. There's certainly some more. I guess you would call it NXT type vibes and some of the things that you mm-hmm. see with the in-ring work, which is mm-hmm. obviously well-received. Um, the storylines were intriguing. Um, I didn't get all of them because, like I said, I wasn't watching this week in and week out. But obviously I knew who some of the guys were, uh, appreciated their work. 
Uh, I thought that the setting was was very interesting. It had kind of this industrial factory setting mm-hmm. um, where it, it was a complete contrast to what we would typically see with either a WWE show or an old school WCW show. So for me, it I, I guess the best way that I would describe it uh, would have been like a breath of fresh air. Yes. Uh, yeah. Something something that I enjoyed that was outside of my comfort zone, but mm-hmm. that was still enjoyable for me. And it took me a while to kind of get used to it and connect a lot of the dots and things like that. But obviously uh, the wrestling work is tremendous. You see some major names in there. Uh, you know, Chavo Guerrero, who somehow at the age of 48 looks like he's still 25. And this was um, actually some of his best work too. Yes, it was. Yeah, he he yeah. was like, from the very beginning, he was um, sort of uh, portrayed as, you know, kind of a top heel from a top wrestling family. He wasn't really a joke or sort of the lackey or sort of the brother that wasn't, you know, as talented as, as unfortunately was where for a guy who has a lot of ability, he sort of always was living in that, w- w- in sure. that shadow, you That's know, a big so shadow, yeah. yeah. And I think you kind of hit on it too, ZZ, what I like about this from just a pure look standpoint, um, and Andrew was sort of getting there is, is that. They they were hurt by you know they were on a small network in a pl- and on a on a cha- channel that a lot of people didn't have. But if you were just flipping through the channels, this was something that you might stop and look at. Like, wow, what's this? This kind of re- this is wrestling, but this is a little different. They're in like this weird, like you said, it's like a they, they call it the temple, but it was this this small building in Boyle Heights here in uh, in, I, in Southern California. I almost, wonder, I almost wonder if. And it's kind of silly to say because it's only it's only a few years ago. I mean, it's what three, four years ago we're talking about. Um, but if it was almost a little too soon, where absolutely if you would have taken this content and put it on a streaming service now, an OTT app or anything like that now, yep. that a lot of people could have easily accessed. You could definitely see that this could have had much longer legs to it than it did. And actually even think about right this second We are recording this on Tuesday, November the 9th They just had another round Happy of Montreal Screwjob anniversary everybody <laughs> Exactly, exactly We we only got it under 10 minutes before we got Bret Hart on this one And uh, we, um, we know now that there are another round of big releases from the WWE A lot of, in the, in the most recent release We're talking Keith Lee uh, Ember Moon, um, some real, real top level talent that people that were placed in major, major spots. Heck, there was a girl B Fab that they just brought up on Hit Row that they end up releasing. And in, right now, and um, AEW has taken in so many WWE wrestlers over the last you know six months. They're not exactly a place that has a whole ton of room. Right now that we're seeing a lot of their top stars having to rotate in and out, which is nice, which is good, but they don't exactly have just unlimited space to keep bringing people in over and over and over, by the way. Yep. I I think, I think this is entirely by design by Vince McMahon. He's kind of mentioned that before. I think he's trying to force AEW into being something that they didn't set out to be and flooding them with all these different options of who to sign. And basically turning AEW into like WWE light. Yeah, I think I think I think that's a part of it. And maybe, you know, you can question the releases. And I certainly have questioned a great many of them. And the fact that you could possibly screw up somebody like Keith Lee is unforgivable. But at the same time, there might be a method to this madness. And it wouldn't shock me at all if this is what he's trying to do. See, here's my thing with that. 
Do we think Vince is planning that far ahead? If he is, maybe. But if he's not, and this is just strictly a financial kind of thing, man, I completely agree with you on Keith Lee. How do you miss the boat on that guy, especially after he came out in the 2020 Royal Rumble, which is a show we're going to have to do at some point, by the way, because that was a really good rumble. He comes out, goes toe-to-toe with Brock Lesnar, and people take him seriously right away. How do you screw that up? Yeah, well, Brock sells it. I mean, when he comes out Mm -hmm. and Brock goes, oh, big boy, all right, that's it, guy's made. Him and Roman in Survivor Series right before that. Roman Survivor Series. Even though Roman went over... You know what he it did made him, there. Yeah, absolutely. Made him look legitimate, and uh, yeah. So right now, Ring of Honor just recently said they're going to be wrapping things up for a while. And I know a lot of the independents, and obviously some of the smaller companies. The pandemic really hurt them when they they couldn't go out, they couldn't sell tickets, they had to figure out what to do. Um, AEW and you know Tony Khan for as much positives and negatives you want to say about them, he has a lot of money, and they do. So he was always he has been able to even he's even joked about it with Vince, like I can do I can go without ads, I can do commercials longer than you can. You know he tries to tell you about it, but he from from a just having another home for wrestlers, it's been a good thing for more another place for more people to go. But you look around now and it's there. It would be nice for there to be another place that was just different. You were sort of getting to this point, Darren, and you kind of danced around it in that AEW for as some nights in the programming is very, very good. There's a lot of good wrestling, a lot of good, you know, stories, good characters. The crowd is very hot. Some nights, it's like anything, it's not as good, in my opinion, but they aren't that different as much as a lot of people want to say they're a lot different than wwe and sure right maybe they're they do things different like right now they're new so they they show a little bit more respect to their fans than a company like wwe does with some of their storylines and you know being a a billion billion dollar company they they are a lot more worried about the bottom line and in the wwe logo than what we have to mention the fact wwe is a publicly traded company it's completely different Yeah, no, it's completely different. different. It's so that's it's so in that sense, way, way different. Um, so what I loved about this is just hey, Lucha Underground didn't work. I don't think it didn't work because of the content. It just like Andrew was saying, there were a few things they didn't have a lot of money, they didn't necessarily get the best network, was a little bit archaic. Nowadays, there are there feel like there are so many more homes for something like this. This you could this could have been on like a Paramount Plus or on Hulu somewhere or on Netflix even. Well, Netflix somewhere. initially had, had the first two the seasons, reruns, right? And they took it off because nobody watched it, unfortunately. Now, the thing with El Rey was it just seemed like every time their contract came up with a carrier, it ended. There was no fight to get it back on the network. There was no fight to get it back on whatever carrier you had i had sling in large part because it had the l ray network well middle of season four it didn't have l ray anymore and i had to see how it ended through completely and totally legitimate means that i'm very proud of but (laughs) there were things that lucha underground did that work and it's not overly complicated despite storylines that had some people's heads spinning as they were going now 
we're in season two, and there's a couple of things to keep in mind before we launch into this. One, season one ended with Pentagon being built as a gigantic star, having a match with the retired Vampiro, after which it was revealed that Vampiro was Pentagon's master. This comes into play later on in the show. There are a couple of guys from WWE that had already made their debuts in Lucha Underground. Johnny Mundo was a big part of season one. He and Ricochet had some of the best matches in the history of the company during season one. They had an all-night-long match that went 45 minutes. And if you have not seen this match, I urge you. I urge you. I urge you to check that out. Because it is... I'm not going to say it's a five-star match, but if you want to say it's four and a half, I'm not going to nitpick you on that. Um, There's a lot that goes into Lucha Underground, and there are times where it's a little difficult to wrap your head around everything. But this particular match, you don't need a whole lot in the way of exposition to see what they're doing, which is, for my money, the most effective immediate launch of a main event heel since WWF debuted The Undertaker at Survivor Series. They made a guy um, who's not really that big, honestly. (laughs) They made him look like a giant. Huge and just monstrous. And he's incredibly athletic. Jeff Cobb is the man who we're talking about who actually is the the monster of Matanza. And he's done a lot of work in New Japan where I I believe he's still in there. And he's popped up in a a bunch of different companies all over the place. The guy is a legitimately incredible athlete. and when you say debut of a main event heel, you mean that like nobody had heard of them before they appeared. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like out of nowhere, and then right. oh wow, this guy is the champ. And he well, what feels... I'm saying so like Scott Hall showing up on Nitro doesn't fit that. No, 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 no. Because no. right. you right. knew you sort of knew. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I understand where you're going because you're right. There, there are a few like you know, Kane, Kane pops out. But the thing about which is funny is like we knew he was coming. Right, they were telling us that this guy was coming for a while. Yes. This yes. one was just now, you're watching this show, and then Cueto hadn't even showed up. He's the evil heel that runs the company. He's the quote unquote bad guy, the Vince McMahon-ish character of Lucha Underground, who you know makes things difficult on the the baby faces, who makes you know um, stacks the odds against them. You were getting to the point where. This is a a very phantasmical kind of world where there's magic, there's mystical things that have happened, there are spells and curses, and they they kind of you know they they lean into it, they have fun with it, but it's 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 a big part of it. It's this the the production and stuff that's outside of the the temple from the rest uh, that's not wrestling is very much like a movie. In fact, uh, the the directors and a lot of the people working were former film. Um, you know, directors and and producers, and you can tell even when you just see the very beginning scene right off the bat, it looks like something you'd see on on a TV show or a movie production, not necessarily something you'd see in wrestling. And so that was another thing, Andrew, that I think was, you know, some people it, it would maybe there'd be things that were hard to follow, or it's a little bit too much, or that's not exactly what they want in their wrestling. But it does come off different than Alexa Bliss with a doll, right? Like they were. There was a little bit more of a respect, but also a hey, wink, wink, nod, nod. Let, you know, we're having fun with this, and you're just you're buying in like you would buy into a movie like this or a TV show. Exactly, and 
there were certain things Lucha Underground did that fell flat. If you're not familiar with Sexy Star, I urge you, do not look her up. Just don't. Unfortunately, they made the decision to push her as a main eventer at times. Thankfully, she's not on this show. There was one flaw that I found with this match, and we should probably get into talking about the match now since it's a one-match show. But it seemed like while they had a lot of guys that could really work, they, they wasted some spots on guys that weren't necessarily going anywhere. And we'll talk about that as we get there. But as far as Aztec Warfare goes, from a match quality, it's another one of those Lucha Underground matches that maybe it isn't five stars and there are things you can nitpick. I would not go lower than four and a half, though. It's excellent. It's excellent. It's an it's a 50. And what's nice is it's not even an hour. It's 50 minutes, 53 minutes, I think. And it was something that was on an hour-long TV show with commercials. And it is fun. You're getting 20 different people entering. So there's a lot of excitement every 90 seconds when another person comes out. It's just like the Royal Rumble, except the difference here is the way you are eliminated is by pinfall or submission, not by being thrown over the top rope. So like in any sort of triple threat, uh, fatal four-way match where you get five or six people in it at once, very similar to the match that we just discussed at WWF Armageddon in our last old wrestling rewatch, you know, you'll get... Scenarios where you have one on one, two on one, three on one, two on two, you know, combinations of six or seven or eight people at once all in the same time. So you're getting all these different combos of people who have former feuds who maybe will ignite a future feud, um, men and women. In this match, Andrew went through the names of people that right now are, are major stars. We're talking Santos Escobar, NXT, John Morrison, Ricochet, Frankie Monet, Brian Cage. Um, even Marty the Moth, he's in the AEW Nightmare family in the factory Willie Mack, Justin Gabriel, Ray Horace is in Ring of Honor That's Dragon Azteca Jr. And then Jeff Cobb as Matanza comes out at the end And we begin Lucha Underground Aztec Warfare 2 So we're headed back to late 2015 This was recorded December the 12th And we ended up watching this live on March the 23rd, 2016 Looks just like a movie production As Phoenix enters the Warriors gym He's met by Pentagon Jr And Katrina appears She says, your master must be teaching you About the dark parts, but you know nothing About darkness, I don't even know why you're here You never received an invitation To compete in Aztec warfare You lost your privilege when you put your hand on me Pentagon Jr uh, Mentions you don't scare me Neither does Mil Muertes who he has currently embattled in a feud with And Pentagon does not get the opportunity In Aztec Warfare to win the title But you can tell, obviously Him being teased early on Him being in this opening segment This opening scene here uh, He mentions zero fear I am Pentagon Jr. I have zero fear uh, Katrina says back The only reason you have zero fear Is because you don't know fear And as for you, Phoenix You barely survive tonight You will take your last breath Mill will take his title back So this isn't you know your normal Video package that you'd get to start The Royal Rumble or something in WCW and Or you know NWA or uh, some of the old Wrestling that we would know This is much much different here Andrew I mean Darren you were kind of hitting this um, if in, in, in ways this felt Maybe a few years ahead of its time This is a lot like some of the cinematic Stuff we've seen companies try to do In the last couple years yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely is. Um, 
you know, at times, can it feel a little too scripted? Maybe. Mm -hmm. And I even think some of the choreography in the match can at times come off like that. We'll talk about it in a couple of spots. But that's okay. Because the overall setting, the atmosphere, how it's presented, it's just so different than what we're used to seeing. And like I said, that makes it a breath of fresh air. And mm -hmm. is everything perfect? No, it, but it doesn't have to be. Nope. It's well, It's well done. It's it's well thought out. It's outside the box and mm -hmm. it works. It checks boxes that other companies would not be able to check at this point in time. And yeah, it's ahead of its time because we do see something similar to what we see in this open in some of those cinematic matches that we see down the line. You know, uh, you talk about like the Undertaker AJ Styles. You get that feel, don't you? Get the it feel has for that, that feel to it. Yeah, mm -hmm. and you yep. can kind of. And I'm not saying that it was taken from this, but who knows? Who knows who watched this and thought it was a good idea and filed it away somewhere? And, you know, it popped up in a conversation at some point. But, yeah, it's it's cool, it's different, and it works. Yeah, because this sort of led to the Hardy stuff, right, Andrew? Right afterwards where you'd get a little getting, bit, yeah. like broken um, Hardy, and then, then, then you got Jeremy Borash and some of them that came over to WWE and sort of brought some of that cinematic vibe. So it's it's a little different, and I, I think – it's very cool and you you would get a lot of you know this was probably one of the the episodes of Lucha Underground where you actually got the least amount of this because they had so much to pack in in just an hour. Right, that's for sure. I've got a couple of things to go through here. First of all, I am in no way saying AEW is dropping the ball with Pentagon Jr. He is part of the Lucha Bros. They are a fantastic tag team in these 3 minutes. Pentagon Jr. looks like Lucha Underground's version of Steve Austin, and he mm -hmm. was. Yep. This is a guy that if they ever wanted to turn him ultra heel and just have him break arms and leave, AEW could do that, and they would be able to print a lot, a lot of money doing it that way. Now, for a little bit more backstory, in season one, there was this weird romantic tension between Phoenix and Katrina because Katrina was involved with Mil Muertes. Phoenix is the bird rising from the ashes. So there's some symbolism there. It was weird, but they made it work. And also if you watch this and you think, gee, where have I seen Katrina's look recently? I'm not saying Mandy Rose stole it. But I am saying there's a lot of similarities there, and I'm not mad about that in the least, Darren. Andy. I, I mean, you, you can't be mad at me. No. 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 It's not possible. Is, uh, yeah, this is, this is a lot of fun. And, it, you know, the, the, the temple, the vibe of the temple, as soon as we, we come into the temple— it's just way different. It's gritty. It's kind of grimy, but it's something you'd you'd stop if you were flipping the channels and go, hmm, what's that? Is that wrestling? In that sort of place? And then maybe you'd, you'd look for a few seconds and uh, and start realizing, oh, damn, these guys and gals can really go. And Wait maybe for Zeus to make an appearance at the top of the steps. Exactly. It's just, <laughs> it's a really cool look. Um, it, the fans are chanting Aztec Warfare. There's a band in like a tribal sort of 
uh, band You get this crazy headgear Feathers, all sorts of colors They're doing the, you know, different tribal da- uh, Dances with drums all over the place And it's Matt Stryker and Vampiro Welcoming us in For the first time ever, Lucha Underground uh, Will have the championship Defended in Aztec Warfare 20 men, every 90 seconds Another man will enter, another participant Will enter, and uh, the only way To be eliminated, pinfall or submission uh, Stryker says Pentagon was not invited And Vampiro's frustrated as Andrew Had mentioned this is they have a, uh, a relationship He is basically like the, uh, the The mentor to Pentagon Junior said uh, you know it I know it but uh, but this is what It is the drums start And Aztec warfare will Begin I gotta say You know I know a lot of people Don't really love him and he Can definitely Get under your skin and be annoying Mad striker but would yes, but when he's toned down or when he's sort of directed well, he he can do he can be very very good. And I thought he had a great night tonight in this in this particular setting. I thought you know sometimes there are things that he lays it on a little too thick. He tries to get a little. There too is cute. one line that always makes me laugh, and we'll talk about it when we get there. But I thought he did a pretty good job in this. He he is a very very well known. Um, he he's a smart dude. Right, he's a smart guy. You can tell he puts a lot of time and effort into his craft. He researches a lot of things. He watches wrestling from all over the place. He knows a lot of everyone and their backstories, and and he he'll no he'll tell you he did. I thought there were a lot of times he was doing some of the New Japan stuff, which was was some of actually kind of like the beginning stages of AEW, where you had Jericho going over to New Japan. You had a lot of this American sort of fan base, you know. Getting to to watch Kenny Omega and the Bucks and all of them over there and hearing it with English commentary and that was there was a little bit of a you know like a, a transition there and Matt was calling a lot of the you know those things with Jr. I thought he had he had a pretty good night here, Andrew. What do you think about uh, about Matt Striker overall and and him in, uh, in Lucha? I liked him in Lucha Underground. I thought that was fine. He was not the weak part of that commentary team. Vampiro That's, is hit or miss. I know. And I am not saying he was terrible. When you're relying on certain things with him, sometimes you get him, sometimes mm-hmm. you don't. He has a very long history, for instance, with Conan. And Conan, while out of the picture in season two, was a very large part of season one. And Vampiro would constantly take all these shots at Conan. And I'm going, dude. You're retired. He's got a cane. There's no way this is ever going to get paid off. Just stop it. Now, what he's been able to do in the wrestling business is certainly noteworthy. Of course, he worked for AAA, worked for WCW, and he also has had a front office role in AAA for quite a while. Unfortunately, there were some things that he did as a booker Mm -hmm. that channeled someone else with the first initial of V. Yeah, there there are a few people that were that are on this show also that have uh, have not held up well or in the test of time in the the court of public opinion and some of the things that they have done. We'll get to one of them. Hey Joey early. Ryan, how you hey, doing? Hey Joey Ryan, even um yeah, Cobb has been kind of involved in some some bad stuff here and there too. But uh, Joey was the one that definitely to mention, which is it's crazy. I, I actually announced a lot of shows with Joey Ryan, um, where he was on the the you know the independent scene, and he was always a big big independent, you know, a, a, kind of a mainstay in Southern California. And um, 
Crazy, a sleazy gimmick porn star guy caught in trouble for some, you know, some sexual assault stuff. Life imitating, wow, wow, living the gimmick there, um, a little much with Joey. What'd you think of uh, the commentary team, DZ, and and sort of Striker overall? Someone that we've seen through a lot of years in WWF, WWE. Yeah, I thought he was fine. Um, you know, no, nothing over the top. I I was trying to remember who, where his style. Remind you know who he reminded me of, and I wasn't really I wasn't really drawing any connections, which is probably a good thing. Um, you know, there's some uniqueness to him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes a little over the top and a little a little overacting and a little over dramatic. And there were some things that you could tell he just wrote down on a piece of paper before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like exactly. like you know, I'm gonna like like I got these three lines ready to go when this guy comes in oh. and he's got all these adjectives <laughs> ready to describe <laughs> these different guys. And you exactly. know it's not off the top of his head. Exactly. It's, it's all written down. And that's kind of what I was talking about before with some stuff being a little over choreographed. But mm-hmm. that's okay. Yeah you, you'd it, rather have that than someone not prepared. Right. Yeah, right, absolutely, you know? absolutely. But yeah, I, I agree with Angel was saying out of the two, Stryker certainly was the uh you know the more uh, consistent performer when it came to uh when it and, came to the announcing work. But uh yeah, I, I thought I thought he was fine. Is he is he a five star ring announcer uh, uh commentary guy? No, but you know, I thought he fit the event well. I, I yep, could put it yeah. that way. And yeah. I thought there was a connection between him and what he was saying and what was taking place in the ring. Yeah, and Vampiro, you know, they they have him in the color spot as and a lot of times in wrestling in particular and even in in sports the sometimes it's cool when the color guys a little rough around the edges. You know, when they're not they don't have to always be as polished if you have a a, a solid play-by-play guy next to them, but with Vampiro when he you know, I actually thought there were a couple times throughout the the show where he mentions things like, "Oh, I know that mask," you know, or you know, like I know that this it sort of represents this. And there are a few of the things that were like, "Oh, that was that was a good little tidbit," you know. It didn't take long. It was kind of cool, and it sort of gives you a little bit about this particular, you know, wrestler. I just can't believe how different he looks compared to what he used to look like. What he used oh, to, yeah. how big, how big. Drugs are bad, y'all. right? And like bloated. How bloated he looks just compared to You never thought of him as that big of a guy either Now if I may jump in here Ladies and gentlemen out there In uh, listener land If you have not seen The first Ultima Lucha And his hardcore match with Pentagon Very good You need to It's one of those matches you only see once But they knocked it out of the park And for as much as we knock Vampiro And some of the stuff that he's done that was brilliant. It reminded me a lot of some of Vince's really good, good um, street fight matches that just were way better than they had any business being, and yep. way more, way more entertaining. You know, they're not going to be flying around back and forth, but they're just those beat, like those brutal beatdowns that are just wow. This guy is. He's given me a lot more than I was expecting there. Um, but yeah, when he's missed or when he says things that are a little goofy or when he's just not. Quite as polished sometimes it, it's bad But I thought they both did a pretty good job in this show I had a lot of fun watching this show top to bottom Let's get right on into it The drums beat Aztec Warfare begins Melissa Santos who I believe is uh, now, This is Brian this Cage, is Brian yeah. Cage. Yep. She introduces us As we get ready for Aztec Warfare And the first participant For Mexico City Mexico Is Phoenix He just won the title a week ago So he in 
in something that you would see in, in probably a lot of other wrestling companies. In fact, we've seen it in the WWE. Was it uh, four years ago where Roman had to defend the title in the Rumble and start out with it? I think uh, 2016, yeah. Yeah, Triple H uh, ended up winning at the end. We've seen this happen before. This is something that they would have had, to, you know, a Stone Cold Steve Austin or somebody do where they've had to either start at the very beginning or defend their title and try to, you know, outlast 19 others. So Phoenix. As one of the the baby faces, he's aligned with Pentagon Junior. Who again, he is not in this match. Not and at this time. He's at this not. time, no. Yeah. Time. Uh, eventually, there'd be something going on, and of course, they are real life brothers. But Lucha Underground, for the most part, kept them apart. Unfortunately, what that led to in season four was them making the decision to turn Phoenix heel and to allow Melissa Santos who is a tremendous ring announcer with a lot of passion in that role, they tried to make her act, and it just did not work at all whatsoever. If you watch season four of Lucha Underground, there's some good stuff there. You get to see a very young, not ready for primetime Sammy Guevara in a couple of key spots there. There are some low points, and that's definitely one of them. As we get to number two entrant, um... It is a surprise from San Diego, California, Rey Mysterio. A little thick Rey Mysterio here. A little, little, little chunky Rey Mysterio. I wouldn't say like out of shape, but got a little bit of pudge. Like right now, if you look at Rey Mysterio compared to this, he's very much slimmed down again. And, and yeah. very, very schvelt um, around the, the mid. You lose, you lose something in the pop when the pop isn't just when the music hits. Yes. Like they didn't know who it was. They were playing some kind of. You know, muffled music that you couldn't really make out, and until you see said the name, mm-hmm. you didn't know who it was, and it kind of you could see the difference between that setup and the setup where the music hits and you get the pop right away. Yep, you don't get that music. Everybody knows right away, and they go nuts. But the crowd does. They once they figure it out, as DZ mentioned, they they start to get going. They call him the King of Lucha Libre. He climbs the ring. And uh, in Lucha Underground for the first time, and we get Phoenix and Ray showing respect. They shake hands in the middle of the ring. Phoenix takes off the belt, and we are getting set. The fans are are chanting, um, you know, little things like uh, "Animal" and Vampiro lets us know one of the cries of the Mexican warrior. Those are little things that uh, Vampiro does well. Kind of a little tidbit, little quick in it, you know, something that maybe. The folks who are watching don't know what that chant means or don't know they haven't been watching AAA. And that's that's what you know he can add to the commentary team, those little uh little bits as the you know Matt uh Matt uh striker and him are set. Matt Matt has some fun stuff throughout. You know, he's he's pretty pumped for uh for Ray here to, uh for Ray to be here. And these two go at it early on. Looks like we're gonna get a six one nine. But Phoenix ends up nailing him with a nasty super kick. He's showing off. We get a handspring and then an arm drag. He goes for a pin kick out. They both get up, uh, going for different kicks here. We get Ray throwing Phoenix off the ropes, and Phoenix catches him. And then a reversal. Ray catches him, and uh, so a lot of fun little ones up, little one upsmanship back and forth. Two really athletic guys, and I'm sure a great moment for someone like a Phoenix, and really cool for this crowd to see when you when you thought Lucha Underground, Andrew, when this show was created for for anyone in the American wrestling fan base over from you know 
1995 on When you think Lucha I mean the one person that comes to everyone's Mind is Rey Mysterio Because that's their one entrance Into Lucha for so many Different people Hell there's probably a lot of people that never have watched A triple A something but but they're big fans Of of Rey Mysterio and they've seen you know some of the uh, the you know Eddie Guerrero or some of the uh, the cruiserweights in, in in late WCW. So Ray was going to have to show up here at some point, and it was really cool to see him end up here and the the interaction that we got between him and Phoenix right off the bat. Yeah, Ray at this point had left WWE not long before this. He would wind up in AAA for a couple of years. Unfortunately, he was in the ring for one of the lowest moments in the history of Mexican wrestling when Pero Aguayo's son passed away in the ring. Mysterio was in the ring with him. So lots going on for Mysterio around this time. You mentioned he was a little bit chunky, and yeah, a little bit. But it's not like it detracted from his work ethic or stopped no, not at him all. from doing not anything. At all. He was still the Rey Mysterio that people remembered. This was Which is not... amazing because if I gained 10 pounds, I could barely get up out of bed in the morning. Well, <laughs> right? and <Yeah>. also <laughs> Rey Mysterio has had five surgeries on his left knee at this point. It's a miracle the guy is still walking, let alone throwing ranas and flipping around and whatnot. But this was one of the things that Lucha Underground was a little spotty with because they brought in Rey Mysterio and he could still go and he would have a couple of all-time great matches in the history of Lucha Underground. He had a match at Ultima Lucha Dos with the biggest face in the company at the time. That was Prince Puma. And it was a very good match. It's what you would expect from Ricochet and Rey Mysterio, right? In season one, they brought in Blue Demon Jr., who was a star in Mexico but was in his late 40s, couldn't really do a whole heck of a lot. They brought in Tejano, who in Mexico, by Mexican standards, is a giant, like a Jeff Cobb type, but they brought him in and he just didn't really get over. But when they hit on a guy like Rey Mysterio, they brought in Alberto El Patron in season one for a very small, short time, and that actually worked. When they hit... They hit homers. And we are up to number three here, King Cuerno. And as uh, as Andrew mentioned, Darren, this is uh, Santos Escobar, who is in NXT right now. He has a very good act with Legado del Fantasma. There's uh, the three of them together. They've brought in uh, a new um, female to be part of their act. And they. this is the guy who is in the cruiserweight picture, but he's always felt in, in his stuff in NXT too, very, very... Um, sort of like towards the main event there for someone who was, you know, a cruiserweight. He was in big programs with, you know, a, a lot of big players there. I thought that they've always been presented like a, a pretty good package. And he comes in here and he is, you know, on fire right away. The hunter makes his way to the ring. He goes after Ray. We get a jump kick to Phoenix. He's posing here and um, he does the uh, the imaginary bow and arrow. He hits a suicide dive through the middle rope onto Phoenix. The fans are going crazy here. Ray gets up and uh, and kicks him to the floor, and then Ray goes for a suicide dive. So we get Santos Escobar out here at three, and he goes crazy. Yeah, and obviously, <clears throat> excuse me, they are showing him a a great deal of confidence, putting him in this spot with the champion mm-hmm. and with a living legend. You know that mm-hmm. that that's an absolute vote of confidence to put him in that spot. Uh, a lot of thigh slapping going around. 
It is some loud <laughs> thigh slapping in this match. It's a super kick party. It, it is, is a massive thigh slap, slapping slap. super kick party. Um, yeah, it's it's loud. I, the acoustics in that place, that uh, that thigh slap sounds lethal. Um, yeah, so this is what I was talking about where I said some of the stuff in the match did come off to be a bit choreographed. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you have two guys starting the match, obviously they sat down and talked about what they were going to do. But you could see based on their movements that a lot of that first sequence in the first couple of minutes was all put together between the two of them. And and it was very choreographed. It's excellent. The athleticism, the maneuvering, the moves, there's no, there's no mistakes. I mean, it's excellent. It's just, it's just very choreographed. Um, And I'm not necessarily saying that from a complaint standpoint, uh, it, it's just what you're seeing, but yeah, I, I thought I, I thought the first three, you had three guys in there that could all go. You had your champion, you had your legend, you had your up-and-comer who obviously could hang with them. A lot of good things going on to start the match early. And now you're going to start to drop in some guys that can go, some big names as well. Uh, it's, it's just, it, the action continues to be hot and heavy. It's very well done, and it's very well booked, in my opinion, as well. That's mm-hmm. for sure. It is very well booked. You get these guys, they can all go. Um, when Cuerno does his dive through the ropes, that's a really cool spot. I'm always a sucker mm-hmm. for that. Uh, Cuerno, by the way, was one of the guys that got actually involved in a lawsuit against Lucha Underground for the contracts that Lucha Underground had on a lot of their performers, which was they couldn't go anywhere else until the matches that they had in the can aired on the El Rey network. That was the reason that Ricochet took as long as he did to get to the WWE, because he had one of those contracts. Now, the wrestlers that were involved in these lawsuits ultimately won. That was one of the reasons that Santos Escobar was able to jump over to WWE when he did. He was at the Performance Center for quite a while, I think, before they got him on NXT television. But... It was one of those instances where you look at these guys, you see the work rate that they had, and you just you start wondering, how didn't they make it? And that's when you start bleeding into the business side of things, mm-hmm. and you go, oh, oh, that's, that's why. Okay. That, that's why. As we get to number four, Arhenis, who um, comes out and goes right after Phoenix. We get a kick to Ray off the ropes, a uh, big reversal, and Ray goes after Arhenis. Then Ray goes after Cuerno, knocks him down. We get a 619 on Arhenis, top rope flog, uh, frog splash, and boom, quick elimination for Arhenis. Fans are yeah, actually he was, chanting. He was a jobber with them, if Eddie. I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. He was. So as, as uh, most of these battle royals that we see that are in the Royal Rumble sort of uh, format where you're going to have them staggered, Coming out into different, you know, you'll get your big, your some of your big starts at the beginning. You'll get a couple of the big ones that come out at the very, very end, and then you know, once you start to get, especially at this point, like the middle part of the early, you will get a little fluff. That's not the case with Johnny Mundo, who ends up coming out as number five. And Andrew, this was actually a really good period of the of a career of a, a very good career for John Morrison. I think a lot of people, you know. Know the name and they've seen him in WWE Through the years he was someone that Early WWE You could tell they always liked him 
They always he was always on TV. He was always in the mid card ish range. He, he had even had his. Look too. He had a great look. He had the, they, they did they did the thing with the the slow motion with his entrance. He you could tell they put some time into him, and they thought there was something there. But it was weird. He wasn't you know compare him to someone like a, a Billy Gunn who we've joked about you know as a guy who is get was getting. Over and over and over and all these different opportunities And all these different pushes A little bit different in terms of workability And right, he could go (laughs) He could go in the ring and Morrison just didn't Really get pushed all into the main event That many many times where I think He was a guy who really could Be there and even now like You've always sort of treated him like a joke But if you were to insert this guy into a match With you know, one of the top level talent we've seen him put him in a match with someone like Drew McIntyre. Hell, go have him in, have him had a match with Big E. It would be great. It'd be fantastic. He had a he had a feud with the Miz when the Miz was the champ because they were former partners. They had a false count anywhere match on Raw that was excellent. It was really, really good. But this was a time period where here and then he went over to Impact and he sort of proved, hey, look, I can be a top babyface or a real top guy in a company. Now these Companies aren't as big as WWE But it was sort of more More about the you know I can be That that guy I can be a Big fish in really any pond We saw a lot of people from Impact head over And be main eventers from uh, in, in WWE so I think this was a good Few years Andrew for uh, for Johnny Mundo and the John Morrison character And just sort of Reminding people how good he was And he had a good couple years Early on in Lucha Underground Where he was the heel Then they turned him He was sort of the baby face for a while But he was always treated like a top, top level star Yup And one of the very first episodes Of Lucha Underground They had a three minute vignette With Johnny Mundo Talking about how he was on top of the world Walked away and came back He didn't wrestle for several years between when he left WWE and came back to work for Lucha Underground. He didn't miss a beat. Now, the one thing I'm going to disagree with you on is Mundo has one flaw, and it's a big one. He cannot cut a babyface promo to save Mm -hmm. his life. He just can't do it. From bell to bell, he can be a fantastic babyface. But remember, this is the gentleman who gave us Mr. Ziggles. Um, yeah, that was a thing It happened WWE let it happen But going back to even the first couple years of his career In the late 2000s on SmackDown Don't ask me how I remember this And don't remember what I had for lunch today But he had a match with Edge That went 20 minutes And I was sort of a lapsed wrestling fan at the time The late 2000s are sort of a blind spot for me But I remember For a lot of people I remember watching that match and I remember texting someone that I used to watch wrestling with saying, turn this on edge is making this kid that looks like a million bucks into a star. And he could have been, I'm not saying he could have been the tippy top guy, but his first run with WWE, they left some money on the table with him. Absolutely Mm -hmm. sure I'm happy he's been able to come back And have a nice run with them Even though he did technically get eaten by zombies In the match that we will not talk about At all ever again One of the worst promotional stunts He's doing some yoga gimmick right now Which is kind of cool It's kind of goofy And unfortunately like you said Taya is, um, is his 
fiance are they married are they wife they're married wife okay i wasn't sure if they were full um fully married but they'd been they've been together for a long time so unfortunately she was just released which is a bummer and we see her pop up very soon in in just a few and if i may bring up one more thing before we move on to number six can we talk about johnny mundo's furry boots those are awesome (laughs) like who in the hell else can pull off furry boots in lucha underground's temple what he, more do you need to know about Johnny Mundo's star power than he pulled off furry boots in an Aztec temple? Yeah, he does have a style that's very unique. That's something that a lot of other people wouldn't even wouldn't even attempt. But he he can wear that. He really can. He was doing a lot of movies and stuff at this time too. He was trying to get into the acting. He loves sort of the uh, sort of the goofy. I think he was into some of the slasher kind of stuff too. He popped up in a few different places, and uh, you could tell he was. Um, it, it happens with a lot of people in, in WWE But it happens in a lot of people that work Hard in any company in any industry When I left TVG I was burned Out and that's one of the reasons why I left There were a lot of different things happening but When you're burned out for a little while you just gotta Go away and you gotta clear your head sometimes It takes a month sometimes it's six months Sometimes it's two years it's five years You go from being on a company where you're on The road every day you're doing this you're Doing that it just becomes You know something that it your 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 injuries they don't they keep adding up you're in different towns all the time you start you you have nights where where the hell am i you kind of forget and he just seemed like someone who was really having a good time at, at this period and i think he it sort of gave him that love back for wrestling again so he comes in and we get from him some really great stuff right off the bat we almost get like a standing spanish fly here where uh, he slams phoenix and then we're getting these la- like lateral press pin combos back and forth and back and forth is uh, number five. It's Joey Ryan, the doctor of sleaze. He oozes in with the uh, the blow pop, the lollipop, and he's grinding around and he's got the uh, the, the baby oil all over and the, the, the mustache. And like we mentioned, Joey it's Ryan as scummy as it sounds. It is. It is. And Joey Ryan has been been outed recently for, you know. Being someone who was like a veteran in a lot of the independent companies, and someone who, in in a lot of places, he'd been around so much that he he would he would book a lot of the shows. He was one of the PWG six. The yep, and he was uh, in in the company uh, that I did a lot of ring announcing for too. And and again, the, he was a fr- a good friend of the promoter, and nobody knew this stuff about him. Like he was part of his character, but he was someone who was very well respected and in the independent scene and. And a lot of people He was in the early stages of AEW In, in their biggest show in, in their big shows right off the bat So uh, very very uh, sad to see Some of the things that have come out about him Since as, uh, we see him here at number 6 If only and, he could have been handcuffed To a guardrail more often <laughs> Right I was going to say That that's that's, gonna, that's nothing bad I was going to say that We can just leave him here And someone, uh, someone uh, forget where the key is as uh, jo- uh, Joey is comes out and as Darren jokes, he he ends up handcuffing himself to a railing, so you can't get eliminated. Can I ask, really. can I, here's one thing that bothers me. Okay, I get what they're trying to do. The heel is going to handcuff. I'm not going in the ring. It's like I a Jerry the get, King Lawler kind yeah, of thing, you know. I can't get beat. I can't get pinned. But the guy is handcuffed to a rail. Like you could beat the hell out of him. In, Why you well, in, in, in fairness, someone did. Does someone does? Well, someone eventually, but, yeah. You know, but 
I mean, stupid heel, right? Like, just look, look at, dumb like, if criminal. I come out, if I come out to a ring and there's six guys in a ring and they all have their hands and legs intact, and then there's one schmuck on the outside who's handcuffed <laughs> to a guardrail, who am I fighting? I'm, I'm going after the one-handed target. guy. Easy target right there. Yeah. Let's go after the dude who can't move around much and he's stuck there. As uh, Joey is uh, handcuffed now at number six handcuffed himself to the uh, the guardrail and we come out to number seven <clears throat> we come up to number seven a famous b who was a funny a funny character he was like a, a manager who was uh who was always trying to build his stable so he's out there ringside looking like around teddy, that's like teddy long meets uh, mvp that guy mm-hmm. yeah hey, you guys you guys know the phone number right famous b <laughs> four fam- two three get Fame. 423 get fame. By the way, they did have that phone number reserved for a little while. And if you called, you got famous B cutting like a 30 second promo. It was like a recorded. Yeah, it was a recorded little thing. It was really good. It it was funny. They were having a good time with it as um, we then get to number seven and it's Prince Puma. And this is Ricochet. And this was Ricochet right before he was really, really buzzy. He went from this to doing a lot of the New Japan stuff on the independent scene in that really famous match with Will Osprey that got picked up by a lot of uh you know sports outlets where everybody and Vader and yeah. Vader too Invader yeah <laughs> and uh, and everybody kind of caught them and actually Ricochet had a good you know they do this with Ricochet all the time on Friday Night SmackDown he came out he his character had a little bit of purpose. He smacked Drew McIntyre in the face. They went for five minutes, in, but it was a good little five-minute sprint between the two of them. And then even afterwards, he had a backstage segment with Mustafa. But it just – it seemed like they, they always want to give him a little bit of time, and then they pull him back. It's like if you give me 15 minutes of Ricochet on TV every week, it's generally pretty good. I, I don't know why you wouldn't want to have him out there you know, most I mean, weeks. He, he does stuff that just human beings should not be able to do. This, the, when he comes out and hits – so right off the bat, it's him. He takes everybody out. Mundo, Phoenix, Cuerno. He hits a springboard 450 DZ that just looks so smooth. People do Effortless. these things. Yeah. It's like the, the rotation that he gets and then how he the hangs up. Is, the height is insane. And he like hangs and he when he holds himself up on the on the flip, it's sort of weird because the one person who I always remembered that could just get in incredible air was Taka Michinoku. When he would just like leap off of things and just kind of hang, and Ricochet will do that in Prince Puma here on on like a revolution. After he's already gone one time in the air, he can still sort of hang and just wait there. It is unbelievable what that guy can do, DZ. No, it's yeah, like I said, you know, you you just you look at that and you marvel, you know, at, at your ability. Some people, no matter what you can do, you're not going to be able. You, you might be able to do certain maneuvers and you might be able to, you know, pull off flips and things like that. But he does it. He looks like he, it's like Michael Flatley, Lord of the Dance. Like that his legs are not part of his, his body. His legs move about as if independent from his body. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's just, no, it's, it's just not, it's just not supposed to come that easy to do these things in the ring. And do and and do these flips the way he does, and like you said, I mean, it just looks completely effortless. I I could watch Ricochet in a ring all day long. Are his promos a plus work? Are they maybe holding him back? Maybe, mm-hmm. but I but he's, he's still one better. of the most 
he is getting better, but he's still one of the most underutilized talents in wrestling today. If Very only much. there was some solution wherein someone could be with him and cut his promos for him. <laughs> I don't know. Like uh, maybe, ladies if, and gentlemen, if gosh. they were to yeah. manage his promos, yeah. If Heyman only, if Heyman only. would be great. Not Can you imagine? even Heyman. But, you know, but, I got a, I got an idea. I got an idea. How about Selena Vega? Have Selena Vega cut Ricochet's promos for him. She'd be fine because uh, Ricochet, as a heel with the manager to then turn babyface, would be the perfect template for him. He's a small guy who's incredible in the ring. The evil heel manager can just go on and boast about how this guy is the most talented. What he does, nobody else can do. They'll yeah, help play, Ricochet. Play up the angle. Play up the angle. He's frustrated. He's not getting his love. Blah blah yeah. blah. Get the manager. Turn him heel. Have her say all the stuff about how he's underappreciated, and you're off to the races. Boom! And then you got the baby. You got the automatic baby. How face do ter- we not have our own territory at this right? point? And then once he's babyface, he's the a perfect babyface because he's. We small. don't have the financial back. Exactly, I was gonna say. Let's <laughs> you know, let's uh, Darren. Up. All I'm saying is, if you redirect some of that thorough crowd money over to the wrestling world, we could start running it's shows. It's gonna or, take. We, it's gonna take a lot more than that, Tom. I mean, I'm just saying we could bring Dan Housen in as the GM. We could bring RJ City in to do the Stadler and Waldorf bit. I'm not sure how good the wrestling would be, but the promos would be hilarious. I can say some of the uh, the wrestling uh, sites out there that cover wrestling now seem like they may be on the take for AEW. So maybe we can get a little uh, sponsorship and and get involved in the, some of the storylines that we want over on that side if we say some. Jesus, positive. it's like the Run Happy money going everywhere. It's like we hear that uh, we we hear some folks out there that are obviously pushing a narrative sometimes. So maybe uh, I I would never do that though, folks. That's not our style here. As we get to number eight, we get to Jack Evans, who comes down and and while he's making his way down the ramp, Ray actually uh, this looked out. like a timing botch. Yeah, they tapped out Cuerno. We didn't get to see very good at, at Ray locking in. An arm bar or even at Cuerno tapping It was kind of oh oh So that was something that probably could have been done A little bit better Everyone's working on Mundo We get uh, Evans coming in and, and he starts to show off A little bit springboards But he misses His uh, Mysterio Puma and Phoenix team up on him Mundo uh, Was working on him and then all three of them uh, Turn around They give him the chop on the outside Ray off the top turnbuckle He Stands on Phoenix shoulders and they walk across the ring And then we get a diving splash onto Evans Which was a really cool spot And they go for the pin But then Johnny Mundo actually makes the save Pulls Evans this out This was funny Yeah <laughs> And Mundo turns around it, to see like who's who's the next person coming out And it's Taya It's uh, they're, uh, someone who they are associated with well, And Johnny Mundo's wife Well the funny thing was go ahead. When he pulls Evans out Evans points out you tried to hit me. You tried to get everybody to gang up on yeah. me. And you Mundo's just, what going, are you kicking whoa, me whoa, for? Whoa, 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 what do you whoa, mean? Whoa. I was going, and, yeah. And by the good. way, they weren't formally aligned yet at this point. But when Taya comes down, that is the start of the faction known as the Worldwide Underground, which would maybe be like the homeless person's version of the bullet club across a bunch of different independent promotions <laughs> it would wind up being johnny mundo jack evans um taya uh pj black would be involved as well 
there'd be a couple of other people sort of interspersed. You know, they say poor person's version. All it's 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 significantly further down, but it was a pretty cool concept that they were able to do because you had a bunch of people who were very good workers who didn't take themselves seriously at all. So we get to this point now where uh, we have the three Rudos, the heels, and the three Technicos, the faces, lined up. So we have six uh, six in the ring, and then Joey Ryan's still uh, handcuffed to the outside. And everybody goes at it. Is, uh, <laughs> Evans, the, Puma takes a bad fall here as Evans pulls down one of the top ropes, and he just kind of goes flying. I thought that kind of looked cool. He just... It sort of disappears off the screen as the the rope gets pulled down, and now he's starting to sell a knee injury here. Uh, Mundo's tossing around Mysterio, Taya, and Evans are uh, uh, teaming up on Ray, and now we get to number ten, which is uh, Cage. As uh, Taya Taya gets tossed out, Evans goes for the drop kick, but he does not hit, and he gets a big clothesline from Cage, who tosses him around the ring, and uh, we go to a commercial. We come back. And Cage catches Mundo for a power bomb, but Taya jumps off, and he actually ends up catching her and slamming her to the floor. She takes some serious bumps. She gets, time. she throws herself around. That's what a lot of these ladies in Lucha Underground did too. And what you see in a lot of the intergender stuff, it may be something that doesn't, you know, you're not comfortable with. And I got to be honest, like sometimes it can be a little squeam. I can, it can make me a little squeamish, but I. You know, these are some really talented women. We've talked about it now. If you just look in the 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 compare the women's roster and the top top tier talent in there, I mean, I would be very comfortable as far as how good they are in the ring with Sasha and Charlotte and Becky and Bianca. Like stacking them up with their quality and their caliber of what they can do with any of the men. Like they're that good. Like that that good. Yep. And uh, really quick, that's one of the things Lucha Underground did very, very well. They did the intergender stuff, but they did it in a way that wasn't squeamish. It was two competitors that were going at it. We mentioned Sexy Star. The less said about her, the better. Eva Elise, when she was healthy, looked like a genuine badass. And some of the work that she did was great. Some of the work Katrina did was great. Uh, There were a couple of others as well that... Were able to get in and go toe-to-toe With the guys Lucha Underground did a lot of things right With regard to the booking And this was one of the things they did That showed, hey, we've got a female roster That can go toe-to-toe With some of the guys Let's use them We get to number 11, DZ I thought this was funny Uh, Matt Stryker, this was one of his written lines No doubt Can I say it? Can I say it? Mascarada Sagrada comes out Yes, this is the line that always makes me laugh they call him a paragraph because he's too short to be an essay. I'll take <laughs> things you could not say in 2021 for 200, Alex. No, that was like one of those jokes when you were a kid, you know, that you would say about the essays. I got to write an essay or something about my essays. You know, there's always some of those, but uh, it, it did make you chuckle a little bit as here comes Mascarita Sangrada, one of the minis. He comes in. The fat, you know, all sorts of crazy quick offense. He goes after Phoenix, suicide dive, but Mundo catches him and then nails him with a super plat with a super kick. Um, Cage, uh, he got thrown through an office window. Now he's back. 
and he he just comes, he just he comes just, right back through the window. He's like, and stands oh, up like I'm back. Oh, I'm back. He yeah, looks there. like the villain from a horror movie that does. doesn't die. Right. Yeah, it's like the Shredder in the uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, where he like pops up back out of the rubble and they have to kill him two or three times. So Kane must have really caught the raw deal because he's the only guy that like stayed. Stuck in the glass In the glass forever I was gonna say his it, it definitely impacted his career And maybe some of his mental state With some of the stuff we've seen from Marty In uh, in recent years That yeah. that glass That shook him up man That wasn't some of that uh, You know they call it the, the gimmicked glass They must have screwed that one up Whoever whoever gimmicked the glass In the barbershop that day Poor Marty Poor Marty Speaking of which Marty the moth How about that Number 12 And uh, Marty Martinez Is actually right now Currently in the AEW Nightmare Factory training as part of the Nightmare family, which is kind of weird when you think about this was six years ago already. So he's in the, I guess, sort of development still for AEW. He's popped onto Elevation and Dark a couple times. He's done a little bit of acting, I believe, here and there. This is a guy who was actually on Tough Enough before his, his gimmick, Andrew. It made me laugh. It was never going to be a main event gimmick, but he was really creepy and they would lay in like they would lean into it, calling him a super creepster. He was doing the thing with Melissa Santos where he'd come in the ring and just sort of scare her uh, with how, you know, how awkward and, uh, and and uncomfortable he was. And he always kind of made me laugh, but he he definitely wasn't presented and, and wasn't one of like the top top tier main eventers in here as we get to number 12. Oh. And now we are more than halfway through this battle. Right. Really quick on Marty the Moth. This is one of those things I mentioned. For one thing, his gimmick and where he was on the card, perfect. It was over. It was very over. room for guys like that in the mid card. For sure, 100%. He's not in this match long, but he gets in a lot of offense for somebody that's not a main event guy. And if they were going to push him beyond his stature, that's be one thing. They gave him a lot of spots and a lot of time. And just looking at this match, you could say that about a couple of other guys too. The one hole that I thought this match had is you get Cage at number 10 and the way Cage was being presented in Lucha Underground, you could think, okay, Cage might win. Masquerita Sagrada obviously was not winning. Marty the Moth Martinez was obviously not winning. You get to 19 or 20 before you get a legitimate contender. They sort of front-loaded it, and the match is still great. Mm -hmm. But from a suspense standpoint, you're wondering, okay, who is left? What's going on here? I I just wonder if things could have been structured a little little better. Because from 10 on, you're right. Because you get Phoenix, Mysterio, you feel like, okay, legitimate Chances to win Cuerno this too. Cuerno has easily been there a while Yeah and he was eliminated pretty early It was kind of a surprise Mundo was always treated top level Prince Puma Then after that you didn't think with Jack or with Taya Cage sure he could have been in that conversation But after him Masquerita Sagrada Marty Martinez The Moth Drago The Mac was fun but probably not someone Who you would have thought would have been able to win this thing Chavo the same Wouldn't have been a surprise to see him maybe hang around Towards the end but not someone you would have thought Would have won same thing with PJ Black Same thing with Aerostar Dragon Azteca Jr. Tejano Probably all that you Wouldn't have expected to win this thing Until you got to 20 and 21 A couple that you feel like okay They could win this thing and, and number 20 We didn't even know number 21 was coming in And number 20 wasn't in very much when we get there So you're right this was sort of that 
middle part of battle royals that we see where you get some fun gimmicks come out. A couple people get to come out that the crowd are into and they do their uh, Socko or the, you know, Santino spots of a Royal Rumble. You'll kind of get a little bit of that here in this middle part, DZ. Nothing bad. And I thought what's nice is that, Darren, since this is such a, a quick. It's only an hour, not even. It's fifty-three minutes. That nothing drags. So even even some of the you know the maybe we say spots eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen aren't true possible winners or contenders. It's all pretty quick, and they all come out. They get their fun spots in. There's so much action going on around the ring and in and in different matchups that it never really like got too much of a down point or a, a really really slow. No, they're coming in every 90 seconds, and it might even be a little quicker than that at, at times. But no, I mean, the action, the way that they book the match, like I said, is very well done. It, the style of wrestling obviously keeps you entertained. This is not like a Royal Rumble where you have, like, two guys just kind of throwing punches in the corner. Another no, they're outside the ring. The they're using weapons. They're yeah, going all much, over. And, and, and the the rules of the match enable them to do that. Mm-hmm. It's an anything goes. You can only be eliminated by pinfall or submission. So it's not as if, like in a Royal Rumble, you know, it's hard to go outside the ring and stay outside. I mean, you could do it, but it just, they clear the ring for, you know, for pinfalls and submissions. And, you know, there's always something entertaining going on. Whereas in a Royal Rumble, and I'm not trying to shit all over a Royal Rumble, Royal Rumble is a fantastic match, but at times it could be slow. At times it could be, you got nine guys in the ring. You got two guys in one corner, three guys in this corner. You got you got three guys that have been laying in corners for five minutes. Number one and two have our gas. They're taking yeah. their break. Yep. This is this is a similar style match in terms of the the you know the, the just the actual rules to the match and the guys coming in every ninety seconds. But other than that, everything else about the match is different from a Royal Rumble, and it's much faster. It could be more entertaining at times, and even the slowest parts uh, are not slow. Andrew, I think we missed. Um, so right when Marty's coming out, right before that, Mundo actually gets eliminated, which is a pretty big surprise because we would have assumed him to be one of the the few that you thought could win this thing or at least be hanging around at the end. But he uh, he gets caught uh, and nailed by Prince Puma, and he's eliminated here. So that was a big elimination. Jack Evans, uh, corkscrew kick, and then Cage slams Taya into the uh, the ring apron there. So a couple uh, a, a tough bump for her. Uh, Marty and uh, Sangrata are going at it a little bit. And um, let's see, what's our next elimination here? Marty Evans is up on the top ropes. He gets caught in the body scissors. Marty slams him face first into the mat, and um, he's going crazy. He's kind of laughing. As uh, Evan bites his fingers, throws him to the floor, and we get to number thirteen, Drago, the blue and white, uh, the blue and white dragon. As uh, we then go to another commercial, so we're up to thirteen in this middle part. But that elimination was a little surprising to me, Andrew. I kind of forgot that he he was out so early on. Yeah, that's a case where they were trying to do the Brian Cage Johnny Mundo feud, and you understood where they were going. But I do think it was another instance where the timing didn't quite work out because you want to have an elimination like that take center stage. And instead, that happened pretty much right as Drago was coming out. And it wasn't a case where it was bad. I got where they were going. I mean, Johnny Mundo sends Cage 
through a window into what's supposed to be the office of the person running the temple. More on that later. Cage comes back looking like a horror movie villain, hits the Weapon X on the floor, throws Mundo in. Puma winds up pinning him as a callback to a lot of their season one stuff. And it worked, but you really wish that they would have said, okay, let's maybe wait to start the countdown for Drago until Mundo gets eliminated because it clashed a little bit and a big moment like Mm -hmm. that in the match probably should have gotten more than, oh, Johnny Mundo's out. Oh, look, there's Drago. I understood why they did it the way they did, but it just seemed like another instance where the timing was a little bit off. And Mm -hmm. that's how you know that as good as the workers are and as good as this match was, you're not looking at the slickest production. And that's part of the appeal of Lucha Underground. It's Mm -hmm. just those are some of the things that happen when you're doing that. And also, quick note, the way they used to film Lucha Underground, they would do it over the course of multiple weekends and guys would be working three, four matches a day in Mm -hmm. front of largely the same audience. So you get guys that in some instance might've been a little bit tired, yep. might've just had an off day. And when you have an off day and you're working three or four times, look what happens. It's, it's just the cost of doing business the way Lucha Underground did it. It's not a bad thing. It's just something that you look at, you think about for a minute and it makes sense. A little bit different as uh, we come back from a break and we get Jack Evans cartwheel flip and uh, Drago gives him a kick. Drago goes to spray the mist in uh, in Jack's face, but uh, as Jack ducks, Joey Ryan gets a face full of spray. There you go, Joey. As uh, he then Drago tosses Evans into the crowd. Rey Mysterio and uh, Marty are going at it. Uh, Singrata and Ray hit a diving splash, and they double cover Marty Martinez's legs for the p- combined pin. That was like that's a fun Royal Rumble spot. Right, you get Ray, the legend, a couple lucha legends teaming up together to, you know, g- eliminate someone who wasn't going to be a major player in here. But as Andrew said, this is a guy with uh, Marty the Moth was over in his role. He did a good job as sort of a lower to mid card heel who was was very creepy. And we continue on with uh, oh, uh, Jack Evans getting thrown from the from the crowd seats onto the floor. Cage and Puma are going at it Number 14 is the Mac, Willie Mac Shout out, I like Willie Mac, I've announced him At a lot of independent stuff, the guy can go I think Willie Mac was in the uh, Was in NXT for a, a little while At one point, what hurts him And Cage, because we see them at, at Early on um, Stand toe to toe, and the crowd gets pretty Pretty excited for them They're both just a little bit shorter than you would like. Like if they were both either one of these guys were just a few inches taller, I think WWE would have already taken a big opportunity or and, and tried to make something out of them. Um, because Willie Mack is he's got a really good personality. He's very enthusiastic, he's very energetic, he's just not that tall. And he's not tall and he's not physically in like his body isn't in fantastic shape looks wise. So you have a guy who just is sort of like a Five ten, six foot, sort of, you know, n- not the greatest in shape looking guy. He could go in the ring. He really can, and he has a good connection with the crowd because w- the companies he wrestles for. When you w- when you let him go for a while, the guy can really do it. Um, it, it just 
it's a bummer it hasn't really connected with him. He just I think I think that's always been the uh, the issue. Just maybe a few extra inches, but he's a big. Uh, he, he's flopping stunners all over the place, throwing up the middle fingers here. That's the other thing. With he's him. a little too stone cold rip offy. Yeah, I like him in small doses. He's fine, but it just seems like at some point you got to do your own stuff. He's even he's even doing like the two fingers to the mouth, like call up to the sky, you know? Like, yeah, he's doing he's doing everything that that. Austin and does look, if, if you're going to rip off anybody ripping off Steve Austin isn't the worst thing in the world. In fact, one of his stunners was to Marty the Moth after Marty the Moth gets eliminated and Marty sells it like he's been shot. And that's a fantastic bit of work. The problem is moderation, man. Yep. As uh, we get to number 15, it is Chavo Guerrero Jr. And uh, Taya, she's still in the mix there. She's going after uh, Sagrada Drago with a powerbomb to Evans on the on the steps in the bleachers, which is a pretty cool spot. So that's one, this, as Darren was hitting on, that's what makes this really a lot of fun to watch throughout and not not down or boring really at any moment because there's just so much action going on. And if you're someone who never watched Lucha Underground, this is a perfect match for you to watch to see if you might like it because you, there are so many people in this match that you'd recognize and a few that you probably wouldn't realize are under the masks like uh, like Ricochet as Prince Puma. So I, I understand sometimes when you watch wrestling and you don't know anyone there or you have to kind of get into a, something that's completely new, it can be hard to to connect. This would probably be a very good uh, stepping stone into it Especially with someone like Matt Stryker Who you probably know and could sort of help you Bridge some of those things that you didn't understand And um, We are up to the. This was a funny moment too where um, Chavo Catches Sagrada and slams him into the Turnbuckle tosses him into the mat Then we get a back body drop From Cage onto Ray Chavo locks in the camel clutch on Sagrada Vampiro says it's not the camel clutch That's La Dea Caballo Invented by Gory Guerrero But it's not call it a horse or a camel Right now because it's more like a pony Clutch with the The uh, the mini Sagrada who ends up Tapping out so he's eliminated um, Brian Cage looks like He's going to hit a powerbomb on Ray but Ray uh, Is able to counter he sets up The 619 but then uh, Taya holds the rope so Ray Goes flying outside Mundo Comes back out With a cinder block and just Crushes it over Cage's Boy, head. Brian Cage earned his payday tonight. He did. He went through a wind. He went right through a window and then got nailed with a uh, a cinder block. And Taya actually pins him and eliminates can, can him. I, can I just say one thing? Please. Though? Cinder blocks bother me. I know because that's, that's that would kill this... a person. The sledgehammer, well, the yeah, cinder block. It's things... like that would murder a person if yeah. you hit them in the head with it. I don't like yeah. having to. Bl- a chair is. You know, that's fine And things like that, we don't like the chairs as much nowadays But I agree with you A freaking cinder block But, I mean, if you take a cinder block And, and, and hit somebody in the head with it you, Number one I don't. The cinder block's not breaking The cinder block is just going to cave in the person's head mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to explode no. Into a million pieces over the head <laughs> no. You know so I understand it's great dramatic effect and it, and it, it looks it good, looks whatever. great when it explodes like that, but, right? And go, yeah, oh. but I mean, at some point, there's got to be some symmetry between art 
and sport and real life. And smashing a cinder block over a guy's head only to have him pinned and roll out of the ring is a little, to me, that that's just a little bit unrealistic. Very much agree. As, uh, then So Cage is eliminated. Prince Puma comes up from behind and actually hits a German suplex for the pin on Taya. So now Taya is out as we get to number 16. It's the Darewolf, PJ Black, who was just no engaged. reaction, which is a shame because PJ Black's a hell of a worker. And unfortunately, I think he is sort of kind of been slotted in a lot of places where he's another one who just doesn't have a very good promo. You know, he, he was the bunny. He yeah. was the bunny. He can come out. He's he's a great tag team wrestler or mid card wrestler. He's a great wrestler to have answer an open challenge and come out and give you a ten minute match where you're gonna go wow. And a couple things that he has in his repertoire that 450 he does really really great, but even even less than Mundo in that he just doesn't really connect. He had a hard time getting over all that much. The stuff that he was doing with the Nexus was good. He was he's good to be a guy in a group. Him and Heath Slater were the tag team champs for a while, and the guy can go in the ring. And he's had, you know, wherever you see him show up, NXT or uh, you see, you, I think he showed up in um, uh, TNA um, Impact in the X Division. He'll always be very good in the ring, but just not quite in the main event level or uh, a main event promo. Number sixteen here, though, uh, does a standing suplex to Drago on the bleachers, and uh, then a back. Uh, Drop to Evan or Drago fights out and then hits a backdrop on Evans and then he sends Black into the uh, the ring post. Joey Ryan still handcuffed outside as we get to number seventeen. Arrow Star and fans are chanting Arrow Star as uh, Black breaks up a pin attempt. Arrow Star with an Irish rip reversal gets caught by an elbow. Um, Drago Hurricane Rana spin around and Arrow Star ends up dropping Evans off the top rope, nails him on his head. Ooh. A top rope Canadian destroyer. Let's just throw that out there. Rain, but yeah. A, yeah. A top rope Canadian destroyer. Guys, I don't know about you. My body doesn't go that way. No. Um, no. Now, Aerostar is a really quick deviation. Was one of these guys that was always sort of hanging around and hanging around and hanging around. He played a key role in season four. And would have been a central character in season five. Long story short, Dario Cueto winds up getting killed off at some point. And the last shot of season four is Aerostar bringing him back to life in the funeral home. And Dario Cueto sits up, looks at him and goes, Aerostar, what the? And then everything cuts off. Had there been a season five, Dario Cueto would have been the crusading hero against the evil spirits, and it would have been freaking awesome, and Aerostar would have been a part of it. And then they lost money and went out of business. How's that for an anticlimactic finish, folks? <laughs> so uh, we get pins on Evans and on Drago. Both are now eliminated. As number 18 comes out, it's Dragon Azteca Jr. Vampiro says he's seen that mask. And uh, Dragon Azteca Jr. takes out Aerostar. Can I give the history lesson here before please, we move on? Please, please. Okay. So in season one, El Dragon Azteca was the legend figure that was in the shadows. He was a guy that was trying to mentor a woman by the name of Black Lotus um, under the belief that Black Lotus was going after someone that had killed her parents. Well, Dario Cueto got into Black Lotus's head, 
that El Dragon Azteca Sr. killed her parents. And in the season one finale, Black Lotus kills El Dragon Azteca. She and Dario Cueto go on the run. And that's why Cueto hadn't been seen for as long as he hadn't been. Now, El Dragon Azteca Jr. comes in. You can obviously imagine what he winds up doing. But he also winds up being the third guy in a faction with Rey Mysterio and Prince Puma that has some really good trios matches. And if you've never seen Ray Horus work, you're in for a treat. So we're into the final few here. Um, number 19 is Tejano, who was a, a big star in AAA. And you're, you're sort of right, Andrew. He's just kind of plain, you know? He um, He's sort of just like the everyman. But he's someone who has had major, major title reigns there, um, is now known as, I believe, Tejano Jr. And he was... Someone who was was pretty over, but just didn't, you know, didn't really do it all that much for me. But he was presented like a top player and was a big deal in AAA. So to this audience and to this crowd, they uh, presented him that way. And he is number nineteen here as we get to number twenty. Or so he comes into the ropes. He, you know, um, uh, he does a flip over the top on lands on everybody. He stomps to the back. And he power bombs Black, covers him, and PJ Black is eliminated. Ray Mysterio and Tejano go back and forth, um, and then uh, Tejano ends up going out to the ring uh, outside the ring after Chavo. As we get number twenty, it is Mil Muertes with Katrina, and as they make their way through the uh, the entrance and down the steps, we get. Pentagon Junior coming crazy through the crowd. Sierra Miro as uh, Pentagon Junior and the the crowd loves him here. He's that you know Austin who wasn't allowed to be in the Royal Rumble, but he makes sure that Mil Muertes is not going to win this thing, Andrew, because he hits him with chair spots to the back. He keeps kind of you know uh, chair shots to the chest to the shoulder. Fans going crazy for him He ends up throwing Muertes into the ring Ray hits a splash off the top rope Puma ends up uh, helping out And quickly Mil Muertes who at number 20 Was set up to be you know The unstoppable man who nobody Would be able to defeat this guy who was fresh Katrina out there with him But Pentagon Jr. with the sneak attack And he is instantly eliminated So at, at this point We think that Muertes being eliminated is it So we think that that you know The rest of the the the, the men And women in, involved or It's going to be the one of them that's going to be the champ We're going to find out in a minute from Dario That more is to come but how'd you Think they did with the uh, mill coming out at Number 20 and with the with Pentagon here Making sure that he, he didn't even Really get an opportunity Chef's kiss It was perfect exactly now, Perfect the first 10 People come out in this match And it's excellent. We mentioned there's a lull in the teens. What this match needed was a swerve. And not only did we get the initial swerve of Pentagon being involved, the entire last 15 minutes of this match are one gigantic swerve. Let me present to you a question. If Vince McMahon came out at the end of the Royal Rumble and said, hey, here's number 31, And brought out, I don't know, Dolph Ziggler or somebody. It wouldn't work. It just would not work. But because of the gravitas of the Dario Cueto character, 
because of the groundwork that had been laid, knowing that Dario wasn't alone, that he had somebody with him under lock and key that was very, very dangerous. And because in this instance, he almost returned as a conquering hero because nobody liked Katrina. This was perfect. That it was really, really well done. And um, she's furious. Mil Muertos is furious. He heads to the back to, to go try to find Pentagon Jr. And Katrina's screaming at Vampiro, which Andrew mentioned earlier because uh, Katrina and Muertos are connected and Vampiro and Pentagon are connected. Is uh, Vampiro kind of ha- gets up and and goes to, to speak with her? Um, we get, you know, she's screaming at him. She smacks him in the face, and then Dario Cueto comes up. He has not been around so far in season two. He said, "This is my temple. I am in charge now. I'm the boss." I announced there is one more entrant in Aztec warfare. My brother, the monster Matanza Cueto, at number twenty-one. Huge dude and the way he's presented He's coming down Sort of looks like a Bane Character that you would think very Compact and Just he's got a a, Sort of a alien mask that's Kind of Darth Vader-ish To it very dark looking and But Hannibal Lecter is what I Would go with yeah it's not like corny Either it it, it looks good It it looks really good and you look It looks like you're seeing a Killer on the loose and that's exactly what they wanted. Mm-hmm. He's got the the black jumpsuit, and um, there are seven that all circle him. They try to attack him. He throws them all off, and he goes after them one at a time. In fact, he picks up Phoenix, slams him, and pins him. Boom! The champion, just like that. Wow! Like what a way to make your presence felt. Immediately you pin the champ Someone who came out number one Who's been around already for about 40 minutes Probably at this time And boom he's out So now we know there's going to be a new champ Which is very very cool And they didn't try to do anything cute By saying oh Pentagon is going to get his opportunity He's in this match They let Pentagon deal with Mil Muertes In that feud and they told a totally different story here Which was great And they made someone right here with Matanza Who just starts going crazy He then takes on Willie Mack who jumps in They all start coming at him one at a time You know it's like any big heel that comes out Or it's in the rumble We see this in Mortal Kombat or fighting movies The big bad and you start going after him one at a time You know they tried to team up at the beginning That didn't work Now everyone says okay let's see if I can do this Willie Mack unfortunately cannot he goes for the double middle finger stunner Nothing We get a big German suplex into a pin Willie Mack just gets eliminated Arrow star, boom, hits the ropes Goes for a big forearm German suplex One, two, three Arrow star is eliminated, boom Here comes Tejano He tries to attack Matanza from behind With a choke, he's choking him with a bull rope Matanza flips him over And then uh, a one, two, three. As uh, Vampiro is sort of scared 
He's not all there, bro. He's not all there, man. There's something wrong with this guy in his head. I don't know what he's thinking. And uh, and well, was Vampiro channeling Randy Savage? That he was. It was that. <laughs> it was that and like a Cheech Marin. It was a combination of the two of them. You know, uh, that, that's that's what I that's what I was just gonna say. It sounded like yeah. Rome's from Tin Cup. I was gonna say like, Rome's. Hey, man, what the hey? Exactly. It was. Does, just, did he have magic dust? It was yeah. that. It was. It was a little, a little dust there, Rome's. A little dust there, a little gust there. Oh, great, great one. But um, DZ, what did you think of? You know, we're to we're he just is tossing everyone, and you know, I think hitting Phoenix was important because you eliminate a major contender, and then you you get a few that maybe you didn't think were winning, but you really start showing that. Oh, damn! You know, every Rumble or Battle Royal throughout history has a spot like this. For someone to come in and look dominant They just did a damn good job With this guy because some years it's great Someone will come in the diesel or the cane Or the Roman rain spot or whatever The big monster is they have a few eliminations And very rarely do they end up Winning though right. they'll kind of look strong Throughout but they're not The ones around at the very end This time was a Oh wow this guy is just Going to lay everyone out and mow Right through them as Andrew said it's not always the bet like it's not a popular way to end your show you don't get the baby face reaction but as far as like a building someone this was just hey you know every person that we've made seem important in the two years so far on this show this dude's gonna come in and just squash them yeah well when you bring them out last the way you did i mean that's kind of how you have to book it absolutely bring yeah you're (laughs) not gonna bring them in last and then have them get beat by even by something you know uh whether it be fluky or anything fluky, like that, yeah, right. you know, you, you bring him in last, he's going to win. Uh, and like you said, I mean, every Royal Rumble, for the most part, anyway, has a spot like this. The guy just doesn't usually win, um, and this guy does. Obviously, uh, they do a great job with it. They book him like a like an absolute monster who looks like he could work in the ring. You know, with some of the moves that he's doing are, are wild. Some. You know, a, a and, and Cobb was in the Olympics too, right, Andrew? And, I think Cobb was an Olympic wrestler. Or... He was a legitimate athlete. I don't know yeah. if it was wrestling or judo or something, mm-hmm. but Jeff Cobb is not one to mess with. Yeah, but but they did a fantastic job of saying this is our monster heel. He's a force to be reckoned with. He's going to run through everybody like a razor blade through you know American cheese, and and that's what you get. And uh, yeah, it, it's fantastically booked. It's extremely well done in the ring. And, you know, the show ends with, my God, who's beating this guy, which is what your goal was. Mm-hmm. You, you have a reason to tune back in next week to see what happens next. Like, who who has even got a chance against this dude? He looks over and sees Joey Ryan outside the ring. And so he goes and he rips apart the steel railing. Like Darren was just mentioning, this guy is stuck. Joey Ryan's like, oh crap, I can't move. And he just that's bends. Like a Bra- the- that's a Brock Lesnar type of spot. It's a Braun Strowman, Brock Lesnar yeah. maneuver, right? Some of the feats of Mark Henry, one of those feats of strength that they would do. And it was it was great. So the guy's athletic. He's throwing, you know, suplexes and stuff. And then he's out here bending steel as he tosses Joey Ryan into the ring. Handcuffs are still on him. And three big suplexes, pin and uh and adios, Joey Ryan. And so there are four left on the outside And it's Mysterio, Puma, Chavo, and Azteca And they, Chavo 
Chavo tries to team up with, uh, you know, with with uh, the monster at this point, which is which is really great. Um, he tries to strike a deal with Dario. And and so then he kind of walks back up and Matanza just says, you know, screw you. And he eliminates him. I think right before that, we end up getting Azteca Jr. eliminated. Matanza just catches him. And again, super impressive with uh, another one of his like basically looked like a choke slam, sort of a little different style choke slam where he kind of had almost like a rock bottom ish more than a choke slam, but really impressive. And so now we're down to. You know, Chavo coming into the ring, Matanza, he can sense exactly what's going to happen. He quickly, you know, turns on, not turns, he's never like aligned with Chavo, but Chavo's kind of patting him on the back like, hey, look, this is my guy. We're together. We're together. And nope, not at all. Adios to Chavo as uh, Matanza nails him, big clothesline, then a slam, then a pin. So at this point, we are down to, it's just three now, I believe. We've got Puma, Puma. Mysterio and Matanza So these two baby faces Really cool Ricochet and Mysterio Think about two of the all, all like awesome High flyers too They get in here and they're, they're double teaming kicks, forearms Standing drop kick, Puma splash Ray goes for the splash but then Matanza Catches him, tosses him outside We get Puma going for the kick He ends up getting caught and then a big suplex For Matanza, he again Hits a, another big German suplex One, two, three Boom is gone He is just laying waste to every single one It's just Rey Mysterio left We get the Si se puede chance from the crowd Yes you can Is just the two, the final Rey two Rey Mysterio going against a giant Gee, I think hmm. this is going to be good You know why? Because I've seen it a hundred times it's, And it's never been bad It's always worked before and Ray is doing exactly what you would expect from Ray. He has a couple of really good hope spots here where he gets insecurity. Then he looks like he's going to go for the 619. It gets blocked and he slips off. You know, he's able to counter a move from Matanza. Then he hits a drop toe hold. He goes for a, a 619. He connects. Striker's going crazy. He's doing that boyaka, boyaka, boyaka. And it looks, you know, Ray for the first time really has this big man stumbling a little bit. He's a little bit weary on his feet. Ray goes for the Hurricane Rana, but he gets caught. Matanza just tosses him like a little rag doll. This was like Kevin Nash. Throwing him like the lawn dart back in late uh, WCW, <laughs> tossing that him. That never gets old. It doesn't. Ever. That image in my head of him just flying into that thing like a lawn Why dart. Why would you take that bump? Right? Why? Just <laughs> that's that's what I'm seeing here when Matanza just puts him up on his shoulders. Big power slam for the one, two, three, nine eliminations for this guy. Andrew eliminates Phoenix Mysterio. He eliminates Joey Ryan, Prince Puma, eliminates the Mac, Chavo Guerrero, Aerostar, Dragon Azteca Jr., Tejano, and he is now your champion. Dario grabs the belt, he grabs the mic, and he hands the belt to his brother. He says, there is the new Lucha Underground champion, my brother, the monster, Matanza Cueto. This was great. This was really good. It was a lot of fun. And it's just different And I'm, I'm really glad you picked this one Because, you know, maybe Who knows how much more Lucha Underground we do But if we were ever going to do One 
match or show or episode of Lucha Underground, it was this one. This was the yeah. one because there were so many names and there's crossover. This was like you said, this was at the peak of Lucha Underground. They had some good stuff into season three and then some hit or miss things in season four, but they ended up having a big break. This is when they were still a lot of buzz. There was a lot of intrigue, a lot of interest. Rey Mysterio showing back up here was a really big deal. And this was a good show, Andrew. Good pick on your part. You're the one who's kind of taken us to a few different places when we've done some ECW, AWA stuff, some NWA stuff. I'm glad we got an opportunity to head here because this was a lot of fun. And, you know, I cover all sorts of things here on this show and all sorts of Star Wars and Marvel. And if you're someone who's kind of dorky and into fandom and some of those, you know, worlds and you like wrestling a little bit, if you don't know about Lucha Underground, you'll probably enjoy it. You'll probably get into the sort of fantastical parts of it. So a uh, good pick here, Andrew, as, as this was, you know, probably the most memorable, in my opinion, of all the Lucha Underground episodes and, and definitely one of the best, all like from top to bottom. Not a whole lot of, of dull moments in this like 53 to 54 minutes. This to me, as I think I've said before, is the creative peak of Lucha Underground because they had a lot of guys that could work. They had a lot of guys that the common fan could see. Oh, I remember when this guy was in WWE or this guy was in WCW or whatever. They had a lot of guys like that. None of it mattered on this particular show. And also you didn't need to be a Lucha Underground expert to get thrown into what was going on here and understand nope. everything that was happening. Aaron just said so, he was someone who had thrown it on sometimes in the background, but you miss a week or two, so you weren't always following along with the storylines. But this that's what's nice about this kind of a battle royal. There's everybody coming out. They don't expect you to know everything about everyone, and they'll give you the, the important stuff that you should know. Exactly. Now, there are a couple other shows we could do that are in that vein. Any one of their all-night-long matches, specifically the Ricochet-Johnny Mundo one, uh, we might need to do that at some point. But really, if you're looking for something in the wrestling world that's different, give this a watch. I'm not saying it's guaranteed you're going to like it. They do some stuff with death that's a little bit weird for me. Mm -hmm. But from bell to bell... There are few other products in wrestling in the last 15 to 20 years that can compete with Lucha Underground at its best. And I say that knowing full well that AEW is doing great stuff. NXT that WWE yeah. is doing great stuff. I'm not trying to discount those products, but just take a look at this roster. Yeah, These guys were all guys that WWE and AEW wound up wanting, and for good reason. This is really cool stuff. There are avenues in which you can watch these episodes, and I would urge you to do so if you're looking for something different. Great. This is something where um, we do, we the three of us, we handicap a lot of races, and we do a lot of work, and I do a lot of sports work and stuff too. And I'm someone who I'm always listening to a podcast, or I like to throw something on in the background while I'm doing my work. 
It's just like background noise, you know. Wrestling's really perfect for that. Wrestling is great for that, especially a show like this where you can catch some stuff. You can pop up here and there. You can kind of tune in and out for a second. Baseball is always a great background sport, but wrestling, and this is one of those things where if you find some episodes, throw it on the background while you're doing some stuff. You really, I think you'll really enjoy the uniqueness of it and how it was different. And DZ, kind of where we we began. And that's where we'll end again. If you're gonna try to do anything like w in in this wrestling world, and that's where I think at the very beginning with AEW they were sort of a little different. Right now, it's hard to say they're so different when you flip on the the TV sometimes, and it's like, oh, that's Daniel Bryan and Rusev. And then and to be clear, if, before we move on, that is not saying AEW is bad. Not we're at not all. Not at here. all. I love. I love. I love Daniel Bryan. I love Rusev. I love Adam Cole. I like all those guys. I'm glad that they are doing. I'm glad that they're wrestling and working in a place that they that makes them happy. That they get to do what they want to do creatively. But it is something to to think about that you know a lot of people who you know know they know WW they know wrestling as WWE. It's like when it's like when somebody says something about a tissue, they say Kleenex a lot of the time. That's how it is with wrestling. They people refer to wrestling as WrestleMania. You know, how many people come up to me and say, "Oh yeah, there's a you watching WrestleMania later tonight or something." You know, and it's Monday night. You know, so, it's, so that's what it is to people. It's wrestling is WWE, and so someone flipping through, and, and maybe it's a good thing. I don't know, maybe, but maybe it's not. In in what for what they want, you see Daniel Bryan, you see CM Punk, you see all of these people who, yeah, they were. Around before WWE But we know them because of WWE All of these people are big deals Because of being on national TV For years and years and years And getting pushed by the WWE machine They wouldn't be if they weren't the Independent wrestlers show up in AEW all the time And it's it's a cool thing But it's never as big of a deal as when Sam Punk or Daniel Bryan or Adam Cole Or any of them showed up So I think the the, the very cool thing About Lucha Underground is they were Always Always going to stick to their guns and be very, very different. And for some of you, that was maybe a little bit too different. Like if you're watching wrestling, you want it to be a little more real, like sports. And if you want to watch a movie or a show, you'll watch something else that's more, you know, a movie or a show that you'll get into. That's fine. But I, I respected always that. Hey, they are taking a completely different approach. And in my opinion, that's what you have to do if you want to succeed in any industry where there's already a couple of big pieces. There are already a couple of big players eating a lot of that pie. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, you know, the AEW uh, thing for me is that it's different than what I expected it to be. But I guess that was, you know, I guess that was probably something that was unavoidable or inevitable as you know good wrestlers would be released from a company you can't hold it against the company for signing them but at the same time they were kind of sold on being the non-wwe mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and now it's like half the guys in there are wwe guys so you kind of don't know if you want to like what they're doing because look i'm going to be honest a lot of it feels like wcw 2.0 to me it does it, it, it feels like seeing the guys that were in WWE who now picked up with the second major company that's out there, who's talking about competing for ratings against Vince McMahon. It feels like Monday Night Wars type stuff all over again. And it doesn't. Maybe that's not can, a bad thing. Can I just no, no. say one thing very? And I quickly. agree. And I agree. It's not always a bad. And yet, absolutely, Andrew. It's just 
you you get that sense and they're doing good work it's not as if they're doing bad stuff when they go over there but there it is a feel of oh yeah i, I just saw this guy on wwe right yeah so it's actually a two part thing one i have no problem with AEW signing certain people if an adam cole is on the market you get him mm-hmm. if daniel bryan cm yeah. punk like if those a, are talents a, that you yeah. get if a Keith Lee is on the market, you get him. That's I no issue with that. But there are only so many spots to go around. And it is with that in mind that I say this. Get Cody Rhodes off my television screen immediately. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. Look at Andrew. There we go. There we go. Wow. They got to figure out with him what he is right now. Because it's funny. He's sort of in the spot that Roman Reigns was in a while ago where... Cody is forcing something square peg in a round hole. The crowd is saying that on his TV show, talking about how he's a baby face being getting so meta. It's getting too meta for me. Yes. Um, It's just too many weird layers. And it really shouldn't be that hard. No. You have a guy with a very punchable face who nobody (laughs) wants to cheer for. The neck tattoo. Turn him (laughs) heel. This Brandy, is not hard. Brandy knows too. People, for for, I, I do think both of them have talent. They have ability. They're you can. They're very very useful in any wrestling company. In any here's a fun idea that I literally just came up with. Fun idea. Nobody's gonna want to boo Adam Cole for the next like however long this angle's gonna be. Do a double turn. Turn right. Cole face. Have Cody turn heel. And have Cody take Cole's place in the elite while Adam Cole does the, you know, I'm suddenly a baby face and the crowd can cheer me without feeling conflicted. I'm going to go beat everybody now. And then you get Cody as the establishment heel in the elite with guys who are sucking up to him because he's an executive. It's easy. You can do a few different things. You can do wrestling can, is at its best when it is simple. Cody can just go back on the the rule that he made that he can't battle for the title at some point. Yep. If, he, if he just reneges on that and says, oh, yeah, I can I can go for the title now. That's so he brandy. People love to to boo the both of them. And they're starting. It feels like you said they, they understand that. Just lean into it. Hell, like you, if you want to bring Adam Cole and like you said with the turn, then you could get something with Brandy and Cody and Adam Cole and Britt, even with the four of them, where you've got people just wanting to boo Brit, uh, Brandy like crazy. Everybody wants to cheer for Britt. They can do a lot of things here. We'll j- just got to be careful. You don't want to go WWE light. They can't have and they, and, they, and and sometimes it's just as simple of like, hey Darren, how are you going to lay out this show? Let's look at the rundown. We can't have every single segment have a bunch of people back to back to back that just came off of WWE TV not long ago. Let's just stagger things a little bit throughout the show. You know, sometimes it's just things as simple as that to make sure that it doesn't seem like it's just this overwhelming. Uh oh, that was Alistair Black, and then Andrade, and then Miro, and now. Brian Danielson and now Cole And then Christian and all of a sudden you're like Whoa every segment Ruby Rojo like all the way down So Lucha Underground Was different they were Unique and uh, they were Something that was cool it's cool to Reflect back on and look back at them because their Highs as Andrew said they had some really really High highs and uh, DZ you will be making the next Selection for uh, where we head next On the old wrestling rewatch 
Yeah, so I'm going to take it back to uh, WCW, early 90s. Um, I was in the Halloween mood, not doing that Halloween habit. <laughs> We've done uh, it. <laughs> I was in, I was, I'm going to save that one for Andrew. Uh, I was in the Halloween mood, and I know, you know, we kind of went a few weeks without, uh, you know, doing the wrestling stuff. We had a lot of stuff going on racing and so on and so forth. But uh, for my money, the 1993 Halloween Havoc is probably the best overall Halloween Havoc show that they've had. Uh, and if you go through the lineup, once you get past the first match, which includes the infamous Shockmaster, uh, yes, he's on this show. Um, Beautiful. Here's what you get after that. You get Ricky Steamboat and Paul Orndorff. You get Lord Steven Regal and Davey Boy Smith. You get Dustin Rhodes and Steve Austin, the Nasty Boys against Marcus Alexander Bagwell and Two Cold Scorpio. With a Missy Hyatt sighting. You do have a Missy Hyatt sighting, correct. You have Sting and Sid Vicious, Rick Rude and Ric Flair, and then a Texas death match between Big Van Vader and Cactus Jack. Awesome. This is a really good car. It is is a loaded, loaded show with a lot of fun. And some interesting things that we'll be able to dissect. A lot of familiar names from top to bottom. We have we'll have some fun talking about the uh, the Shockmaster. We'll start right away with Harlem Heat, so we get to talk some uh, uh, yep. some Booker. We got Ricky Steamboat, Paul Orndorff, Regal, British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith. We get to talk about Dustin Rhodes and Stone Cold in that match. The Nasty Boys. Yeah, these are just. Uh, names that are very familiar all the way through in a fun this is sort of one of my blind spots right around this point because this was right when rick like right when flair came back Mm -hmm. from wwf at this point so we see flair in a match here with rick rude and then vader and cactus jack this was mick foley in the main event before he became a, a real established main eventer he would have these little cups of coffee with guys like Sting and guys like Cactus Jack or and guys like Vader at this point, obviously Cactus Jack. But he wasn't always established because of the, the character that he played. Awesome. This is a good pick, DZ. And I'm you looking- could argue at this point in wrestling that Big Van Vader was the best heel in professional wrestling. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. His work that he had done in Japan and – what he was able to do in the ring, the way he was portrayed. That's a bummer, Andrew, because we've mentioned and we've dipped in on Vader's career a few times too. He just, there were a few moments in WWF, WWE when he came over where you kind of thought it was coming. But it, it, I think because of the stuff with Shawn Michaels right off the bat, that sort of derailed him when he probably should have had at least one title run to establish himself a little more as as a top, top guy. But he didn't win it and he kept, he, he uh, his health and you know started to to impact him because he didn't have that long of a run here. But the way that he was portrayed in WCW versus WWF at the time, man, he was such an evil, big, scary dude. If you've only seen the Vader that was in WWF, you haven't seen Vader. That was a point that Darren Zocali made a long time ago, and it's one of my favorite things that anybody has said on this show. Because Vader was a scary, scary, scary dude. And a guy that could do so much in the ring for a guy his size. He wasn't just some big dude that was a lug that was stiff. 
that couldn't do anything with anybody smaller than him, he could flat work too. And there were a number of things that he did in WCW that were awesome. He had a match with Ric Flair at Starcade that was a tremendous match. And it was a tremendous match, not just because of Flair. Vader more than held up his end of the bargain. This is a guy that did a lot, and I mean a lot, for WCW in the early 90s. And when he went to WWF, he could have done a lot more than he did. So for our next old wrestling rewatch, we head to 1993 WCW for Halloween Havoc, a Really fun show on paper to talk about. Which for my money, is still the best pay per view name that anybody's ever come up. It with. is. It I really love is. The name Halloween Havoc. It is, and it's it's easy. Even when they just lean into it a little bit for NXT, it just yep. gives it a cool feel. You can it, you can have a couple matches around yep. it. The gimmick matches. It's like a perfect gimmick pay per view. When he, when he bought WCW, I never understood. Why he didn't bring the Halloween Havoc pay-per-view with him I There's a couple names it. of pay-per-views that are really good That they could yep. have kept and, and added them into the rotation With the big four or five that WWE had And then you've got sort of that name recognition for a lot of them But yeah, uh, Great name, Starcade was a great name Great a good American name. Bash was a great name Fall Even the Brawl, Brawl stuff, Super Brawl yeah. Bash Brawl. at I mean, the beach Yeah, Yeah I mean, Those... they had great names for pay-per-views, but instead you ended up getting names like Armageddon and, uh, and you know, you know uh, Great Bash Balls of Fire. Great Balls of Fire. fire. I mean, what the Great hell Balls of Fire, I know. Unbelievable. But we're going to head to 1993 next time on the old Wrestling Rewatch. So if you want to tune along and, uh, and uh, watch with us, we'll be heading to Halloween Havoc, WCW 1993. A big thank you again to... Darren and to Andrew give Darren a follow At the track seven on social media You can follow along with everything Darren has Going all of the work at twin spires Everything happening with thorough crowd If you want to get involved with Darren And the horse ownership group that they have Super affordable with a lot of great people That just love horse racing and want to Do right by the horses and Andrew Lots of thoughts from Andrew at AndrewChampagne.com and on uh, Champagne and JD coming off of Breeders Cup Weekend where there are lots of things to discuss gentlemen it's a pleasure like always thank you so so much and everyone make sure to give them a follow and check out all their great content but don't go anywhere we still have plenty more on that's what g said and that's gonna do it on this episode of that's what g said big thank you to andrew and darren helping us out with the old wrestling rewatch i had a couple of these recorded for a while but because of the schedule we had so much Stuff happening that I I, st- I just saved them for a little bit because they're not time sensitive. When we talk about these old wrestling shows, it's not like it's a episode of something that's happening right now. So it doesn't matter if you listen if you know we hold it out for another week or two. So I had those two uh, in the in the can for a little while and uh, a couple more old wrestling rewatches that you'll have coming up next. The Halloween Havoc '93 that we mentioned there at the end. And then uh, there'll be one more coming that you'll be hearing about very soon. So we'll get back to uh, having a lot of those episodes of the old wrestling rewatch right here on That's What G Said. And uh, hopefully we led you to some winners over uh, on Thursday. Tim Kelly helping us out. Lots of Tim over the last few episodes because uh, we were very, very lucky to have Tim help us record both of those episodes, one and two recaps in one day. And if you heard, that's about four hours worth of, uh, of recording. So thank you so much to TK for helping us out there. And good luck this rest of this week. We'll be back in just a few days to help you out with all the weekend stuff. Joey, buddy, finish this off.